Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the first part of the Keen Odyssey, our seven-part deep dive into Roy Keane's book, The Second Half, which he wrote with Roddy Doyle in 2014. Before you listen to episode one, there's a little bit of business with Roy that we spoke about in an earlier podcast regarding his nemesis, uh, Professor Yaffle from Bagpuss. So we're going to include that now so that you know the full story before you get into the seven-part deep dive. Enjoy. This is it. It was quite a mundane season, I think, until early November when uh, Roy Keane left Manchester United a couple of weeks after what can only be described as an explosive interview on MUTV. Yeah. Uh, in the wake of a 4-1 defeat in Middlesbrough. And he and got stuck into some of the younger lads. He got stuck into... Who the some... fuck do you think you are? Yeah. Who the fuck do they think they're, they're fucking kiddies? They're fucking kiddies. They're driving around their fucking Lamborghinis. They think they've fucking made it. They think they're fucking big shot. They think they can step up to me, Roy Keane, and have a shot at the title. Tip but they fucking can't. I fucking tell them. Fucking step up then. I'm these, fucking ready. You see these belts? I, I earned these belts. I won these belts. You want these belts? Come on then. Roy Keane's fucking waiting and ready. Here you go. Let me introduce you to my two friends here. Laurel and fucking Hardy. I actually said about Rio Ferdinand just because you're paid £120,000 a week and you play well for 20 minutes against Tottenham you think you're a superstar <laughs> you're not you're a cunt take your fucking drug test will you Alan Smith John O'Shea Darren Fletcher Kieran Richardson there are fucking cunts little laddies little laddies they don't even belong in fucking Leeds they're fucking babies you're sending them after that fucking prick David O'Leary <laughs> And get his fucking of, magic kingdom. Get and a lot of serum into them. And as for you, Fergie, you fucking idiot with your fucking racehorses. As he started getting stuck into that as well, didn't he? Did he? Oh, fucking yeah, he turned hell. on Fergie, whose big problem was with Carlos Queiroz. They'd had a ah, falling yeah, yeah. out over a villa in Portugal. <laughs> Keenard. Yeah. Really? They went on a pre-season like, sort oh, of training they, camp yeah. in Portugal and... Queeros had sorted it out. Yeah, I always find these things hilarious because I sort of think a club like Manchester United is like an international conglomerate, industry, isn't it? It's huge, right? And yet, then you read these books, and the way in which they do things is so small time. So they've gone. We need a pre-season training camp somewhere. And Carlos Queiroz has literally gone to fucking Ferguson. Because Ferguson loved Queiroz. I mean, yeah. he fucking loved him. If you read any of Ferguson's books, he was his one. Because he mm. took him back. He fucked off to Montreal Madrid, failed, and Fergie took him straight back again. Yeah. Like, he just walked back into Old Trafford, yeah. which Keane was unhappy about as well, by the way. Loyalty! That's it. <laughs> loyalty! You've got some fucking front talking to me about loyalty. You're after out the fucking dart to the Bernabeu Stadium. At the first fucking chance you got, you cunt. You come strolling back in here. <laughs> like you own the place. With your eyes. Your greedy Portuguese eyes on my fucking belts. <laughs> right. And he's gone. And so Queiroz has gone. Eh, to Alex. 
I have a nice place in Portugal. I know a man who has a villa. I know a man is nice, nice food. <laughs> now, a little bit of uh, let me, let me, just let me, simple grilled fish, a little bit of salad. Let me tell you this. This is top secret. He has had the toilets reconstructed so as you can flush the toilet paper down the hole. Not in all the villas. You do not need to put it in the bin. But the villas, the, not all villas, but the luxury VIP I get for you and me, Sir Alex. We flush the toilet. Special dispensation. No shitty paper for you. None of that. <laughs> what you say? Uh, I get it, put Carlos. It sounds it sounds top notch. <laughs> if you're happy, I'm happy, Carlos. If it's good enough for you, Carlos, that's good enough for you're me. You're a great man, Carlos. You know that because you not only know your fitba, but you're a handsome man and you smell gorgeous. Don't listen to what Roy and the lads say behind your back. <laughs> <laughs> You're my go-to man for international accommodation. So he's booked all these villas, yeah. and Roy Keane's turned up, and he's—they've said you can bring your family. So Roy Keane's turned up with Mrs. Keane and the Wee Keanes. Yeah, and he says, "I take one look at this fucking villa, <laughs> and the fucking size of it was a joke." I'm Roy fucking Keane. I'm the heavyweight champion of the world, and you think I'm going to fucking stay in this shithole? Ah, fine. I didn't want to cause a fuss, so I moved out and just booked somewhere else up the road. So I tell you what, it reminded me of. It reminded me of the fucking workshop in Bagpuss. <laughs> you couldn't even fit a little rag doll in there. You couldn't fit a rag doll. I can't. A little a wooden woodpecker. I bought some fucking saw. I kept expecting to see Professor fucking Yaffel stick his stupid fucking head out. Stop fucking lecturing me. Coming down off the shelf like he used to. Yeah. Full of fucking shit. I couldn't sleep. Giving it the fucking big one. I kept thinking I could hear his fucking voice echoing round my fucking brain. I'm waking up cheating the morning going, it's fucking Yaffo. Where is he? <laughs> Show yourself, you cunt. <laughs> <laughs> I had to fucking get out of there. It wasn't good for my fucking brain. Anyway, that was the fucking source of all the trouble. Yeah. So he's turned on Queeros. Then he's turned Fergie's fucking stood up for Queeros. He's turned on Fergie's and You can shut up with your fucking horses. Your fucking horses and fucking rocket Gibraltar threw us all under the fucking boat. And I would have said as well that thing about the speeding ticket. <laughs> Try to get over the speeding ticket by pretending you shit yourself. It's a fucking disgrace. Take the fucking points. Get yourself along to the speed awareness course. Like the rest of us. It's a leveller. What the fuck's wrong with you? You sat there. Talking about shit in your pants. You're knight of the realm. This is the club of fucking Bobby Chatton and Dennis Law. Of Gary fucking Bertels. Do you think Bertels would have shot his pants in the car? Or even fucking claimed it? No, they'd taken his fucking points. Clayton Blackmore, he'd have took his points. <laughs> I could sit here and name names all day. They'd all have took the points. Dennis Arwen did shit his pants. And they, no one even knew about it. He fucking turned himself in at the police station and told them anyway. The Greenhoff brothers... Both of them wouldn't have shit the pants. <laughs> Get a grip. So that was him out, and he went to Celtic. He did, yeah. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go. This is it. This is Top Flight Time Machine. My name is Andy Dawson, and his name is... Sam Delaney. And this is the first part of our spin-off podcast series where we look at an autobiography from a, a notorious footballer. And in this case, it is none other than Roy Keane. It's his book that he brought out called The Second Half. It's his second autobiography. It's miles better than the first one, I think. And it was written in association with Roddy Doyle, the Irish mm. writer and 
filmmaker and all that kind of thing and playwright. This is part one. We might get as far as three parts with this, having looked at it. We're not sure. It might just be two parts, but this is part one. And we're going to begin it's, at the beginning. It's an amazing book. Um, so we're literally... there is. It's one of those... We could go on for it's hours. Like, it's like a great album where it's all killer, no filler. You know, like <clears throat> like Michael Jackson's Off the Wall. There is not a bad song. Each song is as good as the last. It's Every, every track is 10 out of 10. That's like Roy Keane's second memoir. Every page yeah. has a nugget of gold on it. Yeah. Because Roy Keane is... A, as we have said repeatedly on these podcasts, he is a complex and fascinating and eccentric man. I would like to issue a little disclaimer at the beginning of this. I would like to say I am a huge fan of Roy Keane as a footballer and as a football manager for what he did at Sunderland and as a person. And this podcast comes from a place of love Stop and yourself. respect and, and fear. <laughs> Listen, right, I know you think Roy Keane's going to come and get us. I've said that now, I've said he's it. He's not. And these are, uh, 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 you, this Roy. is amazing promotion for a book that came out quite a few years ago. 2014, You had a book yeah. that's out years ago. It very rarely gets, you get publicity and you get people, as you know, you've done books, I've done books. At the time, if you're lucky, people will get in touch on Twitter around publication, go, I really, really liked your book. Mm. And that dries up for mm. most books. But so, and that might have even happened with this book. But we're saying this is a forgotten classic. In six it months' time... There, it should, Penguin should reissue it as a Penguin classic. In six months' time, Roy Kane's going to get a royalty statement through the post for the, for the book and there'll be a spike in sales yeah. and income as a result of these podcasts. Go, what the fuck's going gonna, on here? What's this all about? And what's going on? I smell a fucking rat. <laughs> Look into it for me. He'll say that to his lawyer. Yeah. And then his lawyer goes, see, it seems there's a uh, a couple of podcasts. A pod what? What's what that all about? What the fucking hell is a podcast? <laughs> what? The, two fucking fellas, grown men, sat in a fucking studio. Who lets them do this? <laughs> Who lets <laughs> them in? Haven't they got anything fucking better to do with their time? What radio station's this on? What? And people fucking listen to this shit. What wavelength? <laughs> Tell me the wavelength so I can find it. <laughs> They're a couple of fucking babies by the sounds of them. They got kids. They got responsibilities. What the fuck are they doing? What are they doing? Are they not got proper jobs? What's this all about? <laughs> Dear God. <laughs> I don't care if you sell my book. The book's fucking stupid anyway. I never wanted to write the fucking book. It's a waste of fucking time. I've got 70 quid here from royalties I don't know what to spend it on. Yeah. I don't fucking need it. I don't fucking need that fucking poxy 70 quid. I've got my hole. I've got my hole and I've got a nice cup of tea and that's all I fucking need. <laughs> anyway. It's, it starts off. <laughs> it starts off where he's, he's kicking off about the, the fallout from the first book in which, of course, he, he talked about injuring Alfinger Harland and then he got, um, there was disciplinary proceedings mm. and a hearing and he got fucking banned and Yeah, it's all about and all that. that. that uh, and the beginning of his career when he first came to Forest, so had a lot of cluffy stuff in it. And it also has the story of Sapen, which is not covered in this book. No. And we may go back and do that, because obviously those stories, I mean, Sapen alone is one of my favourite moments in human history. And so that's worth covering. But no, this has got a lot of other stuff. It's got the end of his playing days, his fallout with United, mm. and then goes through his management and punditry But it, be it begins with him facing the disciplinary hearing on the back of oh, the yeah. previous book, yeah. so it kind of segues in. And um, he says, um, 
I didn't anticipate the volume of the coverage. It was unbelievable. What we're going to do is, if we're doing actual direct quotes from the book, we're going to do them in our own voices so that we don't confuse everybody. So, yeah, if we're saying it out loud in normal voices, that means these are Roy Keane's real words. <laughs> if we lapse into bad <coughs> Irish accents, that's just us imagining what else he might have said or thought. He, he said, I didn't anticipate the volume of the coverage. It was unbelievable. It was like I'd killed somebody. <laughs> it was a nightmare at the time. And he's talking about this, the, the Harlan sca- scandal, and he keeps referring to um, killing and murder. And he's go- he goes to the Reebok Stadium in Bolton for the hearing with the FA. Uh, he says, uh, trying to get into the Reebok that day, you'd have thought I was up for murder. So again, he's referring to himself as a killer or a murderer. But she hasn't, he hasn't done any murders. I don't think he wants to murder Alfinger Harland. I don't think there's, there's a veiled threat, do you think, to Alfinger Harland? Or... <laughs> What, like he is planning on murdering him? One day, somewhere possibly. Somewhere along the line. Possibly. Um, and then he says that, uh, he talks about his lawyer. Actually, I wish I hadn't had a lawyer. I wish I'd just gone in and taken the punishment. Mm. Now, I like this because I really like people who defend themselves in courts yeah. of law. <laughs> <laughs> My dad did that a couple of years ago against the builder. Just, I've got a lot of time for anyone My that dad does that. did that against the builder, but. He just fucking rocked up without any planning because in his no head he just thinks, or anything. the thing is, I'm really clever yeah. and articulate and I will run rings around these people. <laughs> these so-called lawyers. Yeah, and the builders fucking turned up with like a brief and, and they're like, what the fuck? They're just looking at my dad, just going, what the fuck are you on about? <laughs> like he's fucking done the old put his thumbs in his lapels yeah. to sort of look like Rumpel and the Bailey at the end. He, and do you know what he said? Did to he me? get a gown from that costume yeah. shop you're always at? Well, yeah. Well, my, you got your Dick Turpin my, costume. My, my miss, I lent him my Dick Turpin costume because I said it's close enough to a barrister's get up. Just <laughs> yeah, stick this the on. Gown. Yeah, he even had the bandana around his nose and mouth, which didn't go well, down well with the judge, I can tell you. Made him look well fucking shifty. Right. And uh, But at the end, I said to him, how did it go? Because I'd been worried, but he wouldn't have it when I was saying, are you sure about this? What, what, bit- what sort of dispute was it? Was it over payment or payment. work that had been done or... Pay, basically, they he hadn't paid the last chunk of money that he owned the build he owed the builder, and I think his reasonings were one, the work was shit, which was true, right, and he needed to spend the money on making it good again, yeah, and but there was also he claimed that the builders had nicked his ladder. <laughs> <laughs> and my attitude was well even if they fucking have what do you need a ladder for anyway you never fucking use the ladder right so you get the builders in yeah exactly so he but when i asked him after the court appearance how did it go did you win or he goes well it's very interesting he started talking around it and i went yeah but did you win or lose he goes sort of both in a way <laughs> He lost to me. He just totally lost. <laughs> but he said something about how the judge knew he was the moral victor. Yeah, did the judge like wink that. at him or something? The judge was sort of like, unfortunately, my my uh, hands are tied here by the fucking the law. law. <laughs> Stupid fucking law. But we all know that you are the real victim here and that you're a better human than everyone else in this room. I think that was what my, how my uh, dad did, interpreted it. Did the it. judge give him some money for a new ladder? <laughs> no. Uh, didn't award him anything? My dad remains... My dad, a pensioner, mm-hmm. remains ladderless. And I'm... You know, this uh, now is not time or place to do an appeal for some sort of crowdfunding. Crowdfund, yeah. But that will... I will set something, a campaign like that up soon. Is it, what, a to- telescopic ladder that reaches no, to, like, 20 foot? Just, or just some step like ladders? A, a four-tread step ladder. <laughs> four-tread mind. 
Yeah, no, that's a get, serious you one. You get one of them for like twenty quid then being cute. He's pensioner, mate. He's uh, he's. Well, on you've the... got plenty of money. I have. You're um, on the podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. You want a bit of my podcast money, do you, Dad, to pay for your fucking stepladder? <laughs> Should have thought about that when you walked out on us. But yeah, I'll, I love anyone that defends themselves in court. You know what courts should do? Courts should advertise when someone's going to be defending themselves so we yeah, can all yeah, go along all and go have a look. Down there. <laughs> <laughs> Take our pet lunches and our flasks, yeah. rubbing our hands together up <laughs> sit, in the cheek sit seats. With our arms full yeah. Come on, go then, on, let's have it. Go on, my son. <laughs> you fucking idiot. <laughs> well, this podcast is going exactly as I expected mm. it would. Roy Kane. This is it. Yeah, he re- he repeatedly wonders why he had a lawyer for the Alfinger Harlan thing. Uh, I was I was travelling from Manchester and he did the voice there. I was travelling from Manchester in a car with a lawyer and a QC. That didn't feel right. It was quiet in the car. I didn't really know them. There was no positive energy. No, we'll fight this because he wanted to go into this like it was a football match. He wanted to go yeah. into like all guns blazing. Yeah. It was all about damage limitation. It was a day at the office for them, but it was a lot more than that for me. I knew I was going to lose. And he thinks he should have just gone in and just took the punishment. And um, Oh, yeah, then here we go a bit, a bit further on. The FA had a murder lawyer. Again, more references to murder and killing. <laughs> he's trying to imply... In his head, he's like one of those guys who... in, the, in the, there's a, You meet a lot of guys who pretend in their minds that they're sort of either in the intelligence services or the special forces, yeah. they're military men. Yeah. And they kind of keep making references and using the terminology of the armed forces. And Roy Keane's like that, but about murderers. I think he like loves the idea of murderers. Yeah. And sort of sees himself as in the in a way kind of like He's one. like one but in a footballing sense where you're not allowed to murder. He's like he said but he's the closest you, know, you get. They, they they couldn't find a lawyer who was good enough to take me on, mm. who was from a Spartan background, so they yeah. had to get a murder lawyer. Sporting lawyer. <laughs> they could, usually they'd have a lawyer who's like a sports lawyer, but because it was me, they had to get a murder lawyer <laughs> who were the toughest type. But they said, it's, it's Roy Keane, we had to get a murder lawyer. <laughs> he says the FA had a murder lawyer, a big shot up from London, Jim Sturman. He was absolutely brilliant. He had me on toast. Jesus, for a tackle. He was a big Spurs fan, he told me, in the toilets before the hearing. I was at the urinal beside him. We were talking as two men in a toilet do. <laughs> do <laughs> no, they? No, they fucking don't. <laughs> Big football fan, are you? See, you got a nice cock on you there. <laughs> yeah? Nice. Solid stream you got there. <laughs> What's your game then? Who are you? You're trimming your pubes, I see. What the fuck's up with that? <laughs> Just let them grow naturally. You fucking idiot. What's that, a London thing, is it? You want to see fucking mine? Murder li- do all your murder lawyer buddies trim their fucking pubes? You want to see mine? It looks like Saddam Hussein down there when he came out the spider <laughs> hole. Have you got a spider hole? I got myself a spider yeah, hole a spider in the West Coast of Ireland. What, you're not taking that away from me. I'm going to tell you where it is. <laughs> and then he has a dig at Harland. He says, Harland finished the game and played four days later for Norway. A couple of years later, he tried to claim that he'd had to retire because of the tackle. He was going to sue me. It was a bad tackle, but he was still able to play four days later. And therefore, I was the winner. Jalapeno. The second bit, which is quite notable in this, is about the fight that he had with Peter Schmeichel when he was at Manchester Ah, oh, this is a great story. <laughs> this is great. There'd been a little bit of tension between us over the years for football reasons. Peter would come out shouting at players, and I felt sometimes that he was playing up to the crowd. Look at me! He was probably also doing it for his concentration levels, keeping himself on his toes. But I felt he did it too often, as if he was telling the crowd, look at what I have to deal with. 
I wouldn't say we disliked each other, but we weren't best buddies either. He said, I've had enough of you. A drink had been taken at this yeah. point. It was in a hotel somewhere. I, he said, I've had enough of you. It's time we sorted this out. Mm. <laughs> so I said, okay. <laughs> okay, then. <laughs> and we had a fight. It felt, <laughs> it felt like 10 minutes. There was a lot of noise. Peter's a big lad. <laughs> <laughs> the way he describes it, and I don't say this lightly, like... You've seen Django Unchained, right? Yeah. You know, there's that... I mean, it's one of the most grotesque scenes in cinema history <laughs> where, like, Leonardo DiCaprio's character is just, like, making these two fellas fight to the death in front of him. It goes on and on for yeah. ages. And that is how I imagine... That's exactly what it was. Like, Roy Keane yeah. and Peter Schumann, like, two mandingos. It felt like ten minutes, but it was actually twenty. Mm. And um, the worst bit about it was that they woke Bobby Charlton up. Oh, uh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's he say? He's got a complaint about Bobby Charlton, hasn't he? Uh, it says it says they'd woken Bobby Charlton up. Um, the next morning, Fergie gets him into his office and all this sort of thing, and he says, you even woke Bobby Charlton up. He came out of his hotel room and had a look. Yeah, yeah. And um, but, but <laughs> what was it? It was um, He said something like, Bobby Charlton could have, if he didn't like it, Bobby Charlton could have split us up. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Peter, he says, Peter took responsibility. I admired him for it. But Sir Bobby could have tried to break it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jalapeño. <laughs> Nicky Butt was the referee of the fight. Yeah, that's really funny and as Nick, well. Nicky Butt, Nicky Butt got a new nickname afterwards, Mills Lane. <laughs> Why? Mills Lane's a famous boxing referee, oh, apparently. Oh, right, right. I didn't know that. I, yeah, but that's what, that's what they called him afterwards. Anyway, Peter had grabbed uh, I wonder me. how he refed it. Like, what were the rules? Who set the boundaries? I don't know. But he says, anyway, Peter had grabbed me. I'd headbutted him. We'd been fighting for ages. That doesn't sound like that's in the rules, does it? Mm. Nicky Butt's not much of a boxing referee. I know, don't know how much R- Ricky Butt could have really done. When you've got two men like Schmeichel and Keane going at each other, it's like, how can you... I mean, Nicky Butt is no sh- shrinking violet, no. but how can you really make any fucking impact? You can't get in between them, can I mean, you? Unless he was like a judge. Like, right. you know, he got to say, if there's a points victory, it was Butt was who got to say it. it. Can you imagine Bobby Charlton in his pyjamas coming out of his I hotel room? I can, actually, yeah. Oh, I wonder if he wears a night shirt like Wee Willy Winky. I think a, he wears a, Manchester a United pyjamas. <laughs> <laughs> But you imagine Bobby Charlton coming out, staggering out, what, aged, what, 73 or something? Holding a candle on one of those little candle holders. (laughs) What's this all about, lads? Uh Lads, lads, lads. What's going on here, like? Nicky, what's going on here? What are they doing? Hey, you know, when we were playing for Sir Ralph in 1966, I didn't always see eye to eye with Gordon Banks, but you didn't see us fighting like this while Martin Peters presided over it all. And then, of course, Gordon lost an eye later yeah. on, and I <laughs> had the last laugh. <laughs> I won't tell you how it happened, but let's just say it wasn't quite the accident <laughs> he suggested in the past. Anyway, carry on, I'm off back to bed. I'm back to my bed now. Early start, lads. <laughs> Early start. There's people need blinding. <laughs> Bobby Charlton there. Rather more a sinister figure than you may have been led to believe over the years. <laughs> Not the, the Geordie, ambassador. The Geordie blinder. Not actually the ambassador of Manchester United that goes around the world 
watching them play in European competitions, but he's actually a spy. Goes around the world blinded tricking people. little African kids into being Man U fans. That's his fucking job. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah. <laughs> fucking and blinding them if they don't if they don't comply. <laughs> He walks into a village in the middle of fucking nowhere in Tanzania yeah. and he gathers around the village elders and he goes, some of you might know me, some of you won't. My name's Bobby Charlton. I'm here to convert all of the children in this village to Manchester United fans. <laughs> I brought these shirts <laughs> and uh, these fellas here are going to dig you a well like. The shirts are from 15 years ago, but you don't know that. <laughs> Because you're stupid. <laughs> you're stupid Africans. Now, <laughs> now, listen. I don't. <laughs> I I'm, I don't know how to put this. I'm just going to come right out and say it to you. Unless your kids all agree to support Manchester United forever, I'm going to blind each and every one of them. <laughs> <laughs> the bloke's like, what the? This is mad. Who is this man? This is awful. He looks like he means it, though. <laughs> I'm not going to second guess him. Don't for one moment <laughs> think that I am joking. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll do it with this squirty bottle of industrial ammonia I've brought with me. I did it to Gordon Banks. I've done it to plenty of others. And I would do it to every last child in this village without thinking twice. Have you heard of Peter Sutcliffe? <laughs> Better known as the Yorkshire Ripper. Now, a few years ago, a story came out that said he'd been blinded in prison by another inmate with the end of a toothbrush. Now, that's not what happened. I was granted access into the prison where Peter Sutcliffe was locked up and I went at him with me uh, the canister of ammonia that I've got here. As, as a knight of the realm, I am allowed access to any prison facility I like. That's just one of the benefits you get. Yes, and I went in there while he was asleep and I blinded him. No. You can take that as truth or you can take that as a lie. That's up to you. All I'm saying is you look at them pile of shirts there and decide what you want. You want to go around wearing one of them shirts or... Do you want you a like, blind kitty? Do you want to be blinded for the rest of your life? It's up to you. Do you want your weans blind so they'd never be able to look at their mother's faces again? And that is how United have built themselves That's into the world. Because of, and it's not just Africa. Mm. They do it in Southeast Asia. It's all around the world, isn't it? He's even done it in Australia. And yeah. that's why wherever you go, you see him in United shirts. Global domination, isn't yeah. it? It's, hey, it's worked, so, you know, hats off to them. <laughs> naughty, naughty. Just <laughs> a little squirt in the eye. Squirty. Hey, remember what Uncle Bobby says. Naughty, naughty, squirty, squirty. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Let's get back to Roy Keane. Yeah. This is it! So, moving on, he talks about um, the kind of calibre of player that comes to Manchester United and that they're, they're not really emotionally equipped to deal with the, the rigours of Manchester weather mm. and all that sort of thing. He says, um, if they're used to going for a cappuccino at half ten at night, sitting on a balcony somewhere, and all of a sudden it's dark at half four and it's fucking freezing, mm -hmm. that is going to change them. I know, because they told me. Fabian Barthez and Laurent Blanc used to smoke together in the toilets at half-time. They were French. They smoked. 
<laughs> if it had been a couple of Irish lads, I'd have been shouting at them, you dirty bastards, get out! <laughs> so he has got a lot of time... <laughs> dirty bastards. You dirty wee bastards! He's got a lot of time for um, for the cultural differences between yeah. uh, He's a France, France, and, man. France and Ireland. Yeah, he is. He is, that's a, a nice bit. And then there's a bit as well where he's talking about um, Arsenal. Arsenal were good, he says. Arsene Wenger was reinventing the game, apparently. Yeah. His tongue very firmly in his cheek. And then he says, sugar lumps at half-time. <laughs> <laughs> that's all he says, doesn't he? Yeah. It's fucking funny. Sugar lumps, carrot juice, a wee wank at half-time. <laughs> to reinvigorate them before they go out for the second half. And why not? Meanwhile, in our dressing room, we've got the French lads smoking in the bugs. <laughs> you just kind of compete with that, can you? <laughs> he gets on to Rio um, and the failed drugs test, and he wasn't happy about that. This was Manchester United, so it became a big story. I wondered at the time why they didn't just follow Rio, go to his house that afternoon, the drug <laughs> testers. But then, from the doctor's point of view, you treat people like mature adults. You tell a man to go up for a drugs test and you expect him to do that. In any other workplace, it would have happened. We can give footballers the benefit of the doubt. Ah, they're footballers. They live in a bubble. They're a bit out there. But we also have to go, fucking hell, just do the drugs <laughs> test. <laughs> Oh, he God. claims after. T- I don't think I was annoyed at the time, and I don't think the other players were either. But ultimately, the team did suffer. I didn't look at Rio and think that he'd been up to no good, or that he was a hidden reason, or that there was a hidden reason for what occurred. I think he genuinely forgot. We all paid the price. He was a very good player, and we, we all missed paid the him. price. There it is. There's the line. Yeah. There's always a line that says you cunt, and there it is. We yeah. all paid the price. Yeah. And he he talks about the the um the class of '92, and about Paul Scholes especially. He says, uh, I don't fall for the boy next door image. He doesn't really respect anybody, no, does he? No, one. No one at all, apart from himself. He says, I, don't, I still don't fall for the boy next door image of schools or that he's dead humble. He has more of an edge to him. Everyone thinks he lives in a council flat. <laughs> <laughs> no, he don't. The class of 92, all good players, but their role at the club has become exaggerated. Class of 92 seems to have grown its own legs. It has become a brand. It's not as if they were a team away from the team. And they're not shy of plugging into it, but we all had the same aims. We all had the hunger. Mm-hmm. So basically, he despises uh, Beckham, Schools, Butt, Gigs, all um, the, so the, the, the Neville he, brothers, he the class thinks, of '92. He thinks they're a bunch of bullshitting wankers. Yeah, yeah. Who have tried to take too much credit for something yeah. that they all achieved together as a team. He was the leader of the team, so he was their captain and their inspiration, right? And they must have all respected him because yeah. how could the team have done so well during those years if they didn't respect their captain? But he secretly, all along the way, thought they're just a bunch of wankers, mm. all of them. Look at you, the class of 92. Going round with your class of 92 mugs. Drinking out your mugs. What the fuck do you mean, 92? I don't, do you know what? I don't even fucking remember what year I was fucking born. Much less what year I fucking got into the first team. I'm too busy trying to win fucking matches and keep all of these wee title belts right here. No, I tell you what, I tell you what, I do remember where I was in 92. I was over in Nottingham and <laughs> Mr. Brian Clough was punching me in the face every fucking morning. <laughs> just for turning up. That's where I was. Where were you? And you don't hear me going around saying that I'm the class of fucking 92. I was living in 92 just like the rest of you cunts. What else was going on in 92? Culture beat, Mr. Vane, that's what. <laughs>
That was my 1992. I don't know what you were all up to, but I was doing the disco, dancing the culture beat. Fucking Gabriel, dreams can come true. <laughs> well, this is a fucking nightmare. Her with a fucking eye patch. You know how she got that fucking eye patch too, don't you? Bobby it's fucking Sir Bobby Charlton. Because <laughs> the song drove us all up the fucking wall, so we had to do something about like it. Like a sense of Bobby over. <laughs> that was my 92. <laughs> I called him up. I said, Sir Bobby, you got to do something I, about this daft cow. I don't even play for Manchester United, but I've heard yeah. about your work, and you got to do it's something. It's Keen here from Nottingham Forest. <laughs> I've got a wee job for you. Yeah, that's right, freelance. <laughs> I heard you did freelance work. <laughs> this, this is it. it. Yeah, there's another good story where um, Wayne Rooney has just signed for United in 2004, whenever it was, and um, Keane's trying to watch the rugby league yeah. in a hotel, and he goes off to the toilet or something, and he comes back and the rugby league's been turned over, and he says, I said, where's the remote control? Rooney said, I don't know. I said, you fucking do. I didn't exactly... <laughs> I didn't exactly storm out. Because <laughs> he doesn't storm out, does he? He just seethes and leaves. I didn't exactly storm out, but I couldn't be bothered... Do. I couldn't be bothered trying to get the remote control back, so I decided I'd watch the rest of the match up in my room. I came down the next morning for the pre-match meal, and obviously I'm very good at letting things go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Wayne was brave enough to come up to me. Did you ever find the remote control, Roy? I think I told him to go fuck himself. <laughs> go fuck yourself, Rooney. <laughs> it was the only disagreement I ever had with him. I think I think he later claimed in one of his books, brackets, he has a deal to write ten. <laughs> there it is. There's the line. There's the line. <laughs> There's always a line about someone to undermine them. He later claimed in one of his books, he has a deal to write ten. <laughs> that I sent a security man to his room to get the remote control, but that's bullshit. <laughs> 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 Just setting the record straight there. This is it. He did a detox one summer. Oh yeah. He went to a was it a clinic in Italy or something like that? Yeah, it was um Ryan Giggs got him to go over yeah, there. Yeah, because Giggs is into yoga and all that yeah. shit, isn't he? Um so he went and he cut out red meat. He was eating a lot of fish. Yeah. Um and there's actually a picture of him in the book about that time and he says that he looks gaunt. And he does he looks like there's nothing on him. Yeah. It was shocking. Uh, so he'd uh, he was due to play Arsenal, but uh, he couldn't get out of bed. The doctor came round and they did some tests, and he had um, the, the doctor said, "What have you done?" And he says, "I've cut out meat altogether." The doctor did some blood tests. I missed the Arsenal game. I was in bed for three or four days. When the test results came back, my iron levels were gone. I'd no iron in my system. <laughs> I got no iron. I'm Roy Keane. I have to have iron in me. What's the point otherwise? <laughs> I was born with more fucking iron than the average human being. When I was a wee baby, I came out. They said he's fucking... He's got iron spilling out of every fucking he's, orifice. He's not crawling. He's clanking. Can you hear him crawling along there? All the iron. He's more fucking iron than man. Keep him away from them magnets. <laughs> now it's all fucking gone. And it's fucking Ryan's fault. I assumed I'd just be just filled with iron forever and ever. I stopped eating meat just to get the iron down a little bit because there's too much. It's keeping me awake at nights. I wake up and I'm clanking. I turn over in bed and I'm clanking. <laughs> I got rust all around my fucking balls when it rains. 
That time I trimmed my pubes back, I realised it was all rusty underneath. <laughs> I've got to get back on the red a, meat. My pubes are like normal pubes. It's like a fucking scourer that you use a pan brush. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> so he uh, he packed in meat for a couple of months, but soon got over that. There's a nice little bit where, um, about, again, it's a dig at the class of 92 uh, and about the number seven. The manager pulled me into his office and told me that he wanted me to wear the number seven. I said, no, I'm not bothered. And he said... I know Bex were fucking wanted and I don't want him to have it. <laughs> power play. <laughs> and he says himself, the little power battles. <laughs> he says, I've had 16 since I signed for the club. I was comfortable with 16. I think it might have kept me on my toes being outside the 1 to 11. I didn't think I was a number 7. I said, give it to Bex. Bex got it and it suited him. And Cantona. Ronaldo had it after Bex. Gabriel Heinzer was another good guy. He was a nasty fucker. Nasty in training. I picked up an injury one day. A lot of it was my own fault. It was a Friday. We were playing Spurs the next day, and we'd always have light training day before a home game, but it got a bit nasty, and it ended up with myself and Gabby having a few tackles on each other. He kneed me on the side of my leg, and being the hero that I am, I kept my mouth shut. I didn't want to go in for treatment. But being I the, was in agony. Being the hero that yeah. I am, as he said that. Yeah. Oh, um, the next interesting bit is, of course, the one we've covered in a previous episode, which is the uh, the Portuguese villa thing. Um, yeah. <clears throat> and he, he talks about the, if, in case you haven't heard it, it's the, the villa in Portugal that was chosen by Carlos Queiroz. And Kane's unhappy with it because it's not big enough for him because his family's over, his five kids are over. Um, and he talks about the woman who showed them around the villa. He says, she understood what I meant, I think. She told me it hadn't been designed for families. <laughs> she even pointed out the glass tables, the sharp corners. They probably have to go through that insu- that routine for insurance reasons. The place just wasn't suitable. My wife is very placid, and even she was saying, we can't stay here, it's just not designed for kids. <laughs> uh, what does that mean? Lots of sharp edges, probably. Glass tables, corners, spikes. What's <laughs> these fucking spikes doing here? I don't mind a spike myself, don't get me wrong. If it's just me on my own or I'm with the missus, I love a spike. Keeps me on my toes. Keeps you on my toes. You never know when you might need a good fucking spike. But the kiddies, they'll be running into these spikes all over the place. I can't have it. <laughs> these mouth traps you've got in the fridge. <laughs> no, I don't mind that. I like I like the idea of that, but the kiddies will go in there for the club biscuits, and the next thing you know, they lose their fucking fingers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I keep the club biscuits in the fucking fridge. Cause it is Portugal. It's fucking thirty-five degrees outside. He says the woman brought me to look at the second villa. My wife was waiting down at the first place with the kids. The second place was nicer, but in the meantime, I'd rung the people we just hired the previous villa from, where we'd been staying the week before, and asked if we could stay there for another week. It was literally down the road from the training camp, five minutes in the car. Carlos Queros, United's <laughs> assistant manager, arrived while I was at the second villa. Carlos is Portuguese. I think he was born in Mozambique. <laughs> there it is. There's the line. There's always a line designed to undermine somebody. And there it is again. Carlos is Portuguese. I think he was born in Mozambique. He's not proper Portuguese, That's you know. I fucking heard anyway. He says he's Portuguese, but he's not proper Portuguese. No one's ever seen his birth certificate. I asked for it on several occasions it, and he kept fobbing me off. He's like that Barack Obama. He was born in Mozambique as well. <laughs> he says, Carlos is Portuguese. I think he was born in Mozambique. And there was some sort of a connection with the resort people. 
Yeah. <laughs> Insinuating all kinds yeah. of shenanigans. He had organised the camp for the team. His brother-in-law ran the resort. <laughs> Carlos was getting a backhand and it was obvious. <laughs> and a lot put- of them are like kind of Roger the Dodger. A lot of these footballers are like characters from the Beano, yeah. where they've all got little side scams. They're earning like hundreds yeah. of thousands of pounds a week, but they've all got little side scams to make a few quid here, a few quid there, or yeah. get like some free football boots or something I think something it just like keeps that. them amused, stops them getting yeah. bored. It's like when John Terry was showing people around the Chelsea training ground, and he was trousering money for that, wasn't he, a few years ago? Um, yeah, there was. I heard a story about John Terry. This, oh, are you sure? Uh, is it that one no not that one no there was a barber's in um, like near where he lived where he went to get his hair cut quite regularly and one one day they said do you mind if we put a picture of you in the window to say that you're a customer or we put one on the wall so he goes, which is like a little budget barbershop and he yeah. went um, I'll have to have a think about that yeah went, okay it's no <laughs> big deal the money. then he's like, like a few days later the barbershop here from his agent who say, Mr. Terry has considered your offer. He's done some sums. And <laughs> he will expect free haircuts for him and his entire family for life. <laughs> they went, nah, you're right. <laughs> you couldn't. <laughs> Jalapeño. Another bit about the pre-season as well. This is quite interesting. He says, I carried on training. We trained for the week and it was brilliant. The mix. Training, then the afternoon spent with the families was perfect. Pre-season is about training, recovery and bonding. Recovery just means relaxing after you've trained. Sitting, maybe watching TV, or if you're in a place like the Algarve, sitting by the pool. There's a discipline to that. <laughs> <laughs> Which I wasn't very good at, actually resting. Mm-hmm. Roy Keane is unable to apply himself to the discipline of relaxing <laughs> and being at rest. He's constantly on the go, having to be doing something. So having my family there was great, and the facilities were fantastic. There's a discipline of resting. Fucking hell. Yeah, he he talks a lot about um he he talks a lot about his inability to relax yeah. and feel content. Which on a serious note, you do sort of feel for him. I mean, we all kind of know that feeling and, and Roy Keane's whole but he's very open in this book about like his inner demons because mm. he, he says all this mad shit and then once in a while he pauses for reflection and says, Yeah, basically my problem is I can't ever feel relaxed. Yeah. And you think, fucking yeah. hell, what a curse. He's incredibly driven. But yeah. that's what made him the player he was. Yeah. But it's it's a blessing and a curse, isn't it? It is. But it just means that you, it, there's a discipline to it's sit like, I think it's nicer to be born a lazy cunt. Yeah, definitely. Probably. Yeah. But if you're born like Roy Keane, you're never satisfied. Imagine he sits down by the pool and he gets a book out or something or a, 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 a soft drink. Or, or a club sun, biscuits. Sundays he's just going to fuck off And work, he sits there for like 90 seconds. Do a whole packet of club biscuits, <laughs> the orange ones, and just watch Crown Court reruns on YouTube all day. Like we do. Stopping only once in a while for a wank. <laughs> he's never going to be like us. He's never going to be as good as us. Um, right, I reckon that's about it for part one of our Roy Keane. Odyssey. Odyssey. The Keane Odyssey. This is Top Flight Time Machine. I'm Andy Dawson, and he is. I'm Sam Delaney. And this is part two of our Odyssey into Roy Keane's book, the second half from 2014. We've reached the point where um, it's coming to the end at Manchester United for Roy, isn't it? He's he's had the the Portuguese Villa Algarve thing running with Carlos Quérez. He's confessed to the fact that he finds it difficult to relax because there's a discipline to relaxation. That he can't quite handle. Um, 
and we're at the point now where he did the the video with MUTV after Middlesbrough beating Manchester United four one. There was um, we did skip out the incident in the tunnel with Vieira, which he goes through. I mean, obviously, it's quite a big part of that because he's like, you know, they're in the tunnel before Man U Arsenal. And, uh, I mean, it goes on for pages, so I'll skip through some bits. He goes, um, I'd forgotten my captain's armband, so I turned to go back to the dressing room. Go down, lads. I'll be with you in a minute. I've forgotten my armband. I went back past our own players. Albert the kick man had the armband. He was putting it on me. All the best, Roy. As I walked to the front, I heard something going on at the top of the tunnel. All I could see was a few fingers pointing at Gary Neville. <laughs> I lost it. <laughs> No so hesitation. He's got, he's he lost got, it immediately. We've already established that he's got nothing but contempt, thinly veiled contempt for the class of 92 yeah. and their bullshit. But he sees himself as a kind of a father figure to Gary Neville for some reason. He's singled Gary Neville out as, as his, his, his son, if you like, in this psychodrama. So they're pointing at Gary Neville and he loses it. This is, I have to rewind a bit to set the context. Gary Neville had come to see me just after the warm-up. It was an evening kickoff. We'd just come back in the dressing room. Gary told me that some of the Arsenal players had said something to him in the tunnel, that they weren't going to take any nonsense and that they'd be waiting for him. They said there'd be none of the carry-on that had gone on the game at Old Trafford earlier in the season. There'd been a lot of kicking and argy-bargy during that game and afterwards. <laughs> Phil had played kicking. instead of me that day and he'd been running around like a kamikaze pilot running into everybody. I think Gary was now suffering the consequences of Phil's actions but i didn't pay much attention to what gary said i just said whatever gary <laughs> i was getting into the zone myself i was concentrating on my job um so that that is what had already happened uh the last thing i wanted was for gary in my ear to be in my ear hole saying they've been shouting at me in the tunnel <laughs> my attitude was fucking deal with it you're not 11 <laughs> uh, but he planted a seed in my head warning me I was always one of the first out. So then he's he's gone back to get his thing. Anyway, we go back to the bit where he's seen the pushing and shoving and the pointing. I lost it. Five seconds earlier, I've been perfectly calm and in the zone, ready for the match. But because of what Gary had said to me, I just went, the fuckers, they are waiting for him. <laughs> oh, in italics. The fuckers, they are waiting for him. I thought they might have booted him out on the pitch, but in the tunnel, I just thought, the fuckers. He's talking about it like it's some kind of surprise yeah. attack, you know, like yeah. when the local gang yeah. jump you. And he's also you go convinced there instead. they waited for him to turn back to get his thing. They were too scared to do he it saw, while he was there. He saw a moment of weakness when he'd gone back for the armband. They were trying to bully Gary. <laughs> they were a big team. And in the tunnel, they were even bigger. It's a very little tunnel. So I said to myself, all right. Let's go. <laughs> I went down there. I'd lost it, but I wasn't zoning out. I wasn't forgetting about the game. I said, we'll see you out there. I just felt they were bullying Gary. I don't think it was intimidation. It was bullying. There's a difference. If Patrick Vieira had come up to me and said, I'm going to have you, that would have been intimidation. It would have been a clash between equal personalities. But there Gar- it is. There yeah, it there is. It There's is. always a there line. Is, yeah. There's always a line yeah. that undermines but someone. Gary, and there it is. Gary was quiet. I think they were going for one of the weaker players in the team. <laughs> there it is again. <laughs> By weak, I don't mean it as it's usually understood. Gary was an established yes, international. <laughs> yes, I do. He had 60 or 70 caps. He'd played in World Cups. He'd won the Champions League and League titles. But 
his personality was wrong for this. If they'd been having a go at Nicky Butt or Wes Brown, I wouldn't have said anything. I'd have walked past them probably whistling. In football, intimidation <laughs> is legitimate, but bullying isn't. I never went looking for a fullback who'd never done anything to me. Does that, it's that's almost a, disdainful. That's another thing. Yeah. He's regularly disdainful about fullbacks as I, like being less than footballers. I'd look for people who were in my position or were physically important for their team. I'd always thought they can give it back to me. I never went for a tricky winger or a small fullback. <laughs> I'll see you there out there, again. I there said again. again. the fullbacks. I meant it. I love the game of football. We'd sort it out on the pitch. No hiding places. I'd read something in the match programme about the charity work Patrick supported in Senegal where he'd been born. He'd mentioned how much he loved going back to Senegal. I said, if you love Senegal so much, why don't you fucking play for them? <laughs> I think he said something smart to me about Ireland and the World Cup. It was grown men bitching. The referee Graham Paul said... Uh, was good. He said, just leave it, just leave it. I fucking am, I said. Just let us out. Just let us out. What was important, it didn't interfere with my performance. Let us out. Hidge tiger. Fucking hell. It might have thrown them more than us. We went out and played like Brazil and we won the game 4-2. The tunnel incident was all part of the TV drama. It became entertainment, although I wasn't aware of the cameras. I was there to do a job. Win the game, get in and get out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was a bit like the build-up to a boxing match. Yeah. Anyway, that's his thing. He basically used his whole thing not to have a go at Patrick Vieira, but to it's have a go at Gary, Gary Neville, Neville yeah. for being weak and, and getting embroiled in a situation that he and, couldn't handle. And all full-backs. Yeah. For being less than full fucking full-back. What's the point of a fucking full-back? Yeah, if someone's going down the wing and you're a fucking midfielder, run over there and do it yourself. <laughs> Don't rely on some wee puffter. <laughs> Fucking fall back. You don't. I've said this for years. I've said it to a blue in the face. You don't need 11 men in a fucking football team. You need fucking 11 men for unless you're a fucking baby. You need eight. Nine's enough. You need eight maximum. Get rid of the full backs and one of the other midfielders. I'll take care of it all myself. I'll do my own. You're going to be fucking lazy if you need a friend. What's he, you fucking bum chum? What are you going to do? Fucking hold hands in the midfield. Do it yourself, you lazy fucker. One midfielder, no fullbacks. <laughs> Proper football. <laughs> That's how we used to do it back in Ireland. <laughs> so he goes on and he does the um, he does the MUTV interview where he basically castigates his entire teammates, um, and he gets called in. Um, and he, he he insists on the video being shown in front of all of his teammates, and none of them have got a problem with it. Mm. He says uh, before this, he goes, at the back of my mind, part of me was thinking, what did I see in the video? I might have said something pretty bad for them to pull it. And even now, today, people still say, this video had to be destroyed. This video had to be destroyed. Like it was a nuclear weapon or something. Did someone drive out to the countryside and bury it into fucking ground? <laughs> or did a bomb disposal unit come and explode it? It had to be destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was destroyed, but yeah, they they made um they made him watch it with uh, all the squad, and he asked all the players if any of them had a problem with anything he'd said about them, and they're all like, "No, no, no, Roy, no, that's all good, <laughs> no, nothing at all." Edwin Van der Sarkip piped up and said something like, "Um." 
well, you, you weren't very fair about something or other, and I think Kane just went, you can fuck off, you're new! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyone else anyone who's not Edwin got a problem yeah. with it <laughs> of course the Dutch fucking the six foot six Dutchman's <laughs> gonna fucking say something so um, that was kind of it and then a couple of weeks later he was due to play in a reserve match because he, he was recovering from a broken foot at the time he was supposed to play in a, a reserve match and he got pulled from that and then um, it all kind of came to a head and he had a meeting with his lawyer uh, got called into Ferguson's office and they just kind of said um, pretty much that's it we're going to tear up your contract and they showed him a statement they'd prepared already which they were going to put out so it was already premeditated there was there was no negotiation it was like this is it you're finished and the statement said um, we'd like to thank Roy for his 11 and a half years at the club and Kane says but I'd been there 12 and a half years now his biggest mistake was that he told them he says I went you got 11 and a half years there Two of them, Ferguson and David Gill, were looking at each other. And I said, I've been here 12 and a half. Oh, it was it 12 and a half, Roy? Oh, I wasn't sure. It was it 93 you came in? I can't remember. Yeah, I said, first year we won the double. Mm-hmm. And David Gill said, oh, right, we'll fix that. Keane should have just left that. He should have spotted that they'd got that wrong and he should have let them put it out. What, and then been able to respond then, to it? Well, yeah, exactly. And then there would have been a furore. They would have gone, oh, they've, they've got rid of Keane. They don't even know how many years he's been there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless... They did put that. They showed him that statement that said eleven and a half years, just to fuck him off a little just bit more. Just to show that they didn't yeah. really take him seriously. Yeah. They, there was two statements. There was an eleven and a half years and a twelve and a half years one. The twelve and a half years was the official one. The eleven and a half years was the one designed to get under his skin. I mean, you know, United did the right thing when you've gone but as ballistic <clears throat> as he did. Then, you know, they had no option really. You got you got to bomb a player out. I mean, I suppose... We no one's seen the video, though, have we? No one knows what he said. No, but it wasn't that. I don't think it was the video. The video just was in just... in general. The video, it was It was after the video. He, he went mantle at the manager in front of the whole squad. And yeah. For, and, a spe- and for any manager, that's a problem. But if you're fucking Ferguson and you run the club the way that you, di- that you do, you know, yeah. it's a cult of personality. Yeah. You cannot have anyone do that in front of your whole squad without there being dire consequences for them. So if it had been a younger player who they'd just spent a lot of money on, they might have done something else. But if Roy Keane, who they know is coming to the end of his career anyway, you just have to make a statement and say, you're out. Yeah. No one talks to the manager like that, you're out. It was it was to do with the Rocket Gibraltar thing as well, wasn't it? Oh, there'd been a syndicate on a horse, yeah. and they, they, they'd, they'd got one sixteenth of it. They'd all put some money in, and they got one sixteenth, and he was pissed off about that. But the Rocket Gibraltar thing with... with uh, McManus and Magnier. Yeah, there's a there's a bit in the book where Kane says he got a call from a friend in Ireland and asked him to pass on a message to Ferguson to say you won't win this. Fucking hell! So he was bombed out. But uh, one of the things that disappointed him the most was that his club car was going to have to be returned. Oh yeah, his Audi A8. Um, but he got an extra three months out of it before he actually had to give it back once the paperwork had all been sorted out for his his departure from United. He says, um, when the paperwork had finally been sorted and I'd given back the car, this was three months after the last meeting, so I got an extra three months out of it, I drove some fucking miles in that car. (laughs) Every little victory is vital. (laughs) So he'd spent three months. He's obviously, you know, he'd signed for Celtic after that in the January. This was November in the January he signed for Celtic. So perhaps he'd been driving up and down to Glasgow from Manchester in the car. 
but doing a scenic route, maybe going across like the Newcastle and like, through Northumberland. Some and nights I just some nights I just go down to Asda's car park and I just do donuts for three hours. <laughs> round and round and round and round and round and round. I didn't give a fuck. I'd listen to an audio book while I was doing it. <laughs> I drive around. On my days off, I just drive. I get out of the house and I drive. I didn't even know where I was going. All I knew was that I had to get somewhere as far away as I could. Get the miles on the clock of the Audi A8. Just fucking drive the fucking thing into the ground. I'd drive until I was so tired I couldn't drive no more. I'd pull over and I'd sleep. Then I'd wake up and I'd drive again. Another eight hours. One night I ended up in Belgium. I had no idea how I got there. Jalapeño. We skipped the bit where he has a, a pop-up queer us about loyalty, which I've mentioned on a previous podcast. He's going, um, you know, uh, Carlos turned around and said, you've not shown any loyalty to your teammates. I said, don't you talk to me about loyalty. Don't you fucking talk to me about loyalty, Carlos. You left this club after 12 months a few years ago for the Real Madrid job. Don't you dare question my loyalty I had opportunities to go to Juventus and to Bayern Munich so don't you question me about loyalty and while we're at it <laughs> we spoke about training downstairs and we were just on about mixing things up a bit and he said no Roy we need repetition that's what we need repetition and I said Carlos do you always make love to your wife in the same position <laughs> oh, God. and I think he went where is this going? I said, <laughs> you change the position, don't you, Carlos? Sometimes you have to mix training. I've been tra- watching you. <laughs> Sometimes you have to mix training up a little bit. That's all I'm saying. That's coming from other players. It's not a personal thing. That villa you were in. I write, got some I got some spy cameras put in. He writes I've been watching you, Carlos. I haven't a clue why I said that, and I still don't. <laughs> <laughs> but again, He'd lost it at that point. Again, I really respect him for putting all this down in the book. Because you don't see that in most memoirs, let alone footballer memoirs. Because what he's saying there is, I lost... We all sometimes can lose our mind and say fucking mad things and you almost feel that you're like, you've lost control of your brain, right? And it's really regrettable. But Roy Keane could have knocked this book out, given out a few bits, the inside story, this, that and the other. Like one of Rooney's ten books. Yeah, exactly. But Roy Keane has actually decided to revisit some something that's probably haunted him his whole life. Because he goes on to say that he thinks that was the crucial part where he starts talking about his wife, yeah. right? Yeah. Where Ferguson thought that goes way beyond. He's crossed the line yeah. by a distance and we have to get him out of the club because that He's is toxic. disrespectful, right? <laughs> And he knows that, and he goes, that was the line. I think that was the line that it was like, well, there's no turning back now. And he's, so it's, it's, he's carried it around with him ever since. He didn't have to write that down in the book. No one knows about it. He said, this is what I said. I don't know why I said it, and I still don't know. Yeah, it's but a, there it is. Yeah, exactly, but there, there it is. And that's why this is a great book, because <laughs> yeah. he, he fucking tells you everything. That's why he's a great man. Yeah. And was the, one of the greatest footballers ever. We love him and respect him. Please don't come after us, Roy. Please don't come after us. So he has a little bit of time off and he ends up signing for Celtic, but he's not allowed to sign for them till the January transfer window. It's a bit shitty because United say they've tore his contract up and that he can he can sign for anybody kind of tomorrow if he wants to, but then mm. it turns out that he can't. He's not allowed to sign for anyone till till the, the following January, a couple of months later. And his um this this turns out to be his final season because his hip is absolutely fucked. Mm. He's had um he's had surgery done on his hip um, there was, the surgeon said it looked like carpet underlay cartilage 
coming away from his hip. And he says, it showed, mate. And it did. It looked like carpet underlay. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes, to, he, has, he has options. Real Madrid come in for him. Um, Everton want to sign him. But he ends up going to Celtic. Uh, basically, he goes to Celtic out of spite. Because he says in the book, when a club is interested in you, the manager generally sells it to you. Listen, we'd love to have you here. But I met Gordon Strachan, the Celtic manager, in London. I met him in the majority shareholder Dermot Desmond's house. And Gordon told me, I'm not really too worried if you sign for us or not. We're okay without you. (laughs) So I said to myself, fuck him, I'm signing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Strachan's yeah. done a job on him they both come out of that really well Strachan's taken one look at Keeney and went I know you I fucking know you I'm inside of you I know just what like Carlos Cuerras or his wife I, I need I know just what I need to do to bend you to my will and he did it's all about mind games with you isn't that right fuck him <laughs> I'm signing <laughs> I'm, you Strachan I'm really you not- prick I signed for you how'd you like that there you go I'm signed I'm done for no money yeah I'll, I'll fucking pay you I'll pay you you cunt <laughs> right where's the ball where's the pitch come on let's do this now oh we haven't got a game for a couple of weeks I don't give a fuck we're going out playing now me, me versus you come on you think you can take my belt let's fucking see you take them make some phone calls get a crowd in <laughs> and then he goes on and he says I think it was one of the reasons I signed for them to prove Gordon wrong <laughs> to be fair to Gordon they were doing well in the league and he already had Neil Lennon playing in my position and still Ian Petrov two midfielders together there holding hands disgusting Lennon and Petrov I didn't hear that kind of thing in Glasgow feels more like a Manchester thing <laughs> uh, so I, was, I wasn't I was sitting back shocked going show me the love I thought alright that's the game he was letting me know they weren't desperate for me he was being a bit coy and I was fine with that but there was a bit of defiance there too. Like, you might be 15 points clear, but if I join, you might go 20 points clear. You might even need me next year in Europe. <laughs> so, he does sign for Celtic. Uh, like we said, out of spite. And it's a very different culture than what he's been used to at Manchester United. He says, my first game was against Clyde away in the third round of the Scottish Cup. We were beaten 2-1. It was a nightmare. I wasn't happy with my own game. I did okay, but okay wasn't enough. After the game, the disappointment. As I was taking my jersey off, I noticed the night tag was still on it. <gasps> He's played a match with a night tag. Fuck the price hell. tag still on his shirt. What the fuck is this? <laughs> How much is this? I didn't know people had to pay for these things. 40 quid for a fucking t-shirt. <laughs> what do you fucking need one for anyway? Go out bare-chested like a man. What are you worried about? The fucking rain getting on you? Get some paint and just paint the stripes onto oh, me. Oh, are you worried you're going to get a wee bit chilly? You big fucking girl's brows. <laughs> and then he says, when I got on the bus, John Hartson, a really good guy, was already sitting there and he was eating a packet of crisps with a fizzy drink. <laughs> Lovely. I said to myself, welcome to hell. <laughs> And when he says, I said to myself, he doesn't mean that rhetorically. He He actually looked at John Hartson, a man who he says, I think he's the only man who he describes in the entire book positively. Yeah. He looked at it and said out loud, welcome to hell. (laughs) Fucking Hartson's got a mouth full of McCoys at this stage. Sorry, what's what's that, Roy? Nothing, don't worry about it, John. You're a good man. (laughs) I'll put it in my book. (laughs) <laughs> You'll read about this in years to come. 
and then uh, you go back. Just remember though, I think you're a good man, but I think you're deeply <laughs> troubled. <laughs> you're what? a flawed man. You're a flawed man. You're a good man, <laughs> but you're sitting there, you're a sportsman, you're an athlete, yeah. and you're sitting there with a packet of McCoys, salt and vinegar, and you've also got yourself some fizzy pop. Look at yourself, John. You're a good man, you've got a good heart, but you're stupid. You're thick. You're not using your brain. You barely got one. You're a good man, John. I've always said that. Me and you, we go back a long way. We've played <laughs> against each other many, many times. And I've always respected you. And I've always trusted you to do the right thing as a footballer and a sportsman and an athlete. But look at you. You fucking moron. You're sitting there on the bus. Look at yourself in the reflection in the window of this bus. Look. Look at what you've become. You've got, cr- you. you've got some crumbs all around your mouth. <laughs> you've got a, a bottle of, what is it, Panda Pops? You've got some Panda Pops. You're drinking cherry, you cherry flavour. you fucking shit. You look like a fucking Shambles. You've still got the Nike tag on the shirt. You've got Panda Pops all down there. You've got the crisps. You're a disgrace. You deserve to be in a jail. If I had the if I had the wherewithal and the rights, if I was the Bobby Charlton and I had the keys to all the jails in Britain, I would be taking control of this bus now, John Hartson, and I'd be driving you off to the nearest jail and I'd be locking you up in a cell in solitary for a, a month. Never mind a fucking jail. It's a fucking mental asylum you need. You, I'd stick you in fucking Broadmoor with fucking Suckcliffe and all the other freaks. Let let a fucking professional get involved in your fucking noggin. <laughs> See what the fuck's going on in there, because I tell you this, I don't fucking know. You're risking yourself and the public. We've just lost two one at Clyde, and you're <laughs> sitting there like you're having a little birthday party with yourself. You probably got a little wee stiffy, have you? Yeah. Let's have a look. Come on. Oh, sorry, I didn't Get know it, it was your birthday. I'd have bought you a fucking present. Here you go. I got you a fucking Lego Millennium Falcon. <laughs> and I threw the Lego in his face. <laughs> <laughs> and then I sat on that coach and I watched over him as I made him assemble the entire Millennium Falcon. 418 pieces of fucking Lego. And we got there back to back home. And I didn't let him off the coach. And we stayed on the coach all night while he finished it. We got back to Celtic Park at 6.13 in the morning. And we'd only come from Clyde. It was a two-mile drive. I made the driver drive round and round in circles until the Lego was finished. I said, I know some good routes where you could just go round and round in a vehicle non-stop for many, many hours and not actually get anywhere. I made all the other lads as well. Petrov, Lennon, all those fuckers. I made them sing him Happy Birthday to John over and over again. For eight hours. Those fuckers must have sung Happy Birthday to John Hartson about 400 times in one night. Some of them were crying by the end, but I'd made my point. This is it. So, um, and it gets to the end of the season, well, the half a season that he has at Celtic, and he's he has the summer off, and he just realises that the hip isn't getting any better, and pretty much that's it. He says, my hip's playing up, and, you know, I'm going to have to call it a day. He says this to Gordon Strachan. He says, I'm not coming back. And Gordon went, all right, yeah, okay. Yeah, it's for the best. <laughs> Again, striking with the fucking reverse psychology. And I was saying to myself, try and persuade me for fuck's sake, at least pretend. <laughs> but no, Strachan was inside his head. Strachan was inside him. This is it! So that's the end of um, the Celtic era. Um, there's a nice little bit as well. He says, um, he's, he's talking about you know being a player mm. and the, the sacrifices that you have to make and how you've just got to be completely... And utterly dedicated to, to 
being a footballer. He says, when I was 13 or 14, Eric Hogan, a decent lad, he still plays for the over 35s in Cork. He wouldn't go training one night because he got a new skateboard. I fell out with him. We didn't speak for a year because he wouldn't go training. <laughs> I always had that drive. Stick your skateboard. As I matured and the situations got bigger, I'd think back to the skateboard. Stick your fucking skateboard. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like, you know, in uh, Citizen Kane, Rosebud. Rosebud. <laughs> the skateboard is Roy Kane's Rosebud. Of all the things that Roy Kane is obsessed by and angered by and bitter about and passionate about, I wonder what his final words on his deathbed will be. What do you think it's going to be? What's he going to say? Stick your fucking skateboard. (laughs) 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 Um, I think that's probably a good point to leave this episode because Mm. we've got to the end of his playing career and in the next one we'll cover his managerial career at Sunderland and Ipswich. equally as eventful. (laughs) For different kinds of reasons. He's a great man. He is. We we reiterate that. If you're listening, Roy, you're a great man. We love you and respect you very much. Please don't come after us. Just just remember, stick your fucking skateboard. Yeah, if you find yourselves between now and the next episode um, in a situation where you need to make a big life decision, just look at yourself in the mirror or the window of a bus, if you happen to be on a bus, and just say to yourself, stick your fucking skateboard. Yeah. And then as you, as you stuff your face with a packet of McCoys and a can <laughs> of Panda Pop, just take a look at yourself. And just do what you were going to do anyway. Just do the easiest thing. Don't be like Roy. The Keen Odyssey. Welcome to this, the third part of our deep dive into Roy Keane's 2014 autobiography called The Second Half, which he wrote in conjunction with the famous Irish writer Roddy Doyle. And uh, I think... I can imagine that the creative process would just be Keane sitting in a probably a rocking chair just rocking backwards and forwards and just spouting bile and anecdotes or Roddy Doyle fucking feverishly types it all up. Some of it, like, the actual prose, so to speak, in the book, some of it is um, literally like Roddy Doyle at times writes it quite nicely Mm. and at other times it just feels like these are just the straight transcriptions. Transcribed the ravings of of Roy Roy. Keane. Someone else has just typed out and they put it straight into the book. Roy Morris Keane. Those are are my favourite bits. Yeah. (laughs) Right, so we we left him. uh, He just retired from playing um, after a few months at Celtic where he'd been on the bus with John Hartson who'd been eating McCoys and drinking Panda Pops he ended with an anecdote about someone he used to know when he was 14 who preferred to go out on his skateboard instead of train to be a footballer and you can stick your skateboard yeah was where we left it after Celtic Roy was unveiled as the new manager of my own team Sunderland mm. which is a marvellous time how because did you feel on that day I was elated right I thought this is brilliant this is not what we expected at all mm. Niall Quinn had, had led a consortium who'd bought out the club from the previous chairman a consortium of seven Irish businessmen and <laughs> Quinn had took over running the team himself because he couldn't get a manager and we'd lost something like our first five matches because Quinn can't manage football teams no. And then he, he, Quinn said, uh, I am on the brink of unveiling a world-class manager. So we thought, fucking hell, is it, is it going to be John Gregory? Is it going to be, you know, Sir Bobby Robson? Who's it going to uh, be? Yeah. Who's our new manager going to be? No, Roy Keane. 
So when he said world class, he meant someone who'd been a world class player and had no pedigree whatsoever as a manager. So Keane came in um, about three days, I think, before the transfer deadline. And on deadline day at the end of August, that first season, he bought six players in six hours. Yeah. On the last um, the last day, it was fantastic. He brought so in like exciting. Dwight York. He got um, Dwight York all the way back from Sydney FC. He did. He lured him back from yeah. Sydney FC to bring him to Sunderland. Something like a Jedi mind and trick he, or something. He, he thought that he'd had some pizzazz, didn't he? And yeah. some excitement, which yeah. presumably he did. A bit of a ebullience in the dressing mm. room. And it did it. It worked. It worked a treat. So uh, he's a manager now. There's a, a a segment in the book where he says, "I'd never had an office before. Now I had a secretary. I had a phone, a phone with buttons. It's a bit David Peace, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> phone, phone with buttons. One, buttons you press. Two, three, four, <laughs> five, six, seven, eight, nine, zero. Star. Hashtag star. <laughs> Some people call it hashtag. In America, they call it the pound sign." I don't call it fucking anything. I think it's stupid and pointless. It's never just some fucking, lines. Never fucking once used it in my life. I, what? It's for, for playing fucking knots and crosses with. I call it them lines. Press the button with them lines on. Press one for the ticket office. Press two for your assistant manager. Press three for the wife and kids. <laughs> so he says, uh, I had a leather chair that swung round. A swivel chair. For the first few days I used to swing around on it. If any of the players or staff had peeped through the office window... That's not a very Roy Keane word, is it? Peeped. Peeped. Peeped through the office window. Roddy Doyle that. Had a fucking look through the window. Roddy's gone, sorry, Roy, can I keep, just stop you there? I, I, I changed that to when you say take a fucking look. It's sort of quicker for us to just write peep. Fucking peep! Roddy, what the fuck is the matter with you? You're making me sound like a fucking fairy princess. No one fucking peeps. What am I? A fucking dormouse out of one of them silly cartoons. Sleeping at night in a fucking acorn shell. Peeping out through the fucking hole in the door. Peep! I don't fucking peep anywhere. Peep! You might as well call this a paedophile's tail. (laughs) You're making me sound like a (laughs) paedophile. That's your agenda. I fucking suspected it from the start. I wish I'd never fucking got you to be my ghostwriter. Let's just take five minutes to start again soon. (laughs) So if they peeked through the office window and seen me going, wee, Raddy, this book you've written, you've put, <laughs> underwear you've put peeped. You've also got me going, I can't even say it, Raddy. <laughs> you've got me going. spell it out for you. W- w- e, 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 a fresh fucking E. Jesus Christ, what are you trying to do to me? <laughs> he says... The phone would ring and I'd be pressing different buttons trying to get the license, trying to get the right line. Fuck's sake! I'm pressing the buttons with the lines on. Nothing's happening. Who's trying to talk to me now? <laughs> what the fuck's happening? His voice is coming out of my fucking head. Oh. Fucking Yaffle's back. Who's that on the A3? Is it you? Silence. Yaffle. Deadly silence. I heard it. Out. I knew who it fucking was. Yaffle. Yaffle, is it you? Is it you, you cunt? I know it's you. I'll fucking find you, you cunt. Don't fucking prank call me. I got work to do here. It's not like the old days in Portugal, you know. I'm running a fucking football club. I haven't got time for your fucking shenanigans now. This is Sunderland, Yaffle. We got people here. We got clever people. I got a trace put on the line. There'll be somebody there in ten minutes and they're going to beat the fucking shit out of you. Ah, I never did find out if it was Yaffle, 
but I've got let's just say I've got my fucking strong suspicions to this day that that cunt was trying to undermine me <laughs> so I went to Nile Quinn and I said you gotta get some so- fucking security people in here XSAS that kind of thing cause some cunt and I think it's <laughs> Professor Yaffle out of Bagpuss is fucking prank calling me when I'm trying to do my business in the office and Naya was like don't worry about it Roy it's no problem no one's calling you you just need to work out how to accept the call press I the said, button with the lines on don't fuck me around I told you at the beginning there's no way I'm pressing that fucking button with the lines on it I don't know I'm not I'm not interested in that shite but if you don't press it, they're not going to get through. And that's why you keep getting silence. It's not because an imaginary wooden bird is fucking calling you upright. I'm fucking telling you as a friend here. Listen, I know what I heard. I heard his breathing. I remembered it from Portugal. Don't fucking tell me what I'm imagining and what I'm not imagining. <laughs> it's him and fucking... And I tell you, he's put the con up to it. <laughs> fucking queer us. Carlos fucking queer boy queer us. They're rocking in cahoots again. Over in Portugal. In that fucking villa with all the spikes. They share a fucking timeshare, Niall. I'm telling you for your own sake, because it's going to undermine you as well. You'll find out who Queeras's agent is. Get on his website. Click on where it says clients. And it'll be a drop down. It'll say Carlos Queeras. And it'll say Professor Yaffle. Niall never understood my concerns, but that's what I was learning about management. It's all about opinions. In the end, we agreed to differ on the Yaffle situation, and I just cracked on with the work like... Niall thought he'd put it to bed, but he hadn't. (laughs) To all intents and purposes, I'd forgotten about it as far as he could see, but in my mind, it was always there. I fucking knew, and a part of my respect for Niall died after that incident. (laughs) It was my third week at Sunderland, but in a way it was the beginning of the end. <laughs> Yaffle had won again. He'd won the battle, but not the war. <laughs> the war will never be over. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> we're matching Ipswich, and he talks about the, uh, the, the dressing room music that was being played he says one staff member took charge of the music in the dressing room it might seem strange but you find out about characters when you look to see who's in charge of the music it, it might seem strange well, it does a little bit right yeah, yeah but, but go on <laughs> a young lad might want to put on the latest sound <laughs> that's really dial again fucking isn't it? sound <laughs> what's all this shit about sounds I fucking hate sounds the, what all are the, of them the young lads they put on the bleeps and the beats and it does me does me knocking in. I'll I'll, I'll uh, Roy. I'll just put the latest sound for that instead of what you just said. Put the bleeps and the beats. They'll know what I'm on about. <laughs> Orbital. That's them. Uh, and an older player might say, "I'm the senior player," and put himself in charge of it. But I noticed none of the players were taking charge of the music, and this was a concern for me. A member of staff was in charge of it. I was looking at him, thinking, "I hope someone nails him here." <laughs> Nail same. I hope someone gets him on the floor and pulls his tape machine off him. So the last song that was played before the players went out onto the pitch, he says, was Dancing Queen by Abba. What really worried me was that none of the players, nobody, said, get that shit off. I stood back and thought, it's not my place either. I'm learning. (laughs) We went 1-0 up, but we lost 3-1. I don't think it was down to Dancing Queen. But after the match, I criticised the players. 
It was one of the few times I lost the rag. They had to take responsibility. I told them it was their music. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you now, lads. It's very fucking simple. At United, right, West Brown did all the fucking music, right, <laughs> and you knew it was going to be good. I didn't... I refused to listen to any fucking music, so I'd leave the room. That's fine. By the way, Raddy, while we're putting this... you seen these fucking lads daft punk of they called? <laughs> fucking hell. The couple of clowns are going around in fucking like Darth Vader with fucking big space helmets, son. It could be anybody in there. <laughs> it could be a couple of kiddies on each other's shoulders. It's a fucking security risk. <laughs> he says, uh, yeah, take responsibility. I told him it was the music. But, but Roy, the the, 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 the tape selection and the tack, tack. No! It's none of that. That's not why we lost 3 1. It's Dabba. You're going out there with Abba ringing through your minds. <laughs> How are you supposed to concentrate on what you got to do when you're thinking about Anjeta Falskog and a lovely, lovely, curvy ass? The last thing you lads need is to go out there with a bunch of fucking erections on the go. <clears throat> it's distracting, trust me. It's disrespectful <laughs> to the pain supporters. None of them's got erections. It's fucking freezing cold out there. You know they've been standing in the fucking freezing cold, minus three, right, waiting for you fuckers to come out. To come out of your heated dressing room with your little stubbies on. And y'all come out with the fucking bulges in your shorts because you've been <laughs> thinking about her from ABBA. It's fucking... It's not on. <laughs> and he says... He says, goes up to say, they were going out to play a match, men versus men. Testosterone levels were high. Ah, <laughs> erections. He says, you've got to hit people at pace. Fucking dancing queen. I wouldn't have minded if it had been one of Abba's faster ones. Gimme, <laughs> <laughs> gimme, give gimme give a man after fucking midnight. Could that you, I'd understand. Have you not got Summer Night City? <laughs> <laughs> uh. One of these... Um, I remember tales of this when he was at Sunderland at the time. One of his favourite things when things were going badly in the dressing room was to kick the tactics board over. Mm. And he mentions that in the book. Yeah. Uh, the kit man, Cookie, says he, he enjoyed that one too. If I came in angry at half time, I'd say to him, Cookie, get the tactics board up. He'd set it up and I'd kick it over, give it a karate kick. Yeah, he goes, I did a bit of a Bruce Lee on it. <laughs> I love it if he'd make the noise as well. <laughs> <laughs> he says he'd set it up by kicking it over give it a karate kick I, it would let off a bit of steam and by kicking the board I was telling the players that this particular game wasn't about tactics <laughs> <laughs> some are some aren't some are about music some are about the music of ABBA some are about <laughs> some, one day some might be about the music of Daft Punk who knows <laughs> every game's different lads that's what I'm trying to tell you that's why I kicked that fucking big board over he says sometimes you need the board but my point now was this has nothing to do with fucking tactics this is about how much you want it and they seem to want it more than you the championship is a lot less tactical than the premiership it's more about the characters in your dressing room and the music they play presumably mm. jalapeno um, living accommodation while he was at Sunderland he says, um, I rented a flat in Durham in a student area. I could go into the cafes because, generally speaking, students aren't that interested in football. So they, <laughs> so they hadn't a clue who I was. I'd be in bed at eight or nine anyway. I should have decorated the flat a bit more, made it more of a home. I wish I'd made more of an effort. I could have got a good telly, a nice sofa. But I ended up living like a student myself. Pot noodles and tins of beans. Excellent. 
So let's just let's just unpick that. So he's living in a student area, a flat in a student area, pr- presumably in, you know, student digs. Yeah. In Durham, he's what, he's not what, made any efforts. Why was he living in Durham? I mean, yeah, give us a your your northeast insight here. I mean. Where's Sunderland's training ground? Is it's, it in Sunderland? It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's on the outskirts of Sunderland. It's probably about a 30, 35 minute drive from so, so, Durham. Um, okay. But, you know, a, a lot of players and stuff don't actually live in Sunderland. They, yeah, they, they prefer live in to the be away. Yeah, from, yeah. just so they, don't get, so they don't get hassled. Yeah. And, and he's gone to student area. But imagine that, right? The students are going to fucking know who he is. Well, he says not. Students, he says, got their fucking heads in a book. Generally speaking, he says, students aren't that interested in football. Fucking (laughs) bollocks, that is. He's got that's sort of like a 1960s, 1970s kind of an idea he's got where all students are kind of like student grant out of viz, yeah, and they're kind of into left wing political activism, yeah. And uh, do you know, just think football is like some sort of opium of the masses. He's 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 kind of. Um, he's, he's living. I think it's like official university accommodation, actual digs. I reckon so. On yeah. campus, on campus. Imagine yeah. that. You yeah. start university and you, you, you go, your first day, it, don't you? You kind of you go into the kitchen, shared kitchen, try yeah. to sort of tentatively make friends with people. You get in your shopping out that your mum's giving you like a pint of milk and all the rest of it, and you're thinking, oh, what's so what are you studying? Oh, I'm studying geography. And then Fit Bird comes in, you think, oh, she's nice. What are you doing? Yeah. Oh, English. Oh, that's nice. And then suddenly, the door slams. <laughs> Who the fuck are all of you? Oh, hi. What's your name? Never mind what my fucking name is. Where's my fucking milk? And who's been using my fucking one spray fryer's delight? <laughs> what, are you, um, what are you studying? What am I studying? <laughs> um, PE. I've done a degree in PE. I ended up having to disguise myself as a student to blend in. <laughs> I went out and got a, a wee pair of them John Lennon round glasses they all fucking go around wearing, and a cardigan. <laughs> and a little stick-on chin beard. <laughs> Started smoking that marijuana stuff. It was fucking vile. <laughs> but, but I had, I had to, to do, do it. it. <laughs> I got myself, I was doing it again and again and again. I got myself a polo neck and a berry. <laughs> I, I started was... writing poems. In the end, I quite enjoyed it. <laughs> I found it a relaxing, relaxing way to pass the time before I went to bed at nine o'clock. And then the students would come in at three o'clock in the morning and wake me up. And I had to have a quiet word with a few of them. A few of them went home after that. They ended their degrees. I don't think that was my... I don't know what they're up to now. We don't stay in touch. <laughs> Sometimes I wish like we do, though. I'd like to. If they're reading this, drop me a line. <laughs> they were good times. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there's these there's these these student digs, and he's he says I should have decorated the flat a bit more. I wish I'd made more of an effort. I could have got a good telly, a nice sofa. So, what do you think he's got there? I mean, we know he's got a spider hole on the west coast of Ireland. Yeah, that's where he's happiest. Do you think it was a similar sort of so setup? He hasn't got a good telly. That suggests he's got a telly, but he's it's got not a, a good a 24 one. Twenty-four inch square oh, portable. It's not, it's not even widescreen. Yeah, it might be black and, it's and white. It's not even like flat screen. It's like no, it's an not. old one, big, big box with a big thing. ass on it. Yeah, yeah. big ass. <laughs> he's got that. He's got standard. He's just got the five channels, and even channel five, the receptions. Not he hasn't even got free view. He's just got coaxial in the back of the telly. Yeah, and an aerial. So he's just mainly watching. Probably, I watch a lot of uh, Channel Four stuff. Location, location, location—that kind of thing. Grand designs, Grand designs, fucking good program. 
Um, it was the polar opposite of the existence I was enjoying myself <laughs> yeah. at the time. So he's got a shit telly. It's just propped up on a copy of the Thompson's directory that he found in the stairwell. And he's just propped it up on that. He sleeps, presumably, on a bare floor like General Sir Michael I Jackson. Got, I, got, I got a portable aerial for the top of the TV, but it wasn't working out so good. So I had to go down to Argos and get a booster <laughs> for the signal. <laughs> Even then, it wasn't perfect. I got into a situation in Argos when I was there. <laughs> Because the, the, they were taking so long getting it out, you know, out from the warehouse out the back. I ended up, they, they brought the first one out and I fucking did a Bruce Lee on it, didn't I? <laughs> Kicked it across the room. I was trying to prove to them this wasn't about the booster. <laughs> it was about the characters you've got in there. <laughs> Who have you got out the back there? <laughs> Bring them out. Uh, I've got to be honest, the warehouse team down there at Durham Argos, I wasn't impressed. <laughs> Some of them were drinking fizzy pop, eating crisps. It was unprofessional. It was League Two stuff. <laughs> I thought to myself, welcome to hell. <laughs> I walked through the doors of that Argus. I took one look around. I thought to myself, welcome to hell. <laughs> so he's got the telly. He's got, he hasn't got a nice sofa, so I don't know what he's, like he says. Is he sleeping on the floor? Is he, what's he sitting He'll in, sleep in the on the floor. Has He'd he got a beanbag? He'd prefer it. Students have beanbags, well, he might have they? done that to try and blend in. Yeah. Give myself a wee beanbag. So I never got, sit in it, but you know. It looks right. He's got himself dressed up as a beatnik. He's writing poetry. He's sitting on a beatnik. I've got a wee, uh, wee beard. You know, they call it a soul patch. <laughs> just a wee beard just underneath your lower lip. Just a wee one. When I was a training and at matches, I'll just keep my fingers over it so nobody can see it. <laughs> no one passed comment. They knew better. <laughs> oh, God. So he's, and he's eating beans, which is not like him. I mean, remember the Pot days... noodles and beans. When he was at United and he went mad... And went on a fucking a Italian free diet. He went on that Italian yoga retreat with Ryan Giggs and Ryan Giggs's mates. I've often sorry, this is rewinding a bit, but we did, right. when he went on that trip, which we talked about on a previous episode with Giggs in the summer, you just think Giggs went off with. He actually says Giggs was going with a load of his mates to some retreat, right? And you can just imagine it's like when a school bully, right? You're you're taught you're you're at school and you're talking about a party that's going on that night. Yeah. And you go, oh, yeah, we're going to yeah, yeah. And the school bully suddenly wants to be friends. He's going, Where's that where's that party? And that's the moment you realise this bully is quite lonely. Yeah, he's, le- he's letting his guard him, down for you've once. Never yeah. him like that before. You realise probably that's why he's a bully. Yeah. It's because he's lonely and he can't connect with people on any other level. So he just lashes but out. Now he's showing a vulnerability because yeah. he sidled up and he's going, Did I hear you saying you were going to a party? Mm. Uh yeah. Oh what 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 time you're meeting then? Yeah, I yeah. might come. And you're too scared to say no you can't. Because he's a bully. Come. No, yeah. you can't come, you cunt, we hate you. Yeah. Right? Or no, maybe we don't hate you, but we're just scared of you and you'll make it all weird. Yeah. And that's what happened with Giggs and Keith. Because Giggs retreat. is arranging it and he goes, What's that you're talking about? I heard you on your phone. <laughs> what? Ryan! Ryan! I know you can hear me, Ryan. What's that you're talking about on the phone there with your pals? You're going to Italy. What's that? Yoga, is it? Yeah. And a, and a vegan. What? Oh, I, I like the idea of that. When are you going? Yeah, get put me down for a ticket. <laughs> and he's going, oh, uh, well, you know, uh, I'm not I'm not sure if there's... No, oh, go on, it's fine. I'll pay my own way. That's what you're fucking worried about. It's good enough for you, it's good enough for me. I need to get in shape. Come on, put me down for a ticket. We'll have a crack. We'll have a good crack. Who's going? Are your pals? Yeah, they'll love it if I'm there. Tell them I'm coming. They'll be excited to meet me. I'll be there. I'll meet you at the fucking airport. And he's like, oh, at the airport, they're all there and they're fucking really excited. And going away. And then suddenly one of them goes, Ryan, is that uh, Ryan? All right, lads. Yeah, I, I, d- I didn't, I didn't know how to tell you. 
Is he coming with us? <laughs> yeah, he's coming with us. For the whole two weeks? Yeah. Fuck. Fucking hell. <laughs> He's just standing there, stare. He's not, Brian. No, he has not stopped staring at me. Like he hasn't blinked for the R last five minutes. Right, right, Ryan. Why is he wearing a Hawaiian shirt? <laughs> we're going to a yoga retreat. <laughs> All right, lads. We're going off on a holiday together. <laughs> Why is he got playing that weird mandolin? <laughs> Getting in the fucking holiday spirit, you miserable cunts. <laughs> hey, I hope you fucking cheer up, or we're going to have a shake time out there, aren't we? All right, 7 a.m. Bars open. Let's have a pint. <laughs> yeah, like, tradition. Oh no, there's a psychopath on our holiday. <laughs> it's going to be so, di and then the whole holiday must have been so difficult for them. <laughs> uh, and you've, you've gone there with high hopes. It's going to be such a good laugh in the evening. And he's, and he's detoxing from meat as well, so he's yeah, been so permanently be really livid. Grumpy. And in the evening, you, rather than get together like you were going to in the evenings and have, you know have a drink, or if they're trying to be healthy, maybe have a an ice cream and play fucking cards or something they're just like I'm going straight to bed they were going to bed at 6pm every night calling their wives texting wife. each other yeah texting each other and group. calling their wives just going oh, no to be honest it's not really going that well I mean Ryan brought his workmate Roy with him and he's a bit of a fucking nightmare lads he's out in the corner lads where are you are you asleep already come on I got fucking travel scrabble here <laughs> Do you want to play Travel Scrabble, you cunt? It comes in. Wake up! <laughs> it comes into breakfast in the morning. Morning, everybody! How's y'all feeling? How's your yeah. iron levels feeling? I can feel my dropping. Right, 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 right. You can't feel iron in you. Yeah. I fucking can. I can. <laughs> and also, like, one night they'd have all WhatsApped each other and sort of tried to make a plan that they could go out into the town. Yeah. But they'll wait for him. They go. Usually, he's back in his room by eight. I don't know what's going on in there, but there's a lot of banging around and crashing. And you hear him shouting like something about Yaffle. I don't know if he's on the phone or what. But once he's doing that, once yeah. he sort he settles into a sort of a, a mad tantrum in his room at around eight, and that goes on for about an hour. And in the end, and then I it think goes quiet. He ties himself out. <laughs> And that's when we can get out. And they're all fucking sneaking out and they're thinking it's fine. And then he fucking sees them. Lads! Oh, no. Oh, hi, Roy. Where the fuck are you going, Nate? We were just going for a stroll into town. Thanks for fucking telling me, you cunts. We thought you were asleep. I wasn't asleep. <laughs> You're never asleep. Not, fucking... not wholly. Hold up one minute. Hold on. I go and get my shirt on and my wee guitar and I come with you. And they're like, oh, fuck it. Some of them are just going, actually, I've changed my mind and going back. You fucking miserable cunt. You know you're ruining this holiday. I haven't seen you smile once. <laughs> Worst thing. This, this is it. it. The next notable moment in the book, he's a solo manager. Um, he has a confrontation with the, the winger, Liam Lawrence. Uh, Lawrence is complaining because I think he got... He got um, substituted in a practice match during training and he kicked off a bit with Roy about mm. it which doesn't seem like a very good thing to do so he must have a death wish or something so it, it ends up in Kane's office and he says the two of us were shouting at each other in the office I think now it would have been wise to have someone else present if I thought there was going to be a confrontation or a contract a contract issue or a plane wanted to leave someone to witness the conversation all the he said this and mm. I said that Um. Other players had to stand on the sideline to give another player a run out. That's all there was to it. It's as simple as that. But Liam was going, I'm not putting up with all this. Hmm. It was a proper shouting match. It was more than that. It was intense. Well. I think I might have grabbed him. <laughs> I think. 
Now I can't remember exactly, but uh, just put Roddy. Just write. I think I might have grabbed him. Put and that. then he's put. There might have been a bit of grappling when he started to leave the office. <laughs> I had a wee grapple. Nothing more. Nothing There's a little, just you know, just a couple of fellas having a wrestle. <laughs> just letting off a little bit of steam. I tell you what, it would have been nice if Nicky Butt had been there to referee. That's all I'm saying. We were alone, but everyone in the other offices would have heard us. <laughs> because, you know, we have a, a, li- a little bit of a grapple. People in the other What's offices. Going on out there. He's <laughs> right. Roy's pinned Liam Lawrence to the floor, and he's sort of just squashing his face into the carpet. <laughs> he's cutting his hair. He's cutting his hair off. He's like he's doing that thing where he lets a f- he pins his arms with his knees, and then he lets a flob dangle out of his mouth, so it's almost touching Liam Lawrence's face, and then at last minute sucks it back up. <laughs> uh, I used to do that to them. It's a good technique. Fergie taught me that. Focuses their minds. <laughs> it's the jeopardy. You got to get them focused on the jeopardy. They don't know if you're going to suck it back up in time. <laughs> but I was an expert at doing this. You can imagine him. I never once let the flab touch them, to be fair. <laughs> I'd had it done to me as a kid. And now I was doing it to Liam Lawrence. It's the circle of life, isn't it? <laughs> Put like, that, Roddy, I like that. I like that film there. It's that deep. film, The Fucking Lion King. That's a great film, that. Have you seen that, Roddy? <laughs> you should watch it. It's a great fucking film. It's my favourite ever fucking film. It's lions, but if you think about them as people... It all makes sense, really, because really lions are just like people, but with extra extra couple of legs. See that cunt scar? <laughs> See that cunt scar? If he came tr- around m- trying to kill my father, I'd fucking rip the cunt's head off. Scar! Scarless quiraz, my like. Yeah, that's who the cunt reminded me of. <laughs> so the, he- the wee baby lion, that's me. His father, that's Fergie. Scar, that's fucking queer. It's coming between us with his fucking mind games. <laughs> and Roddy's like, okay, right. I, we've been through this before. I, will, I promise you, I will watch. I sent it to you. I sent you the DVD on fucking Amazon or whatever the fuck it's called. I got the DVD. Let's. We really need to crack on because the publisher has been in touch about the deadline. <laughs> Fine. Just write that I like the Lion King. I want that on record. <laughs> so you're saying I can't do a whole chapter about the Lion King? <laughs> Not really, Roy. We, we need to try and keep this down to you know, 70,000 words if we can. But uh, <laughs> uh, I'll do another book with someone else. <laughs> I'll do a book with Andy Crane or Philip Schofield, one of them fellas. They you know the, all about the kids' films. They're the ones you know about what f- people want to fucking write, read about. <laughs> Not you with your fucking bullshit. I can imagine he, he maybe consulted Graham Souness when he had this... this HR problem with Liam Lawrence. <laughs> he really soon as. What shall I do, Graham? I got a play. He's gone out of line. He's out of order. What shall I do? <laughs> uh, uh, I think you should beat him up, Roy. Get him in your office. Beat him up. <laughs> I will, Graham. I will. Thanks for the advice. Uh, I was fucking hoping you'd say that, like. <laughs> That's why I rang you. <laughs> So that was Liam Lawrence dealt with. Uh, we've run out of time for this episode. Oh my we've god! Got, We're not even through fucking Sunday. We have still got Ipswich we've, and we've, Ireland. We've got a list of thirty uh, points that we've raised in the book from the beginning of this episode. We've got through five of them. So I think <laughs> I think this 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 Roy Kane Odyssey could go on to about ten episodes, possibly. Yeah. If the listeners want that, let us know on Twitter yeah. at TF Time Machine. Tell us because we we are here to serve you. And to serve your needs. If you want it, we'll give it you. If you don't want it, we might we'll give, give it, it anyway. you anyway. 
Either right. way, you're going to hear a lot more about this, and don't. And then we're moving on to fucking Keegan. So buckle up. And if the, the Keen episodes suddenly disappear from the website, um, we all know what happened. <laughs> the Keen Odyssey. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is part four, I think, of our Keen Odyssey. Our deep dive into Roy Keane's second autobiography. Um, the second half. That's what it's called, yeah. Subtitled, you can stick your fucking skateboard. Yeah. We're up to the part now. So he's the manager of Sunderland. He's been at Sunderland for a little while. He's uh, he's had an office chair that swivels around. He's had a little fight in his office with Liam Lawrence, a bit of a grapple. He's been living as a student in Durham. And um, the next notable bit in the book is a post-match conversation where uh, he, he says... Um, a year later, Blackburn came up to the stadium alight. Mark Hughes, who I'd played with at United, was managing Blackburn, and they beat us 2-1. They robbed us. Everyone was listening to the conversation between myself and Mark in my office after the game. He asked me where I lived. Durham. How long does it take you to get from Manchester to Durham? About two and a half hours. How many miles is it? Door to door. I'm not knocking him. I've got time for Sparky. But we couldn't <laughs> be ourselves. And he says, you can't express the feelings you've got in front of the other team's managers and staff. So he says, uh, I answered him, 138, I think it was. (laughs) (laughs) When he left, my staff were going, what the fuck was that about? (laughs) Sparky, for a man whose nickname is Sparky, and I don't know why, people all know why, I don't know why, he's... Yeah, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that he is a bit of a dullard. Yeah. He comes across that way, doesn't he? Yeah. But that is another example of why this book is so good and why we're devoting so much time to it, is that that kind of insight you don't fucking get in other football memoirs. No. Like, that is... He's obviously he's writing it that with Roddy Doyle, who's a very good novelist and has an eye and a, and a and an instinct for the tiny little details of human behaviour that are revealing and compelling. and And that's the sort of thing that you wouldn't get in a normal football book. But it's just like a little lander. You think, that's fucking fascinating. It's so awkward. They've just gone up against each other and there's this weird tradition um, that they have to get together and they don't fucking want to, but they have to get together and have a drink with each other. There's always that story about 
Arsene Wenger was the only one who didn't go and have a glass of wine yeah. or whatever. And so he, he, went, saw, he went up there anyway, though. Yeah, but you, he went up to his office anyway. You, you fucking still have a look. Yeah, just have a look around. But you, you think about it and you think, yeah, well, fucking Wenger was right because the whole thing, as Roy Keane right says, is completely contrived and awkward, yeah. a waste of time, and it's painful for everyone concerned. We haven't got to the Wenger bit actually. That's probably to come later in this episode. Yeah, but yeah. He, he, he says uh, Steve, he, the only one he rates in that situation is Steve Cotterell. He goes, he was managing Burnley. Um, after the game, uh, everyone he goes. Usually, whether you win, lose, or draw, you have to put on a front and be friendly, even if it's the last thing you feel like. Yeah. Oh yeah, well played. Who've got next week and all that? He goes. But Steve came in. He said, um, uh, and he went. Uh, all right, lads. All right. Steve Cotterell talks like this, you know. All right. All right, lads. <laughs> and he put. Then he put his head on his desk and he went, "You fucking lucky bastards." <laughs> You fucking lucky, lucky <laughs> bastards robbed us. <laughs> and Roy says, it was brilliant. He was being himself, honest. He wasn't going, well done, lads. Good game. Here's a Diet Coke, Roy. Well played. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> Weird that he's really specific about here's a Diet what, Coke. What kind of pot noodle do you want, Roy? He goes, we all do it. We all, we all go, the fucking bastards. But only after the other team have got on their bus and gone home. But Steve did it in front of us. We all relaxed. We were laughing. So there you go. He rates uh, Cottrell, but not so much Husey. But that's the thing, though. Him, him and Hughes that have had conversations in the past, personal conversations as, as teammates, but because they've got staff around them, they don't feel as though they can be themselves in the way they want to be. Yeah. So uh, how many miles is it door-to-door? <laughs> I, don't, I think it's about 138. <laughs> how, many, uh, how many miles is that as the crow flies? Do you know? <laughs> uh, I don't think I've looked that up. I'm not sure. I'm not sure, Mark. <laughs> can, you, can you can you do it one way on a full tank of petrol, or do you need to stop? What are the services like on route? Well, generally I stop at Weatherby Services. <laughs> it's quite it's quite close to the destination when I'm coming from Manchester, but it's a very well laid out service station. It's got the Costa, it's got an M and S, it's got a Greggs. <sighs> You can. It's got an outdoor Greggs, like a little hut. You can. You can serve a Greggs. You don't need to go indoors or use the toilets or anything like that. You can serve a sausage roll and a cup of coffee and be on your way within a couple of minutes. Go on, those arcades. You know the ones with the dancing machine and and the, and the towers light up like in that video. What's it called now? Billy Jean. Billy Jean's that my lover. <laughs> And and all the tyres are lighting up and you have to follow them with your feet. And they, they go faster and faster and faster. They yeah. speed the music up the more you do. And you get points. You get points and you, you're, out, you're on there like fucking Bruce Farsight doing a tap dance. <laughs> I'm on there on the top score. I'm number two and number five on the top score at the moment. You ever go past this, Mark? You try and beat my top score. You on won't way back. be able to. You do it on the way back. Carl in Seagull. <laughs> give me a call. Tell me how you've done. If you get top ten, I'll give you hundred pounds. <laughs> Because <laughs> I tell you, I put the hours in, <laughs> and they got the they got the machines as well. But it's it's not for the kiddies. They got the bit where it's roped off, and you got to be over eighteen to go in. I like to go in there. I like to be among adults. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> if you want, if you got the time, then you can play a game of space hockey. You know, air hockey, and you're knocking the fucking disc up and down. You can get fucking fierce on those games, by the way. <laughs> And get ugly. <laughs> you know how I approach everything, Sparky. I approach to fucking win. Sometimes I play that with lorry drivers. Strangers. <laughs> I look at them, they look at me. We both know what we both want. We both take our shirts off first. <laughs> That's how you know it's serious. And then Stop we bang the kiddies. And then we get together, we bang that fucking disc up and down the table for <laughs> half an hour. Growling. Like fucking angry bears. Like adults. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's good to be around adults all the time. Adult bears. <laughs> Not the wee teddy bears. They're pathetic. Oh, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll call in there. I'll call in there, Roy. Yeah, that sounds pretty good, yeah. This is it! The next notable bit, there's... Um, <laughs> again, again, it's about talking to other managers after matches and he has a conversation with Ian Holloway. He yeah. also talks like Steve Cottrell. Yeah. <laughs> Ian Holloway was managing Plymouth, he says. I didn't get a real chance to celebrate the victory because Ian pulled me into a meeting to tell me all about the problems he was having getting training facilities. I was thinking, I don't give a shit about your training facilities. I just want a, <laughs> g- a game of football. I don't give a shit about your training facilities. You're fucking bumpkin. <laughs> Thing is, Roy, I can't even get cones that match. <laughs> I mean, Plymouth's a lovely club, lovely people, and there's a, you know, a lovely chairman and everything like that. Great family atmosphere, but there's just not the budget. I can't get cones. I, some, some of the cones are blue. Some <laughs> of the cones are red. There's like 17 red, 9 blue, and I, I can't put them out in a formation. It's, so confusing. It st- it's confusing for the lads. It's confusing for the lads. It's, it's playing havoc with my OCD. <laughs> So what happens next? Uh, he tries to sign David Nugent. Oh, I remember this vividly. It was going to be our big summer transfer. Yeah. I think it was um, our first season in the Premier League. But he runs into trouble because he's um, uh, Nugent can't decide because he's waiting for an offer, a counter-offer from Portsmouth. Yeah. And that fucks Roy off. It, well, it would do, wouldn't it? No disrespect to Portsmouth, but Sunderland's a considerably bigger football club. Yeah. Um, the weather's not as good, but you know. Uh, and Harry Redknapp was in charge of Portsmouth at the time, so Nugent was being lured by God knows what from Harry Redknapp, and it went on and on for weeks and weeks. Uh, so this had gone on for three or four weeks. He's waiting for for Redknapp to decide if he wanted to buy Nugent, and I think it was um, I think it was Nugent's agent who said. Uh, he said, just to put you in the picture, Harry's away this weekend on his wedding anniversary. He's been married for 40 or 50 years. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> hell. He to was, his Sandra. Yeah. And he wants to speak to David when he gets back. I said, I'll tell you what, I've waited three or four weeks and now you're asking me to wait because of Harry Redknapp's wedding anniversary. We're pulling out of the deal. <laughs> Fuck Harry Redknapp's fucking wedding anniversary. I don't care if he's been married for a hundred fucking years. <laughs> Fucking anniversary. What is he, a fucking child? Look, if it's a silver one or a golden one, I don't give a fuck. All you do is you have a party, you go to the local pub, you hide upstairs room, you have a bit of a, an ease up, and then you go about your business. You carry on. <laughs> it's the summer, it's the time when football deals are done, so you just get on with it. Just have your little party. You don't. Where's he gone anyway? Where's he gone? You go up there, you have your sausage rolls, you have your mini sausages. Yeah, maybe, I don't know, beer and house wine. If there's some people there who want to drink the wine, like... And you, but anything else, spirits, no, that's not part of it. You, no. you got to pay for them yourself. No. And and that's it. That's done. A nice beige buffet. Sausage rolls, pasties. Pastry all Garlic around. bread. All of that sort of stuff. None of this prawns nonsense. No one fucking wants a prawn. <laughs> you don't need to bother with all that fucking foreign shite. And you don't need a DJ either. Just put a CD on. Put whatever the, the latest now one is. What are they up to now? Now 19? Put that on. <laughs> fucking ridiculous, you know. I remember fucking now one. I bought now one. On tip. <laughs> For my Walkman. What I'm saying is, David, fuck yourself. Fuck you and your skateboard. You can fucking skateboard down to Portsmouth for all I care. We're pulling out of the deal. 
Well, you dodged a bullet anyway because he was uh, not was very good. Rubbish, he, yeah. he couldn't cut the mustard in the Premier League, David. I'm trying to think who we got instead. We ended up getting Gibral Cissé, but Better. that was just that was just on loan. Um, I like Cissé. He was a bit mad. Yeah, he was. Um, he, he, he bought the title of Lord Cece of Frodsham or something like that when right. he was living up there when Good he was at lad. Liverpool he bought himself a title you got to admire anybody that does that yeah like uh, Chris Eubank did that as well didn't he made yeah. himself Earl of Brighton yeah. or Baron of Brighton or something yeah. brilliant put it on the side of his truck yeah this is it yeah and then the, the Wenger thing that we were um, mentioned earlier on he said we weren't invited for a drink with Arsene Wenger at the Arsenal game apparently he's not one for that tradition but I went in anyway <laughs> I'm fucking going up there anyway what the fuck's Where he is up it? to up there fucking I... fiddling with himself is he <laughs> after the game I bet that's what he's up to the filthy cunt I'll go up and catch him at it you should you see the fucking look in his face when I walk in and see him fiddling with himself I don't care if the door's locked I'll kick it in I'll kick it in what are you doing in there Arsene you're looking yourself in the mirror fiddling with your wee fucking prick. It's disgusting. Let me in, it's Roy Keane. <laughs> fucking hell, have be a man. This is football. <laughs> it's not Weatherby Services. <laughs> Come on now. What the hell do you think you're doing? Come on now, you're a grown man. Get the wine out. You're not a teenager now. <laughs> You know, it's fine when you're a teenager to be fucking fiddling with yourself left, after right the, and centre. After the football's been on. Football's relaxing. To your man, you've got responsibilities. Yeah, we all need to wind down in different ways, but this is unacceptable. <laughs> I'm sure there's a code of conduct in the Premier League. <laughs> I mean, in France it might be normal, but you're in England now. You've been here for fucking years. Come on. Show yourself. Not like that. <laughs> He says, uh, I went in anyway, I wanted to meet him. I look at some managers and I think, the experience they have, it comes out of their paws. It wasn't coming out of his paws, I can tell you that. I tell you what, was coming out of his paws. <laughs> it was fucking disgusting too. <laughs> so we walked in and he was in, it says. We walked in, he was surprised but dead nice. Mon Dieu! Mon Dieu, c'est Rockin! That's right. Say Roy Keane. I'm a manager now. I'm one of you. That's right, you cunt. <laughs> Remember me from the tunnel when you're throwing the pizzas around and all that shite. <laughs> when you had that lad Patrick Vieira. Bullying my little friend Gary Neville. When you used to let that fella Patrick Vieira walk around here having it off with ghosts. <laughs> it's no way to run a football club. If I knew one of my players was trying to secretly have sex with ghosts... Do you know what I'd do? I'd suspend him. I'd dock him two weeks' wages. And now you're sitting here rubbing yourself after the football match. What kind of organisation you're running here? Nothing surprises me. This is London. This is why I never fucking manage a London club. It's like fucking Soho around here. <laughs> what you got going on? It's not like fucking sex clubs, not football clubs. I've never seen anything like it in all my life. It's not like this in Cork. <laughs> this is it. So next up, what have we got? Another, en- <laughs> another encounter post-match with another manager or staff member. Uh, the game at Reading, just before Christmas, was the only time I really lost my temper as a manager. I'd lost my temper... <laughs> Bollocks. <laughs> he's already fucking given us... Even like In the last chat, the last fucking episode, he was having a fight on the floor with Liam Lawrence. And he's kicking tactics and balls kicking tactics And he's going, this was the only... Honestly, I never <laughs> lost my temper. It's the only time. Uh, he says, the game at Reading was the only time I really lost my temper. 
So he's, he's qualified there with really. He said, I'd lost my temper before, but I'd used my temper. This time, I used physical force. <laughs> Which is unlike me. <laughs> I grabbed a staff member, put his head on the table, and tried to pull his tie off. But he was a Reading staff member, not one of ours. <laughs> oh, my God. I wonder if that was acceptable for him to do it within his own staff yeah. members if they expected to bully your own employees. He roughed up a little bit after a match. Um, Steve Koppel was managing Reading and he had a couple of lads working with him Wally Downs and Kevin Dillon. I looked across at their dugout and Kevin Dillon was looking back across calling me a wanger. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell. <laughs> Who the fuck is this Kevin Dillon bloke? Jesus. Hard lad, Kevin Dillon. Yeah. Hard lad. Uh, I go, what, me? He goes, yeah, yeah, you're always on at the fucking referee. I said nothing back. Yeah. I never got involved with opposition managers or staff. Never. We got to half time and I'm walking back to the tunnel beside Kevin Dillon and I say, are you calling me a wanker? Are you calling me a wanker? And he goes, well, you're always on at the referee. I said, I never said fuck all to the referee. Who the fuck are you calling a wanker? <laughs> it's building up. But I went to our dressing room and thought no more of it. The second half and we're robbed again in injury time. Stephen Hunt got a shot in and the linesman on the far side reckoned it was over the line. It wasn't, but the goal was given. It was another big, big loss for us. At the end of the game, walking down the stairs, I saw Wally down shaking all my players' hands. Unlucky lads. You generally don't see staff shaking the other team's hands. I said nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I said nothing. It had been a big win for Reading. There was a lot of celebrating. I went into our dressing room. I wasn't annoyed with the players more than the decision. I spoke to the players and staff. Okay, we're all upset, but whatever we do, we're Sunderland. We show a bit of class. We accept the decision. We move on and get ready for next week. The players were getting themselves organised and I was waiting for my staff to go in for a drink with Steve Coppel and the Reading lads. I didn't want to, but I kept thinking, we're Sunderland, we'll do things properly. <laughs> well, they might catch them touching themselves as well, why them in there? I like to fucking keep an eye on them. Find out what they're fucking up to, because you never know. I like to see their hands. <laughs> hands on the tables, Everyone, lads. hands on the fucking tables Roy's now. coming in. <laughs> the staff were taking ages, so I said, I'll go on, lads, follow me in. <laughs> <laughs> so he invited himself in. He was probably doing that thing you see in Vietnam movies where yeah. he makes hand signals. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, puts two fingers out and then points forward. Yeah. I walked into Steve's office. Wally Downs was there and their director of football, Nick Hammond. Kevin Dillon was sitting down. But can I, look, I just want to quickly show you because I'm thinking, who the fuck is this mad cunt, Kevin, Kevin Dillon, Dillon yeah. to be looking at Roy Keane during a game and calling him a wanker? Yeah. So I found a great picture. Uh, obviously this is oh. useless to our uh, uh, listeners but I will Fucking tweet it hell. out where he just looks like a he looks Mentalist. like a man who'd be willing to take on yeah. Roy Keane so uh, I go well done lads well done Wally was right in front of me and I said Wally do you always shake players hands after you've just beaten them and he goes yeah Roy yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> he's picking them out one by one isn't he and as I was talking to Wally Kevin Dillon stood up and goes don't you come in here and I grabbed him got his head on the table pulled his tie up <laughs> I'm fucking warning you Nick Hammond grabbed me what are you doing you fucking get out of our office <laughs> I went, <laughs> I went, fuck yous anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Like, about one paragraph earlier, he's going, no, we're Sunderland. We're class. We're class. <laughs> we do things the right way. No I had his head what. on the table. I had and his I head on the table. Fucking <laughs> hell. Dylan said, what are you having to go at me for? I'm a Sunderland man. Which he is. He's originally from Sunderland. Uh, I went, fuck you. And I walked out. <laughs> My staff hadn't come in yet. 
<laughs> that makes that... Kevin Dillon sound like a shitbag, doesn't yeah. it? Because it's like he's yeah. given it the mouth, yeah. And then as soon as Roy's kicked off, yeah, he's, he's gone. gone oh, I'm Sunderland. Oh, I'm Sunderland. Oh, don't start hurt me. me. I'm Sunderland. But we, you know, Kevin Dillon's not here to defend himself. No, and no. I don't expect Roy Keane to have given a fully kind of objective perspective on it. I like how that's the first time in any of this we've said such and such isn't here to defend themselves after <laughs> we've just basically rewritten Roy Keane's well, life. I, the reason I've said that is because Professor Yaffle's not been here to defend himself. And that's we, true. We did hear from Professor Yaffle's agent. His people. Yeah. yeah. And they said, listen, there's a right to reply issue here, which we will address if not in this episode. There is possibly going to be an episode at the end of all this where we sit down with Yaffle and go through all the various points and yeah. get, his, get his side of the story. Just in the interests of balance. Yeah, of course. He said, <laughs> I wasn't going back to Sunderland that night with the players. I was going up to Manchester, so I had a car ri- waiting for me to take me via Weatherby Services. <laughs> my phone went off ten minutes later. It was one of my staff. Everything all right, Gaffer? So he's basically attacked Dylan and then left without saying anything to any of his staff. <laughs> So they don't know what's happened. He said, I hadn't given them a heads up about what had happened in Steve Cottle's office. They'd followed me in after I'd left. All right, lads, I said. And somebody said, your manager has just attacked one of our staff. <laughs> and apparently Raymond van der Gau, our goalkeeping coach, said, well, can we still have a sandwich? <laughs> Good man. That's exactly what I'd be thinking. I'd be like, look, fine, whatever's happened, happened. But yeah. If you fucking done me out of my post-match yeah. sandwich, I won't be happy. <laughs> well, you have a to, which, to which, to which they said, "No, I think it's best if you leave." Oh fucking hell! God, can you imagine Steve Coppel having to sit back and watch that happen? Yeah, because he's a he, sensitive fella, isn't he? Steve Coppel's a troubled man, anyway. Yeah, he's always got. He's always had that worried look on his face, yeah. hasn't he? Like he's on the verge. He's a, he's anxious. He's you know looks very often like he might. It's be about to cry holding his head going no yeah. no yeah, yeah. no because when, stop when, when he was younger Roy! I thought he was going to be a future England manager because yeah. you know he had a great Palace team and then he did alright at a few other clubs he was at City for a while and did alright and it, no, it was City for 33 days and then it oh, got yeah, too much and he had a goal yeah yeah that was it that was it and then so <laughs> obviously he has anxiety issues there's mental health issues or whatever but other than that, aside from that, he was I think he was a good manager undone by some sort of anxiety. When he was on the up, he was very much on the up, wasn't he? Yeah. And so that's why when you think of him being thrust into this sort of situation, it is horrible. Because it would have he would have really upset him. He would have when it all started kicking off, he would have just gone it curled up into a ball <clears> and started beating himself on the head and yeah, crying. Yeah. Or covering his ears oh, or something like that. Ah, ah, yeah. ah, Very rain that man. Kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. As um as Keane pressed Kevin Dillon's head down on the on the desk. Yeah. Jalapeno. There's a story everyone knows really, which is about when uh, he almost signed Robbie Savage for Sunderland. And he'd been in touch. Was it Mark Hughes? Was it Blackburn? I think he was, wasn't he? And he'd said, yeah. Hughes had said, you know, it's not working out here for him, but it could definitely do a job for you at Sunderland. Which sounds to me as if he's kind of saying, well, you know, fucking have him. Fobbing him off. Yeah. Yeah, he's no good for us, but he'd be good enough for you, you prick. Uh, Sparty gave me permission to give him a call. So I got Robbie's mobile number and rang him. It went to his voicemail. Hi, it's Robbie! <laughs> What's up? <laughs> <laughs> like the Budweiser ad. <laughs> I never called him back. I thought, I can't be fucking signing that. Yeah. He, so he turned him down on the basis of a voicemail. Give a voicemail. But that's quite astute. This is what it's about. It's about not signing players that you've seen on YouTube a few times. It's about getting inside their heads and 
trying to work out if their characteristics are going to fit your football club and your ethos. This is it! There's a nice little mention here when uh, Sunderland play uh, at Wigan and they win a good, tough, ugly result. We all like one of them. But then we went and got beat by Portsmouth. Carnu came on as a sub and I think some of our lads were being dead nice to him. <laughs> they weren't tackling him or aggressive enough. And that's Carnu in a nutshell, isn't it? Because he's just a lovely fella. We've, you we've established this before. You wouldn't be able to, would you? I mean, he's a giant, for one thing, so... <laughs> yeah, I mean... You, yeah, you, you can't get near his face. You wouldn't want to take him on anyway, but also, if you knew what you knew... Do you know what I mean? Like about his lonely about times. His, his, at exactly. Arsenal, There's the sadness driving around. The, the sadness, sadness in his, his eyes. eyes yeah. The yeah. Sadness in his eyes. Yeah. You'd be like, I can't fucking hurt a man like this. Yeah. They might have been warming up, warming up before the match, and sort of overhearing Carnu, or maybe not overhearing. He might have just been warming up by himself in the corner. Because yeah. perhaps he didn't make all that many friends. Quite socially awkward. Yeah. Possibly because of his height. Yeah. Or he might have been, like you say, talking to some of the lads about the problems he's having with the, the one-way system in Portsmouth and yeah. higher yeah. cars, because P- Portsmouth and London are two different animals altogether, aren't they? You know, if you're driving around Portsmouth, it's it's not the same as, as driving around near Highbury. Well, I know the Portsmouth. I know Portsmouth quite well because of the amount of time I spend in the Isle of Wight. Right. So there is a tricky one-way That's something system. you don't want to go into, though. It's, it's a tax the version thing or I, let's just say it's not entirely to attacks although it, there are legal reasons it's, there's a, it's an issue with the government whereby they have made it uh, they they forced me into a situation where I'm obliged to spend 60% of the year on the Isle of Wight yeah so right, okay. let's leave it at that. So you do spend a lot of time in Portsmouth. There's a one-way system in Portsmouth that can get tricky and confusing but would probably that would be welcomed by Carmo. Yeah, because it's, it's a just, challenge. You just keep going round and round. It's it is a mental challenge, possibly. Yeah. It's a bus it's a puzzle. Li- bus lanes. Sam. Many bus every lanes. road, to, every city is a puzzle. Who said that? Are you Carno? Yeah. <laughs> I see every city simply as a puzzle. You see a city as a place to live or work. I see it I as see a gigantic it. puzzle to be unlocked. Yeah. To be, to be solved. solved. Yeah. <laughs> I solved the puzzle of London. Now I shall solve Portsmouth. It is the ambition of myself, Carnu, to visit every major city in the British Isles. <laughs> and solve it. And tackle their puzzles. Yeah. <laughs> On four wheels. Even Norwich. <laughs> but I will, leave, I will leave Norwich to last. <laughs> this is it! It was all starting to go wrong for Roy at Sunderland because um, now Quinn had been the chairman when he took over and then we got a new um, a new owner who's a Texan billionaire called Ellis Short um, he used to wear a cowboy hat he used to do finger guns he used to shout yeah what a nightmare I mean that sort of conduct in, I might have made that up in Sunderland they don't you don't you're not keen on that kind of carry on are you well you'd be surprised because the line dancing was quite big for a while Really? In the late 90s, in some of the so uh, social ca- clubs. You don't mind cowboys? I've got no objection to cowboys at all. But if someone started carrying on with the finger pounding and the yee-haws, because, you know, you Sunderland folk, you pride yourselves on being quite understated and undramatic. Mm-hmm. You don't like... like to, um, you don't like showing off, do you? We like to let loose now and again, though. At weekends. But not in a showy-offy way. Well, if, if, if that's what happens, then that's what happens. But yeah, that, that was Ella Short. So he, he tapped into our, our yearning to be cowboys. And he, he was one. He was a Texan. Yeah. And he had shitloads of money, so we liked that as well. So uh, Roy says about him, Ella Short was more hands-on than, than Quinn had been. 
there were more phone calls than previously. I got used to that, but I don't think... I wonder if the phone calls came through as regularly as Kane was able to take them with his, his problem with the phone What's system. What's the fucking machine making the noise for it again? Ring, 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 ring in my fucking head. Someone come in here and stop it. It's it's ringing again. There's a light. and which what, Do I press the button with the lines on? I pick it up and I fucking drop kick the cunt out the window. <laughs> Niall would come in and say, it's the, it's the eighth fucking phone you've smashed this week. <laughs> we can't afford it. They got me a new phone in just for the phone calls from the new owner. It was red like the one in Batman. And it used to light up. <coughs> there were no line buttons or anything on I it. I like that. Or any numbers or any dials. I just had to pick it up and speak to him. It was simple. It made things better. So he says... Uh, there were more phone calls. I don't think he knew much about football. He dropped me the odd text. You're playing the Gunners, man. You've got to beat them. <laughs> Can you imagine what Roy Kicker? fuck? <laughs> Who's this? Who's sending me this? Is it one of the students from Durham? One of my old mates. Oh, it's quite nice. I haven't heard from him for a while. No. It's some fella called Ellis. <laughs> kind of a name's that for a man? It might be a student, actually. <laughs> You're playing the Gunners, man. You've got to beat them. The fucking Gunners. I don't recognise nicknames. I never have and I never will. <laughs> They're stupid. They're childish. And he rang me a few times at the training ground as well. Can you imagine that? Oh, God. Hey, Roy. How's it going? Hey, coach. Yeah. Co- coach Roy. That's yeah. what we call him. <laughs> coach Roy. It's Ellis here. <laughs> What's the situation down on the ground there? Ground zero. What's the situation with the guys? Uh, I, I, I didn't say anything. <laughs> I, I, I'm busy at the moment. I'm in the middle of a very intense training session. I lied. I was at Weatherby Services playing under air hockey. I was about to do me dancing. <laughs> so uh, it started to get really tense. Um... Ellis Short wasn't happy with the amount of time Kane was spending at Sunderland. Uh, he said, uh, your location, where you live, you need to move up here with your family. I was in the third year of a three-year contract. The arrangement, the flat in Durham, my family in Manchester, had suited everybody till now. And it certainly suited me because I had an alternative lifestyle that nobody knew about. I was spending <laughs> all my time in the student digs. By this time, the Xbox had come out <laughs> on the market and I was playing FIFA most nights with it, the lads. What it was was, it was a machine and you you plug it into your television, but you don't watch a film on it. <laughs> well, it's like a film. You join in in the film. But, but you have a, a, a wee control and there's wee men and they're playing the football and you're controlling them like you do in your dreams. It's like inside it's the heads. And the other fellas... It's perfect Se- football. Sebastian and Julian, who were my best pals by this stage, they liked it too. And we'd smoke the old cannabis cigarettes. <laughs> and uh, you'd, you'd become absorbed in it. And I oh, I got into this band. They were one of the new ones. They were called the Radioheads. <laughs> and the, some of the music... Oh, it's confusing at first, but once Sebastian had given me some of the the, the old wacky-packy and I'd been playing on the machine, oh, it's a great night. The lads got me hooked into the radio heads. They played me some of the some of the catchy ones they did, first of all. I loved them. I used to do used to go on the radio head setting on the dancing machine at Weatherby Services. <laughs> and I'd managed to get top of the leaderboard on that. But then, but then, there's a, there's another side to radio heads. They play these other songs.
songs they're a little bit weird they make you think a little bit more they're not for dancing they're for sitting and thinking and once you've had one of them cigarettes and your head starts to feel a bit funny oh I tell you you could spend it a, a whole night just listening to side two of Kid A <laughs> yeah. hell to the fucking teeth I didn't like that one it filled my head with all sort of confusing thoughts that I never want to revisit again in my life so things about politics in there I didn't know so <laughs> something about George W. Bush I thought he was a nice man he had a nice smile but apparently he was a baddie <laughs> and I said to Sebastian have you not got any fucking upbeat stuff like the Arbitrals or something like that <laughs> the beeps and the bleeps <laughs> so Keane says I said to Short we've had a bit of success why should I move up now Short said I think it's important that you live in the area <laughs> I'm not sure if I said something like why don't you move up <laughs> he lived in London I'm not sure if I said so that's that's just him saying yes I did say this isn't it I'm not sure if I said something like why don't you move up I might have done my, my, my judgement was cloudy he lived in London but I did say I'm not moving I'm in the last six or seven months of my contract anyway that's not really a contract's work is it no. In the last six or seven months, you'd be looking for an extension or yeah. trying to think, plan ahead not for the right. future. No, not right. He's One like, job at a time. You. I'm off after this. You can't tell me where to live. <laughs> That's basically how it went down as well. I tell that you was... what. I'm, I tell you what. I'm going to fucking do. I, I I will move, but I'm moving further away, not nearer. <laughs> How'd you like that, you cunt? <laughs> I'm moving over to Durham, and I'm going to going to move into the Days Inn Hotel at Weatherby, <laughs> right next to the machines <laughs> and the Greggs. It suits me there. It's got everything I need. <laughs> I'm a kind of a pioneer. Jose Mourinho will copy me in a few years, no doubt. And you know, I'll miss Sebastian and Jules. They're a nice couple of lads, but they'll have to just learn to live without me there. <laughs> They've almost graduated. They'll have to get jobs somewhere. <laughs> Probably in the Days Inn Hotel, to be quite honest, because they're not the brightest. <laughs> he says, uh, it might have been a different conversation if we'd been talking face-to-face. Then I might have said, well, if I sign a new contract, I'll move up. I can understand that. But I said, it's not affected results previously. Then he says, the conversation didn't end well. <laughs> it was a case of, no one tells me where I should live. And the accusation that I was only coming in one day a week hung there. Well, I I respect him for this entirely. Mm. I mean, you know, he'd done all right. He'd been there a while. There'd been no complaints. Suddenly someone starts accusing the him. The players done. mostly hated him, I, I think. Ca- I can't imagine him it being true that he only went in once a week. And also, it's like, don't fucking tell me where to live. Fuck that. If I'm doing my job properly. But they hated him, did they? Well, there were rumours that some of them did. But, he, you know, he, he sort of is main idol, really. Even though he'd worked with Fergie all them years, Clough was his idol. Yeah. And Clough used to do that. Clough would be really hands-off with training. Yeah, yeah. His coaches would do all the training. Clough would just be like a figurehead. Spiritual leader. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, this ghost the, that the, would hang the, around. Yeah, the sort of culture the comes down from him, yeah. 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 It's a good style of management, that. Well, it is. That's, if I was a football manager, for, that's what I'd do. Yeah, skive off. Yeah, yeah basically. Yeah. <laughs> as much as possible. Yeah. yeah. So then he says, My career at Sunderland ended after a difficult three or four weeks. Not two or three months like I've seen other managers get. We were still on a point of game. If you kept that up for ten years, you'd still be in the Premiership. But it was over. And uh, yeah, he, he basically, I don't know if it was a mutual agreement thing, but he, he basically got sacked. And we were doing all right. It was a bit of a surprise. The form wasn't great, but... Um, we didn't think we were going to get relegated that season. And he, he was... I mean, he, he bought some awful players and he bought, like, Chimbonda and El Hadjouf and a couple of other... D- Weird, from like, Spurs. unroy Keane-like signings, in a way. 
Yeah. I mean, Juf, problematic player. Chimbonda, yeah. famously lazy. Yeah. Which uh, he proved. So it's pe- on the pitch. peculiar that he um, got these lads in. But didn't sign Robbie Savage. Yeah. Um, and he says, it was over. It still saddens me. I still think I should be the manager of Sunderland. That, that, that fucking breaks my heart, that. <laughs> I still think I should be the manager of Sunderland. And I think a lot of Sunderland fans still think he should have been as well. Because it felt like it was something that was taken away that... Was it a turning point? Well, yeah, because his, um, one of his coaches, Ricky Spragia, took over till the end of the season and we just stumbled across the he's, line. He's got an anecdote about it, hasn't he? Because they're off watching a game, him and his two coaches, Ricky yeah. Spragia, and he goes, would either of you lads fancy managing one day? And yeah. one of them went, nah, not really. And then Ricky, he goes, what about you, Ricky? And Ricky went, no, no way. And he went, all right. Fucking calm down, yeah. I don't fucking ask you. No, never, I'm just saying, I never want to be a manager. Never, ever. All right, all right, it's only a fucking question. No one's had any conversation with me about it at all. Yeah. It's not something I'd ever do. I'm happy being number two or number three, or even a number four. Whatever you fucking want, just not your job. <laughs> I'm never going to take your job, Roy. Stop looking at me like that. Can I get out of the car now? <laughs> uh, I still think I should be manager of Sunderland. I really like the club and I like the people. But that is the end of a significant chapter for Roy Keane. Yeah. Uh, a few days after I left Sunderland, he said, Dwight York texted me, all the best. Now, he'd had some little fallings out with Dwight York because Dwight had uh, reignited his international career with Trinidad and Tobago against Roy's wishes. Yeah. And he'd been going off on international duty, jollies, you could call it, yeah. to the Caribbean. Uh, so, a few, York, he texted me, all the best. I texted him back, go fuck yourself. <laughs> 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 I saw him a few years ago. We both played in a charity match. We said hello to each other, but there was no real conversation. Mainly, I think, because the last con- communication he'd had between each other was go Just fuck yourself. That's a problem Yoki had. And it's sad because I had great days with Yoki. I could have handled things differently. <laughs> it's great the self reflection. <laughs> he does show some self reflection analysis. That's like Alan Partridge. Needless to say, I had the last laugh. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a recurring theme. I could have handled things differently. <laughs> but I didn't. Yeah, so there you go. So that's the end of the Sunderland chapter and we'll we'll end this episode here and it'll be Ipswich in the next episode. It's second crack at management. Mm. And we'll see where that takes us. He has a real effect. In, in the book as a whole, you realise he, he has a real affection and quite a lot of regrets about Sunderland. Like yeah. he, he, he thought it was a good club and a good job yeah. and he loved it. And Ipswich, no, didn't work like that. Nothing at all. Like, from, from day one, it was almost like Celtic all over again. Welcome yeah. to hell. Yeah, it's going to be fun, that one. Yeah. So let's do that in the next episode. The Keen Odyssey. We're here for um, Roy Keane, and it's part five, I think, of the Keen <laughs> oh, Odyssey. <fucking> hell. <laughs> it was going to be two parts originally, now we're at part five. We think it might end on part six, we're not sure. Yeah. We'll see how it goes. And, What's the um, vibe with our uh, listeners, Andy? Do they want more, or do they want us some to go of them back want to more. reviewing the old seasons? Some of them want more. Some of them seem to think that we've strayed from our orig- original remit, which right. was to cover Premier League seasons, one at a time, in a, a 26-part series, which <laughs> would then end, and we'd never be heard of again afterwards. But yeah. obviously... The minor success that we've had with this has gone to our heads. Our <laughs> egos have swollen. Yeah. And we're doing three of these a week and we can't give it's a like shit. It's like that bloke on Waitrose magazine. You know, <laughs> one minute he's editing a magazine about fucking hummus, right? Next thing you know, 
he's on MasterChef, it's gone to his head, yeah. and he's literally threatening to kill people. Threatening to kill vegans. And, next, and then he loses his job, and, you know, he sailed too close to the sun. He was Icarus. He was Icarus, and he sailed too, too, too close to the sun, and that's what's happening to that's us. That could be what we are. Why will we the, not learn our lessons from the editor of Waitrose magazine, Ghastly Experience? Indeed. Right, anyway, back to Roy Keane. He's just left Sunderland in the last episode that we did and um, he quickly found himself some more work at Ipswich Town where I think Ipswich probably thought that he could replicate what he'd done at Sunderland which was to turn them around in the Championship, get them promoted, get them stabilised in the Premier League. Yeah, it wasn't a bad idea at the time. Didn't seem it like seemed a bad reasonable. idea, did it? He, he had the blueprint for, for being able to do that. Yeah. You would think he would, he would be able to replicate that again at Ipswich. But um, it, it didn't work for him. And we'll find out why. And it, it seems to be mainly about the fact that Ipswich dress in blue. Right. And he just didn't connect with that at all. You couldn't see the point. I've never seen the point in that colour. He says, uh, a few days later after getting the job, I was down there in the blue training kit and I was looking at it going, fucking hell. <laughs> I didn't feel the excitement I felt going up to Sunderland. I'm not sure why not, but I didn't. I feel bad even admitting that. Tony Laughlin, his sidekick, was with me again, but it didn't have that innocence. Oh, it's exciting. Maybe after the Sunderland experience, I was a bit wary. There seemed to be a bit of everything about it that wasn't quite right. The setup, my mindset, (laughs) the location. Mm. But if things had gone better, I probably wouldn't be thinking that. You know, I'd had to say goodbye to uh, Sebastian and Julian from up in the digs in Durham. And looking back... They had such a big influence on me, well view, the way I interpreted things all around me, that they were as responsible as anyone for the success I had in the early days at Sunderland. I asked them about moving to Ipswich. They weren't interested. <laughs> the courses uh, they were on weren't, weren't available at the University of Suffolk. I said, what about doing a master's course at the University of Ipswich? They weren't interested. Fuck them, I thought. I can do this alone. But ultimately, I was wrong. I needed them. <laughs> I was going to leave them £40 in an envelope for the key meter for the gas and electricity because autumn was setting in and I didn't want to leave them in the lurch. But there you go. You can't take your friends with you. You can't go back. (laughs) So um, he's gone to Ipswich and basically he doesn't like... He doesn't like the blue kit. This reminds me of Roy the Rovers when uh, Roy left Melchester Rovers controversially and he signed for Walf- I think Walford Rovers ah, for a year and they played in blue and right. it was never right. And then Just after one season right. he went back to Melchester in their red and I think that's probably so going for through. for a whole year's worth of the comic was yeah. he playing at a different club? That's how I remember it. I don't remember and it myself, but I'm now going to go back 82. through my archives. This was before it got ridiculous. Right, and like Spandau Ballet and Shaken Stevens yeah. turned up. No, Shaken Stevens was Billy the Fish, wasn't he? That was the, the parody of it. The Spandau Ballet turned in, up. In Roy and the Rovers is when he develops a drink problem, but really quickly. <laughs> and they start drawing stubble onto his face yeah. to, show, <laughs> to show that he's got a problem. I think his missus fucks up. I mean, it happens one minute he's just looking at a bottle of whiskey, the next minute he's sort of slumped over a table yeah. and they've drawn lines on yeah. his face to represent that stubble. Represents a drinker. And his missus and little Roy, Roy Jr., are fucked off. <laughs> they've got a hold on, they're going round their uh, mums. <laughs> and it's like, you've got a fucking poison. I think. Yeah. Who's his, was it Blackie? Blackie Grey was his I think best Black, mate, yeah. I think Blackie Grey comes around and goes, Roy, you've got to pull yourself together, mate. Mm. And then he just does, and that's over. Yeah. 
alcoholism is I'm, fixed. I'm, I'm sensing a series of Roy of the Rovers podcasts coming oh, soon. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> we'll get a bunch of issues and, and go through them. This is it! Yeah, Roy says, there were stories that when I took over, fans weren't allowed into the training ground and that I changed the locks. Our first session was open to the fans, but nobody came. <laughs> My first day, you'd have thought a couple of school kids would have been dragged in by a, gra- a dad or a granddad, but there wasn't one person watching. Oh, I knew I- right away, this wasn't the place for me. Well, I thought to myself, welcome to hell. <laughs> <laughs> I saw myself on the training ground as an entertainer. It wasn't just about, it wasn't just about knocking the players into shape and getting tactics into their heads and all of that. It was about showing off for any strangers that wanted to come along and have a look. Yeah, some of the wee kids would come. I'd do my kick-ups, do you know. Yeah. I'd, I'd do the headers, I'd do it off my knee, I could even do it off my shoulder from time to time. I'd been practising specially, <laughs> but it was all for nothing, because no one was there to watch. I'd been watching some of that street football on YouTube, <laughs> and I could do one of them things where you put it behind your feet, but then you do like a little donkey <laughs> kick and it goes up over your head and lands on your shoulder, and then you flip it off and it goes onto your other shoulder. I'd mastered that quite quickly. I practised I practiced for fucking hours in my back garden. I thought this was what the strangers of Ipswich would be wanting to see. <laughs> it was all a fucking waste of time. Incidentally, someone on Twitter said that my Roy Kane accent sounds like Jamaican. <laughs> That's bollocks, isn't it? Let me I tell, mean, it's clearly not Irish, There's been but... a couple of remarks about our Roy Keane impressions on Twitter, so let me put this to bed once and for all right now and tell you all, Andy and I are exceptional mimics. And any accent or impersonation we do of anyone is a 10 out of 10 at worst. So if you're jealous because we are brilliant impersonators who could easily be on dead ringers if we wanted to, but we don't want to because we're too busy. Yeah, doing three podcasts. And and also the comedy is not edgy enough for us, right? Then, you know, just fuck, go, take your business elsewhere. Do your own podcast do with your, your Irish accent on. But don't do so Roy Keane, because we've done Roy Keane. Mm. You'll have to do Roy Walker. Do Roy Walker instead. Do a podcast about episodes of Catchphrase that you found on YouTube. Let's hear your Roy Walker and then send it to us and we'll start fucking judging you. Yeah. We've had voice coaches approach us. A, a very, very famous voice coach approached us this week wanting us to go in and do a seminar or maybe if we can't actually go and do a webinar over yeah. the internet yeah. about mastering the Irish accent. Do you know who that do you know who that voice coach was? Who? Kenny Sansom. Kenny Sansom? Yeah, shh. Don't tell him. <laughs> Kenny Sansom was the Don't one who, Oh, sorry, I've given it away. He coached Daniel Day-Lewis for his role in Gangs of New York. Yeah. You know when he does that weird sort of kind of Irish-American yeah. sort of weird old, yeah. oldie-timey American accent Kenny Sanson taught him that yeah that's, that's peak Sanson that, yeah. yeah of course it is he also coached Daniel Day-Lewis <clears throat> for There Will Be Blood you know when he says I'm an oil man I drink their milkshake you have a milkshake and I have a straw yeah well, I will drink your milkshake when he first did that because you can see the audition tapes <laughs> on uh, <laughs> you can see the audition tapes on YouTube and Daniel Day-Lewis goes yeah I thought I'd give it something like this yeah I've seen you got a milkshake I'm going to have a bit of that Right, and then Sansom. Hand it over. Sansom, you don't see Sansom, but you can hear him because he sat behind yeah. the camera. He goes, I was thinking something maybe a bit more like this, Daniel. I, I drink their milkshake. <laughs> I try, drink it up. Yeah, try, try it like that, mate. 
<laughs> and then the rest is history. Oh, God. You got a milkshake. <laughs> I can't see your milkshake. Can you pass it over? <laughs> Sansom's like, no, Daniel. That's fucking shit, Daniel. Do it again. And it took three months. <coughs> wouldn't let him eat, wouldn't let him drink, that wouldn't let him three sleep months, till he mastered him for it. for three months till he got it right. That's the Sansom way. Totally is. Back to Roy Keane uh, on the training ground. He says there was the blue training kit. I don't like fucking blue. <laughs> I don't like fucking blue. City <laughs> were blue. Rangers were blue. My biggest rivals were blue. Is that childish? Um, little Ooh, bit, Roy. Maybe. <laughs> little bit. And also, were you not aware before you signed the contract <laughs> that Ipswich played in blue? Yeah. I'd never heard of the team before in my yeah. life. I'd never seen them play. I didn't know what they looked like. Uh, to be honest, when they first approached me, I doubted whether or not it was fucking real. I thought it was another prank call. I thought it was fucking Yaffle on the phone, making up fucking pretend football clubs trying to trick me. He said, Ipswich. I thought, hmm, Ipswich, I heard of that. That's the, that's the city from EastEnders, isn't it? <laughs> OK, Yaffle, I'll go along with this. Uh, we'll yeah. see how far this goes. I'd love to sign for Ipswich, I said, to what I thought was Professor Yaffle down the phone. <laughs> I indulged him. <laughs> You know, I, I thought I'd turn the joke back around on him and see how much he likes it. Let's see how far we can take this yaffle. Before we'll I realised it wasn't it. yaffle, it was David Shipshanks. I was fucked. I was already in too deep. The lawyers <laughs> had signed, signed the, the contract, contract on my behalf. And everything. Uh, maybe he thought he could join and get them to change the colour of the kit. First thing you like need to do is change. Like the Cardiff City chairman Vincent Tan did, yeah. didn't he? Change Cardiff to red. First thing you need to do is change this kit to red and white stripes with black shorts. <laughs> And you, you got to change, like change the name of the club to Sunderland. <laughs> or maybe it's called Sunderland 2, the sequel. <laughs> they refused. But that was where the, they were small minded people. I knew they'd give it eventually. <laughs> <laughs> they refused at first, but I knew eventually I'd wear them down. <laughs> Turned out I couldn't wear them down. <laughs> and that why ultimately is why I, I failed. It was their fault. He says, uh, the first day myself and Tony Laughlin went back to my office for a cup of tea, it was a cabin, like a school prefab. I'm not knocking that. It's man of the people. Comes from Cork. But I just thought it all needed freshening up, a lick of paint. There were money difficulties at the club. I appreciate that. But myself and Tony sat down and looked at each other. Welcome to hell, we both <laughs> said. No. 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they did. I don't know. Um... So there's the first day open training session but no one comes along now. He hates the blue kit. Uh, the the place isn't decorated to his liking. Um, <laughs> fucking hell. Marcus Evans was the chairman. Uh, he says, the last game of the season was at home to Coventry. Marcus Evans told me during the week they'd already covered my contract with season ticket sales for the next season. Right, I have wonderful news. <laughs> next season... Ipswich Town will continue to exist as it has done this season. <laughs> yeah. Season ticket sales are up, up, up. <laughs> Thanks to your presence, everything is covered and we will be commencing the next season with everything looking shipshape. <laughs> <laughs> he says it was a dead rubber game. There was nothing at stake, but there were 20,000 people there. So he must have got the job towards the end of... I think, was it Paul Jewell or Paul Jewell took over from him? I don't know who, yeah, I who it Paul was Jewell before. Let's say John Lyle. Yeah. Let's say it was John um, Lyle. Yeah, it over. wasn't, but yeah. Of course it wasn't. Um, Tony Mowbray. Why not? Yeah. We'll call it Tony Mowbray. 
Um, so he took over at the end of the season. All the season ticket sales are coming for the following season. Marcus Evans is as happy as a pig in shit. Yeah. There's 20,000 people there. He says, we, Roy says, we won again and we deserve to. I was thinking, we, we don't have to do too much here. I'll focus on the dressing rooms. Get them decorated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right move. <laughs> so he's had a look. We've, they've beaten whoever it was. Coventry, I think he said. Yeah. Um, end of the season, everyone's got their tails up and their heads up. And Roy thinks there's not much to do with this team. It's going to take care of itself. Easy peasy. Time to get some paint out yeah. and decorate the dressing rooms. Put the Roy Keane stamp on them. I got myself them. up to fucking home base. I got the rollers. I got the paintbrushes. I got the white spirit. I got I got my dad over from Cork because we go on a Wednesday, the OAPs get 25% off. <laughs> he was very ill, but I didn't care. <laughs> I said, you get, get yourself over here for fuck's sake. Stop fucking moaning. So we went up to home base and we got kitted out. We got some of that Leyland paint. That's the best stuff. We can buy that in bulk. <laughs> it's not the cheapest, but it's also not the dearest. But pound for pound, I think it's the best you can get. <laughs> that's what one of the students told me for when he'd been decorating his digs. I caught that Sebastian one time, sniffing on the old white spirit. I said, what the fuck are you doing? That's for washing your hands after you've been painting the walls. He said, give it a sniff, Roy. You it makes you feel all queer. <laughs> He was fucking right. <laughs> I gave it... I, I, I sniffed it like he told me. I don't know what happened for the next two days of my life. <laughs> I wouldn't, I, once I got to Ipswich, I made a decision. I won't be sniffing it again. For legal reasons, we should point out at this juncture that we do not Endorse. accuse Roy Keane of ever sniffing white spirit it's no. something he's never I know should you it's something that Sam just chose to do there as a, a, a comic fantasy bit of fun um, it has never happened and it it's will never just happen. a bit of fun fuck's sake Roy call off the dogs jalapeno so then uh, he says when the players came back pre-season they found great dressing rooms but I hadn't done enough with the team or the staff <laughs> <laughs> Roy oh Roy <laughs> he's not taking it seriously no is he? he's not he came to Sunderland and he bought six players in six hours yeah at Ipswich that's fucking going in like a bullet at Ipswich he's been uh, fucking looking at um, wallpaper he's and been fucking up a fucking home base he's been, uh, getting wallpaper sample books taking yeah. them home and looking through them all for the dressing rooms I got a nice flock wallpaper the kind you used to get in the Indian restaurants back into 1980s I thought it was very evocative. <laughs> I thought the swirly patterns would help the lads focus. <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> if anything, it did the opposite to confuse them. them. I realised these lads weren't at the right level for, they, for me to be showing them patterns like that. Tony Lofferin thought that we should start serving them curries before the kickoff, but I thought that was a step too far. <laughs> One step at a time, Tony, I said. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just some pop doms <laughs> <laughs> few chutneys. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till we're back in the Premier League before you start thinking in samosas. We're going to have a Dan Bread at half time <laughs> if they're winning <laughs> as a reward. <laughs> um, then it got interesting. A bit of pre season fun. They had a night out in the woods with the Paras, with the 7th Parachute Regiment Royal Horse Artillery, no less. Because he thought it would be bonding for Character them. Character building, innit? Yeah. I reckon that sort of thing. He's really on. He's on. Um, He's, he's not really trying at all, is he? No. Well, I mean, it's a big thing to organise, but whether or not he thinks it's just for show, so he can say yeah. to his boss, the chairman, look, I've sorted out this. I've come up with this. But this whether is... or not he is convinced it's going to make a big impact on a team that, by his own ambition, were already doing all right. Yeah. 
I'm a good friend of uh, Chris Ryan, <laughs> the SAS fella. So I thought I'd pull some strings there. So he says that the plan was we'd stay in tents that night out in some woods after a series of marches. Not just one march, mm. a series of marches. Fucking hell. Okay, lads, march number seven. <laughs> this is the best march yet. <laughs> <laughs> the, his, the intense part was in the evening <laughs> the intense part <laughs> oh fuck hell. Hell. we've done seven oh, marches and sounds like a fucking nightmare we've done seven marches and now it's going to get intense lads the paras are trained to live off the land so we saw them slaughtering a pig we had to watch it wasn't nice <laughs> <laughs> gather around lads watch this your this man's going to kill life. a pig <laughs> Look at this pig. The pig had been marching with us for the last four hours. We'd got to know it. Some of the lads had given it a name. They called it Porky. Everyone loved that pig. It was our squad pig then. Then all of a sudden, one of the soldiers turns around and says, Lads, gather round. Have a look at this. Time for the pig to die. Paul's had a wee butter knife. Blunt it was. Wasn't pretty. The death was... Let's just say Porky didn't die quickly. At three o'clock in the morning, they cooked the pig. <laughs> oh, God. They cooked the pig and we ate it, but the lads were cold. You're out of your environment and you just want to sleep. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> you're out of your comfort zone, aren't you? If you're out freezing cold on the moors or whatever it was, mm. yeah, and you've just killed a pig and then cooked it. Yeah. I don't care. Out. I With mean, the, Roy Keane is one of the hardest men in the history. He's outkeening himself yeah, here. Yeah, and he's like, even he... No, it's not for it's him. It's overcompensation, isn't yeah. it? He knows this job's not for him. So he's just overkeening himself. I tell situation. you what, I mean, it turned my stomach. I just kept thinking, imagine if Gary Neville had been here. <laughs> He'd been crying his wee <laughs> eyes out. He'd have had a nervous breakdown, and no mistake. He'd have, both the Nevilles would have shat their wee nappies. As I, as I watched that pig die, I found myself <laughs> thinking of my old swivel chair at Sunderland <laughs> and the phone with the button with the lines on. I thought, where did it all go wrong? I thought to myself, I didn't know how good I had it. <laughs> well, that, that, It's like Sting said, if you love someone, set them free. If they come back to you, they're yours. If they don't, they never were. <laughs> That's what I thought about that pig. <laughs> <laughs> Having said that, it was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely do it again. <laughs> uh, yes. And then the next morning, I asked one of the officers to organise something for the morning to get the lads up and out quickly. So at five or six in the morning, they woke us with stun grenades. Oh, fucking <laughs> hell! Stun grenades thrown to the sides of the tents. Fuck <laughs> me! This is appalling. This is inhumane. Amnesty International should have been onto this. I'd lose my shit. I wouldn't care. I'd go, look, this is not on. I'm fucking leaving. I've got better things to be doing. Jesus Christ. It's it's like you're with us or you're yeah. against us, isn't it? Mm. Fucking hell. You're either in the tent pissing out yeah, or you're outside the tent pissing in. Yeah. Where, in fact, they were all in their tents pissing Get, and shitting themselves with fear. Getting fucking sun grenades and bouncing them. off the side of the tent. He says, uh, that woke us up. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what Roy's reaction was for now. Fuck's sake! <laughs> what the fuck? Yaffle! It's Yaffle! Everyone get down! Everyone get down! It's Yaffle, he's here, and he's got the mice with him too. I knew he'd come for me I in the end. I knew this was going to happen. I didn't think it would be now when all the soldiers was around. Yaffle. But I knew it would come. Yaffle, I'm here. I'm going to come up with my hands held up. 
Oh, but don't take it out on any of the lads. This is between me and you. Leave them be. Take me back to the workshop. <laughs> Tie me up if you need to. Interrogate me. I won't speak. Leave the lads alone, though. <laughs> now I'm coming boys. out very slowly. <laughs> I keep my hands where you can see them at all times. <laughs> Have you got bag push with you? Is Emily there? <laughs> can we negotiate? Can I talk to Emily? <laughs> okay, I admit it. You bested me this time, Yaffle. Okay, you're happy now. You've won. Okay, you crept up on me. You out-taught me. You out-manoeuvred me. You've tied up and killed all the paras. <laughs> and you've eaten what was left of the pig. No, you come for me. I'm going to come out. I know the scenes that I'm going to see when once I come out the tent are not going to be pretty. <laughs> They're going to my- be several members of Her Majesty's Armed Services lying there with their throats slit. I know what I'm going to see, Yaffle. I know you well. <laughs> with their throats pecked repeatedly. I sometimes with the pointy know. Nose. I sometimes think I know you better than you know yourself, Yaffle. <laughs> I thought to myself, welcome to hell. I thought to myself, the, a stun grenade went off at 5am in the morning. I opened my eyes and thought, and whispered one word to myself, Yaffle. <laughs> <laughs> He's back, I thought. <laughs> I should have seen this coming, but I've been too focused on redecorating the changing rooms. <laughs> I'd taken my eye off the ball. I let my guard down. <laughs> I tried to get inside Yaffle's head over in that workshop he was restoring toys and making things that were old into new making things that were bad into good I thought I could do a bit of that myself and make the changing rooms in Ipswich all shiny and bright and beautiful just like Bagpuss did just like Yaffle did but while I was thinking you can't about get inside that, the, the Yaffle mind like was that. regrouping he was making himself stronger. He was thinking about <laughs> He'd me. He'd gone to the next level. <laughs> He'd gone and got some fucking stun grenades. <laughs> he knew it. Fa- he told me he'd find me wherever I went. I thought by going to Ipswich, a place that most people thought didn't wasn't even real, he wouldn't get me. But of course he did. <laughs> He'd always been there watching in the shadows wherever I'd gone. Ah. <sighs> He says, uh, so at five or six in the morning, they woke us with stun grenades thrown to the sides of the tents. That woke us up. Every time I saw a face sticking out of a tent, the expression told me, if you think we're getting promoted on this, you're in fucking trouble. (laughs) (laughs) So the Ipswich squad didn't buy into the whole para thing, the whole marching. I don't think he bought into himself. No. By the sounds of things, I think he did it almost on a whim. Mm. And then as soon as it was happening, he thought, oh, this is shit. He probably picked up a copy of Loaded magazine. He'd read one of them them features, like uh, 10 of the craziest managers of all time. Mm. And it had been like when Jock Wallace used to have that, uh, the hill. That yeah. he, used to, he used to make the, the Rangers players run up and down. And then he had it rebuilt when he went to Leicester. Yeah, he got some And then there was, what, what's his name, Beck at Cambridge, who'd, who'd like... He's pissing their tea, wouldn't he? Yeah, and he'd like <laughs> get out the fucking riot hoses and attack them in the changing room. And he thought, maybe we'll go he in for like a bit Kato of He was like Kato from the Pink Panther films, wasn't he? The thing is, like team, build, the, yeah, team building, bonding, it's all bollocks. Uh, when I, I was the editor of a magazine, I took, I sort of said, oh, someone said, you better do something with the team. Because if, <laughs> if you don't do fun things with them once in a while, then yeah. there's no team spirit. But, you know, it's bollocks because it's sort of like, 
listen, this is a fucking job of work. You come yeah. in, you fucking get, you do your job, which, by the way, is fucking easy because you work on a magazine. And You're then. You're playing at being a. a yeah. Having a job. Exactly. And then at the end of the day, you go home and that's it. <laughs> and if you say, well, we can't really be expected to do this unless once in a while the boss <laughs> takes us out on an adventure. Sometimes you and get pays to go to nice free parties and go to see the cinema yeah, for free. You get free. it all free anyway. Do you get sent every single day in your office? You get sent free stuff. You get to meet famous people. I used to say to them. Listen, right, you come in every day, you wear whatever you want to work. That's the first thing. Most people don't get to wear what they want to work. Exactly. You turn up, some of you fucking turn up in what looks like your fucking pyjamas. You turn up (laughs) and you have pop music really loudly on the radio all day while you do your job, which is just making things up. It's a sixth form common room, isn't it? Right. So that's your fun. Your team bonding experience is just fucking having this job and coming in here every day. (laughs) Yeah. But in the end, I bowed to pressure and I went, all right, fuck it. And I couldn't think of anything like good, like an army (laughs) assault course, which I fucking should have done. I went, get a coach and we'll all go to fucking Brighton and get pissed on the pier. (laughs) So we get down there. It's freezing cold. It's raining. We're all sat round a fucking table on the front, on the beachfront. I'm nursing a, like a pint of beer, but you know when it's really cold, you're not really feeling it. Yeah. The bit your body's cold and you're clutching a cold beer. Yeah. And it's starting to lightly spit, and the skies are all grey and cloudy. <laughs> and you look at each other, and I thought, yeah, if you think you're getting promoted on this, then you're in trouble. I thought, no one wants the fucking beer. We'd be better off at fucking work. Any team bonding experience out the office is fucking awful. Don't do it. Whether it's killing a pig or going on the piss in Brighton, it's a waste of time. So when we are inevitably the joint editors of Waitrose magazine in yeah. a few weeks' time, that's yeah. something that we're not going to be doing. First thing we'll announce to the team, the ones who are lucky enough to survive yeah. our cull, our cull. Which it is will happen, be, isn't it? Yeah. We'll go first are you vegan? first. Forget, <laughs> forget any fucking team bonding exercise whatsoever. Yeah. This is it. This is the team bonding. This is it right fucking now. Here on the Waitrose magazine. What this is I the best tend job to do in publishing. is, when I enter any organisation, mm. uh, the team talk I usually do at the beginning is is basically an exact reenactment of that one that she does at the beginning of Fame. Oh, yeah. With the big stick. Yeah. Right here's where you start paying. Bang! In sweat. In sweat. <laughs> Seems to go down well. I usually go and punch the biggest lad. Yeah. On day one, because that just well. sets a marker down, doesn't it? So... So, Roy Keane, yeah, uh, the family had moved down with me and we rented a house. I liked it. I liked the sea air. But we moved house three times in the first year. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hell. So, he's gone from a situation where he was living quite happily by himself without the family. Yeah. In student digs in Durham with Sebastian and Julian, uh, indulging themselves in paint thinner and and white spirit and the the back catalogue of Radiohead. And now he's living with the family and he can't settle. They've moved three times in a year. Now, what does that tell us? He should have taken them on the military bonding session. Possibly, I don't know. He's not happy with his family. He's ha- He was happier with Sebastian and Julian in the digs. Yeah. Because it's a simple life. We know back in Cork he's got his spider hole, which yeah. is very austere. Which he spends bare. his summers in the spider hole, yeah, doesn't he? And yeah. anything beyond that, as far as he's willing to go, is student digs. Scruffy, run-down student gigs. I don't think he feels comfortable in any sort of living arrangement that is in the least bit modern or extravagant or comfortable. Yeah, I reckon you're right. So he says, he says we moved house three times in the first year. It was unsettling, but we were trying to find the right village. And this is quite telling. And villages can be funny old places. <laughs> 
I don't know what that means. I'm not sure what that means, but he might have uncovered some stuff. He doesn't elaborate stuff. at all. No, he might have uncovered some stuff in the villages that were, you know, not to his liking. He might have uncovered some <laughs> kind of un- undercover schemes that were going on, um, <laughs> sex cults. I'm not happy with this village. There's something going on in this village. <laughs> something going on in this village. And I don't, I don't fucking like it. I don't know what it is. It was a vibe. As soon as I walked into the place, I fucking knew. The people were odd. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> it was incredibly quiet at night. <laughs> There were no discotheques. <laughs> I don't like going to discotheques, but I like to know there's one there. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, to know if I need a late night discotheque, I can call in on one. <laughs> Have a little bit of a boogie. I like to hear them. I like to see the young lassies going back and forth, back and forth. <laughs> there was no, there was no arcades. There was no dancing machines like there was at Weatherby Services. I was miles from the nearest services. I was getting itchy. And all there was was a fucking spa and a toilet that you needed a key for. It was pointless. <laughs> it was dead. <laughs> we packed everything up and moved on to the next village. <laughs> we did this three times. It was a little bit like in MASH, when they used to decamp and pack everything up and move along. <laughs> I saw myself as a little bit like Hawkeye, a quick-witted surgeon <laughs> who enjoyed brewing his own gin. Who everyone liked. <laughs> everyone thought he was great. Say what you like about me, but anywhere I've ever played or managed, I've been easily the most popular individual in the whole organisation. <laughs> no one has ever said otherwise. Uh, I think that's about enough for this episode. <laughs> I think we've got through at least two of our points. We have, yeah. We've got probably one more episode out of this, but... Um, we'll we... do, yeah, the next one we'll find out how he comes to leave Ipswich, although that match is becoming apparent already. The next the next episode includes uh, a culture clash with the public school educator chief executive. It includes two incidents which involve physical violence. Uh, it includes traces of explosive residue on the handle of his bag during a trip to Nigeria and um, and a run-in with Adrian Childs. And that should be the final episode, I think. <laughs> <laughs> this has been The Keen Odyssey Part 5. The Keen Odyssey. Welcome to this, the sixth episode of The Keen Odyssey, where we look back at Roy Keane's book the second half which he wrote with Roddy Doyle in I think it was 2014 it says on the front cover the international bestseller so there you go we don't fuck about with um, small fry books here no only the big ones yeah and it'll be even <clears throat> fucking bigger now after oh, these God, six yeah. episodes devoted to it not many books get six whole episodes of an award winning world famous podcast devoted True. just to it True, and we'll probably wedge them all together into one massive episode in order to just try Who and keep this thing going. Who publishes this fucking book? I don't know. Why didn't... Orion. WNN. What's that stand Orion for? Books. Well, hang on. It says WNN there. Well, it'll be like an offshoot an or something. In, an imprint. Yeah. Well, oh, Widenfield and Nicholson. Yeah. Yeah, well, they need to be getting in touch with us or we'll get in touch with them and, you know... Sort I don't know something what. out. Cut yeah, I mean, give us some fucking free books or something like yeah. that. Definitely. I mean, the one we've got here in front of us from a charity shop, so... You know, yeah, and it's got a bit of old food on it as well. It's disgusting. It's what? Look, he's got oh, a yeah, crusty it's... bit. I don't know what that is. It looks like a bit of pie. Ah, uh, that'll come but off. if you win this book, so I think we're going to do a competition yeah, later. It'll be, it'll be if you win it, it, will, it will come with a bit of pie crust I'll, on it. I'll knock the pie off. Yeah. I'll script that off somehow. Uh, right, so we'd left it at the last episode, 
where uh, he was looking for a village to he, live he, in. He couldn't settle anyway. He'd lived in three villages in three yeah, months. And, and, and you'd rightly pointed out this cryptic thing that he said, he said we were trying to find the right village, and villages can be funny old places. He goes on. Couldn't find a Catholic school like St Bede's in Manchester for the kids. The school we eventually found was different. It was more conventionally English, very middle class. Cricket and rugby, tea and scones. Oh, there it is. There's the undermining line. So straight away you're thinking, fucking yeah. hell, this is... I mean, imagine Roy in a situation like this. Mm. We went to a charity function for the school a few months after the kids had started there. It was a tuxedo job. Straight away you're thinking, cunt school. Yeah. A fucking fundraiser for a school, you have to wear a tuxedo. Yeah. Fuck off. What the world cunts. I ended up sitting beside a man I'd, I didn't know. Obviously. Well, you didn't know any of them. <laughs> Wait, they're sitting me beside someone I don't know. Who's do you this know, any, Do you know anyone here? Well, can't they sit behind the table on my own? Could they not put Brian Kidd in next to me? <laughs> Could they not make some phone calls? They don't know who I am. Uh, Brian Kidd's gonna be, gotta be available. Wait, wait, what about Niall Quinn? There's gotta be someone. Steve um, Staunton how, <laughs> Steve Steve it's right how quick can you get down here no, I, don't, I don't know it's a village somewhere <laughs> it's a village somewhere in England you've got to get yourself over here the, the, at the moment you won't believe it they're sitting me next to a stranger have you got a tuxedo have you got a tuxedo to hand don't don't worry just put anything on just get down here just half an hour put your tracksuit on it'll be fine I'll vouch you but he couldn't make it in time anyway I end up sitting, besi- sitting beside a man I didn't know I wondered how the conversation was going to flow Right. He said, what do you think of this new coalition government? <laughs> oh! And you know, the co- I've got no sympathy with this cunt, because although anyone who had to sit next to Roy Keane in most circumstances, I'd think the poor fucker, mm. he's going to be the hardest person to make conversation yeah. with. This bloke, you know he's a cunt. Yeah. He's turned up at this fundraiser. And, 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 and also, in what a sort village. of fucker opens a conversation like that? Yeah. Straight away, you'd be like, anyway... It's a power player. I'm not that, even. A, I'm, that's a I'm not player. even Roy Keane. It, yeah, in a way, it is. Yeah. In what way? Are you one of us? or Are you one of them? Yes. Let's find out straight away. Yeah. And that that'll dictate the rest of this conversation in this evening. Well, that we have Roy's together. response was, of course, golden. <laughs> he said, "What do you think of this new coalition government?" I thought, "For fuck's sake!" <laughs> I nearly went. Is is there a new coalition government? Did you watch Barcelona last night? <laughs> I thought the Do you new... not like football, you cunt? Yeah. I thought the new coalition was a team playing in the Suffolk League. I think I missed St. Beads more than the kids did. And then he writes afterwards at random, and the blue kit! He's gone back <laughs> Again. to that. Yeah. I don't... Fuck's sake. The fucking coalition <laughs> government. What the fuck? Are you... What world are you living in? Is that some kind of alternative pop group or something? Are you a fucking joke, man? Are you fucking... Your head's up your fucking backside. You're talking about governments. There's a fucking football club down the road the once managing. And I'm here, There's dressed a fu- like a fucking penguin, listening to your bullshit. There's a football club down the road there and the dressing room needs another coat of blue paint. Because- and I'm wasting my fucking time on cunts like you <laughs> with your daft fucking questions, your childish fucking preoccupations. Are you part of this so-called government? <laughs> Uh, if not, what are you talking to me about it for? Yeah. That did go bitchy making there, didn't it? <laughs> and I can tell like... you this, if you are part of the fucking government, I've got a few ideas I want to run past you. One's about the fucking situation with sausages. <laughs> <laughs> he gets on to more about sausages later in the book. Does he? He does, yeah. Well, he talks about how he's very... About his time in Ipswich, he is extremely reflective and self-critical yeah. in a way that I find very admirable. That's what I've said before. This is a serious fucking book. 
he does not go through the motions here, right? He yeah. he really is serious about the way in which he reflects upon himself uh, and the things that he has done. So he's going for all the things that he thinks he did wrong. He admits that the incident where they went without with the with the um Paris was it yeah. Paris he goes yeah it was a mistake and uh I don't I shouldn't agree have done with that it. I, I think it was I one of the best things that. he ever did as a manager <laughs> and we know that you know he he had no way that Yaffle was on their trail <laughs> that Yaffle had actually employed uh one of those fucking native american you know a sniffer they're sniffer they're fucking incredible and of course that's the thing about Yaffle he's a formidable opponent he'll always go the extra mile <laughs> turns out he'd been over there to the states and found one of the best sniffers they got in the African American community <laughs> no the um, uh, Native American community and he come over what they call him now the uh, the wind talkers <laughs> <laughs> sniffer <laughs> he's got a wind sniffer and it sniffed us out out there on the moors you see that's how they tracked us down the thing about is you see he's got that he's got that workshop there with all the old all toys getting restored and brought back to life and put in the window for the owners to come along and pick them up now you see he's got that going that's been a rigid success for like 30 years now who's running it a fucking child <laughs> Emily <laughs> a little child's running it obviously he's the brains behind the operation does he pay her I don't well, know probably pay his sweets or something I don't know but <laughs> he doesn't need any grown ups because he's ahead of the game he's on top of everything so that's, what? that's what we're dealing with here one thing Yaffle always had over me that I have to admit he was a great delegator I struggled with delegation throughout my career in football and my uh, time um, in battle, in a psycho-emotional battle with Yaffle. And it's because I never knew how to delegate properly. And he had the moist, he had Emily, he had Bagpuss, and then he had he, this sniffer. He had the frog he got. with the banjo as well. Yeah, he had I him. I think he was called Gabriel. And then he had this fella that he'd got over from the United States. He'd invested his money in that, but it paid off because he found us and we never thought he would. <laughs> anyway, he he knew that was a mistake, but then one day he was going to play Cardiff and he learned that there was a um, rugby game on, I think, between England and Wales the day before, and right. he says he likes rugby. Yeah. So he says, so uh, I decided to go there a day early. I wonder how I can get there a day early to watch the game. Because he was watching rugby when Wayne Rooney nicked the remote, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. And he had to go watch <laughs> yeah, it in his room, yeah, yeah. pretending he wasn't bothered that the remote had gone missing. <laughs> and uh, I won't forget this, Wayne. Yeah. He, he wrote about it in his book. What was it he wrote about in his book? He's got a deal to write 10. <laughs> anyway, he, um, he, so he said, oh, what I decided to do was, I thought, I'll get a box and I'll take everyone at my own personal expense. So Ipswich didn't pay. Roy Keane himself paid. Nice one. Mm, yeah, quite nice. Is that a power play? How does that go down with the team? All right? Um, well, it's a bit it's like be, I'm richer be... than all of you. I don't know, it's got to be better than taking them out into the woods and making them watch some paras kill Let, a pig. Yeah, and then and then, get and then, seeing, and then with, seeing the paras cruelly murdered by a wooden bird. And they were stun grenades into their tent yeah, at five in the morning. That was Professor a shit Yaffle day out. So he goes, this was a much better day out. He goes, we walked to the ground, we weren't giving any crap because it was like rugby people, they didn't know who we were. We got in the box, he goes, I paid for everything. We watched the rugby. There was no press there. It was really chilled out. He said, and and they brought out the food, and it was bangers and mash. He goes, probably wasn't the best thing to be eaten before a game. <laughs> he goes, should have been pasta. But, you know, I thought, fuck it. Fuck it, we're out. We're having a good time. Let them have the mash. <laughs> they had the mash. If we'd lost the next day, I would have blamed it on the sausage and mash. But we didn't lose. We won. Was it because of the rugby? Probably not. Was but it what I know is that we had a great time. <laughs> 
So he was really pleased with that. He basically, it's the only positive memory he has of, 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 of his Ipswich whole time thing. at Ipswich. He's going there, yeah. So for the next five matches, we had sausages and mass before every game. And we drew the... them all. <laughs> yeah. So it's hard to draw any conclusions about that, to be honest. Abolish the mash plan. <laughs> this <laughs> is it. He's still at Ipswich. And um, a new chief executive comes in. Uh, it was on the same day that he started, actually. A man called Simon Clegg. And uh, Roy says, chemistry again, it wasn't there. Clegg had been the chief executive of the British Olympic Association, but he wasn't a footballing man. I think it had more to do with the differences in our backgrounds. As well as being an ex-para, perhaps he'd helped set up the, oh, yeah. the, uh, the night away, he was public school educated. I was from Mayfield in Cork, but I had to grow up. I couldn't expect to be working with Irish people. <laughs> yeah, he's obsessed with Irish people. Like, all the way through the book. He's got a love-hate thing with the Irish, hasn't uh, he? Yeah. But he says, uh, he says, but the conversation has to flow. I'd say, I'm interested in that player. Clegg would say, well, what do I do? <laughs> <laughs> He'd never been involved in football before. I think he was all about being answerable to Marcus, the, the club owner, not helping the manager. Everything was hard work. I'm interested in buying a player, Simon. <laughs> oh, what what what, what shall, shall I do? Go and get me the fucking player. <laughs> Don't come back till you've got the player, and he's got the kit on, the fucking blue kit, and you stood in front of me with him. Go and buy the cunt. <laughs> that's it. That's the end of conversation. Get down to the market. Buy the player. <laughs> that's how it works. I think. Put come him back. in a bag. You put him. Take take, the, take my fucking sack. Here's a sack. <laughs> You put him in there. It's the sack that I had to pick him before we killed it. Right. I've watched it. It's fine. There's no blood left. You get the fucking player. You put him in the sack. You throw him over your shoulder. You bring him back to the fucking ground. Leave the rest to me. <laughs> what's, what's... You release him. Release him into the training ground. You give him a run around. The rest is my business. What's 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 the the name of the, of the player, Roy? How many fucking times? I don't know what the fucking player's called. Fucking Just go give Pablo me a player. or something. He uh, he's, he talks about how he like um, managed talking with other uh, managers as well when he was trying to do. He said they were very naive in their transfer dealings. Oh this yeah, Clegg bloke, and so he, they would often end up buying players for what Roy regarded as being way over the uh, odds. There's the, the Thomas Priskin incident. Yes, where they sign him from Watford, don't they? Yeah, and they overpay. He said they'd watched him pre-season. He he he. he Played well, it was a friendly. His contract was up in a year, and I thought he might be worth a punt. I think I mentioned a figure of 400,000 to the owner. I think I mentioned. <laughs> he fucking knows damn well he mentioned 400,000. I rang Malky Mackay, who was managing Watford. Listen, Malky, I'm just giving you a heads up. We're interested in a player. I never spoke to other managers about a fee for a player. I never got involved. <laughs> Malky goes, Roy, I appreciate the call. Malky, terrified, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate the call, Roy. Uh, can, can, we just le- the- can we just leave it at that? <laughs> <laughs> the window cleaners here, i got to go. <laughs> I said, I'm leaving it to the chief executive. I couldn't believe it when I heard what we paid for him. I think, again, I think, yeah. <laughs> I know for a fact, I think it was £1.75 million. <laughs> and Roy had mentioned a figure of 400000 Watford couldn't believe their luck. That was our lack of communication, the fact that the three of us never spoke together. Priskin wasn't worth that money, but nobody had got back to me to get my opinion. And then the same thing happens. They signed two players from Sunderland, Carlos Edwards and, and Grant Ledbetter. Any yeah. good? Um, For the championship, yeah, yeah not bad. So he, he goes, they're good lads, but we paid too much to them. I thought about two million for the two of them would have been decent. 
but we paid just less than four. Now, he said, I didn't get involved in fees. That was not my business. That was for the chief executive. But I had opinions. But, but <laughs> he sees how, he says, I want these players, right? <laughs> I'll leave the rest to you. The chairman goes and the chief executive goes and buys the players. Then when he hears how much he's bought them for, he's more or less gone, you paid how much? They're absolute fucking shite. And he goes, they're your fucking recommendations. So then he calls up Steve Bruce, who's the manager of Sunderland. He goes, I phoned Steve Bruce, who's managing Sunderland. I said, I can't believe how much you're getting for Grant and Carlos. Bruce went, ah, now, Roy, we've agreed <laughs> a deal. Because Bruce fucking knows straight away, even though this has nothing to do with either of us, done them over. Roy's going to ring up and try and bully me into somehow convincing my chairman that we should go back to them and say, actually, we feel bad about yeah. the amount we're taking off you. Call it two million because four's too much. Steve, it's Roy. I'm calling about some kind of partial refund. <laughs> How can we make this oh, no, happen? Now, Roy, no, come on. We've been down this road before. It's not about me or you, Roy. It's about the chief executives of our respective clubs. They came to whatever. Steve, don't make me come down there. <laughs> Steve, you know what I'm talking about. You know what's happened. I know what's happened. Don't make a fucking contact to me, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're sitting there in my fucking swivel chair, speaking on my phone with the funny fucking lines on it. Oh, and you think you're the big man because you know how to fucking answer the phone. Just I know you'll have heard the stories about I, how I fucking struggled with it. Well, so fucking what? You can use a fucking phone as much as you want. What I'm saying is I want £2 million back. I rang you up and I got straight through. I find that very curious. Have you got yourself some kind of assistant there with the phones? Yeah. Who is it? Is it Brian Kidd? <laughs> Don't... Don't tell me it's that cunt Carlos. Carlos Quiros. Jalapeño. He has a real problem with um, Pablo Canugo, who, yeah. who, to be fair, does sound like a bit of a cunt, yeah. but at the same time a bit of a legend because he is so laid back, he has no fear of Roy Keane. Yeah. He goes, uh, He goes. you know, we brought him on in a game and there was a, he had a gift of a chance. Um, and he, 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 they were playing Bristol City he goes, um, I was playing Pablo Canuga, a player I didn't particularly like or get on with. He was a striker, very talented. He had a chance with about five minutes to go. We had a shot. The keeper parried it to Pablo. He was 10 or 11 yards out. He took three touches and the keeper blocked it. He could have hit it first time. There are games that sum up your spell at a club and that was the game. I remember people saying to me Pablo, to, to, about Pablo, he's really no good to you away from home and he doesn't always fancy it at home. <laughs> That wasn't a good start because half of your games are going to be away from home. I fucking looked into this. Pablo, come here. I've been doing some digging. I got one of those stats fellas in. They've looked through it. Turns out half the fucking games we play in the season are away from home. Now, if you're not going to turn up, that means 50% of the games you're not going to turn Who up for. Who do I for. speak to about a partial refund? <laughs> hey, I'm going to speak to the chairman and see if we can get more home games than away games next season because that's the only way I can see this working. Um, he goes, I had a dig at him after the match. Fucking hell, Pablo, you got to do that first time. He was like, oh, this and that. <laughs> what? Oh, this and that. <laughs> Fucking this and that. <laughs> Missing a chance like that is a reflection of the attitude to training. <laughs> he goes, uh, he, he got this injury. And he goes on the second. He came back from from the summer with an injury, a groin injury. Then he had to walk out of training. The next day, second day of preseason, I was in my office and I saw Pablo chatting to some of the players in the car park about ten past nine. <laughs> Just imagine Roy looking out of the window of his office <laughs> with binoculars, up his blinds, yeah, <laughs> 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 seething at everyone he sees. He goes, yeah. 
I, I saw him in the car park, ten past nine. He was due to have treatment, and the injured lads would have been in about half eight or nine. So I called him. I knocked on the window. <laughs> He's knocking on the window. He's like, hey, hey, you! <laughs> Pablo! Laddie! Pablo, come here! What are you doing talking in the car park like that? You're talking said, about me! I said, what are you doing? It's ten past nine. Imagine that. Not, not, not. You look up. <laughs> Fucking Roy Keane's at the window. <laughs> what are you doing? It's ten past nine. He went, oh, yes, bud. We, we, we just kind of do what we want. That's <laughs> what he reckons he said. <laughs> oh! Did he really say that? What? Well, what you don't understand is, Roy, we just do what we want. <laughs> I said I said to him, well... Them days are over. (laughs) Them days are fucking over. My days with Pablo were numbered, but he stayed at the club for another year because we couldn't move him on. No club was interested in taking him, and I was happy to tell him that. I just found him dead lazy. (laughs) No one else fucking wants you. Do you know that? I'd have you out of here if it was down to me. (laughs) Have you seen that? Have you got the bit about where he uh, he has to go to him in the dressing room? Um, he should have passed the ball to a striker who was in a good position with about five minutes to go I went down to the dressing room after the game and had a go at him I said you should have fucking passed it and he went well, how are we going to win anything with you as the manager fucking <laughs> hell <laughs> I nearly physically attacked him <laughs> but I didn't <laughs> what does that actually mean I nearly physically attacked him I reckon him it's then. one of them things you know when you you go to throw a punch but you throw it short and it just <laughs> yeah. stops just before the face just to forward. see if they'll flinch fucking hell Pablo Canuga I could have attacked I'm, you there but I didn't I'm going to look him up because he actually sounds like a bit of a legend <laughs> <laughs> he's like but he's the biggest he nemesis he's the biggest nemesis Roy Keane faced since Yaffle the only man who just like didn't get intimidated oh this and that if he has a book Pablo Canugo's autobiography should be called this and that <laughs> <laughs> just him shrugging on the front co- on the front cover he's wearing a white tux with a black tie but the black tie's undone and yeah. his top button's undone so he's a bit like Brian Ferry yeah. he's got a red carnation in his top pocket yeah. and he looks like Brian Ferry maybe on the cover of one of the Roxy Music's late 70s album and he's just like he's sort of shrugging and smiling there's a there's a Doris on one of his arms and he's got a glass of brandy in the other yeah. and he just says Pablo Canugo this and that, that, my life in football. <laughs> Do you want to hear? I've just looked something up. Do you want to hear a list of the clubs he played for yeah. after Ipswich? Yeah, this is this, this probably is the the measure of the man completely. He had a loan spell at Crystal Palace, 2010-11, where he scored twice in 30 games. <laughs> this and that. <laughs> this and that. Yeah. How are we supposed to win anything with you as the manager? <laughs> then 2012, <laughs> 2012, <laughs> he moves to a team called. Dong Tam Long An. <laughs> See, that, uh, that, that is he didn't care. That, that is a Vietnam Vietnamese team. <laughs> he he literally his, didn't give a shit who he, he played for. Exactly, it was his own personal Vietnam. <laughs> and then 2012-13, he went to Kichi, which is Ooh. a Hong Kong team based in Kowloon. Again, taking the piss. 2013-2014 season after, he went to back to Spain his homeland yeah. and he played for a team called Choco <laughs> <laughs> oh, never heard that. of them and then 2014 off to Finland where he played for a team called FC Honka <laughs> <laughs> fuck off <laughs> FC Honka <laughs> now he's, he's picking up he got 15 goals in 17 games for Choco which obviously sealed the deal for the Honka move and he scored 5 in 8 for Honka and then in 2015-16 he went back to Finland again um, still in Finland rather and he played for a team 
called PK35, <laughs> which might be just, I, I don't know, a name of a video recorder or something like that. So that was 2015, 16, 17 goals in 34. This must be like pub team level he's at now because he's it's actually quite, It's quite hard to find goals. images of him. Oh, no, I found them now. 2016 to 17, he goes to um, back to Spain again, I think. <laughs> and well, he's carved out a fucking career for himself, A, a, a team I suppose. called Alondras, 11 goals in 21. 2017-18, back to Choco again for three goals in 22. Choco. 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 And he's Choco. 39, and he just he looks like he just retired, like, you know, this summer just gone. He's still but going. In, in Choco. Wonder how much Roy thinks about him now. Pablo. Pablo, <laughs> is that you? <laughs> Where so are you now then? How's it going there with the football career? I imagine you're working in some kind of call centre now, are you? Ah, uh, no, Roy. I've been to Kichi. I have been to Dong Tam Longan. I've been to Choco, Honka, Peaky 35, Alondras. Now? I'm back at Choco. How about you, Roy? I believe you're some kind of television personality now. <laughs> Never How's mind what I'm fucking doing, pal. That's none of your concern. What's this choco shit? Yeah. What you making up football teams for and put them on your Wikipedia page? <laughs> there is no choco. I've done some digging. There is no fucking team called choco. I got you my wind sniffer over from America. <laughs> you can't pull the wool over my eyes. I couldn't get the best wind sniffer because he's already been signed up by a cunt whose name I will not fucking say out loud because I don't want to give him the oxygen of publicity. But I think you know who I'm talking about if you remember our time out on the Mars with the Marines. <laughs> The boy that making it, I got the second best wind sniffer. He's been looking into the teams that you claim you have played for, and hardly any of them exist. So what's the fucking story, Pablo? What's the story? That's all I want to know. Hey, come on, Roy, chill out. It doesn't matter. We once worked with each other, now we don't. End of story. This isn't over. You see, you've been looking at my uh, Wikipedia page, Roy. I think you'll see that uh, there are lots of quotes there from me about how much I enjoyed playing for your predecessor, Jim Magilton. He was a good man, Roy. I felt as though we could win things with Jim. Not with you, though. He has a falling out with Jim Magilton as well, doesn't he? Because he, he says that um, he was he feels bad because he was interviewed. <laughs> he said he was he was interviewed for the job. When Magilton was oh, still right, in yeah. charge yeah. of of Ipswich, he goes, "Yeah, I mean, you know, some people say that you shouldn't do that sort of thing, but I wasn't really going for his job. It was just a conversation. That was it." He went, "Anyway, I didn't really care about Jim." He said, "When I was at Sunderland, he basically he signed, he tried to sell a player to Ipswich from Sunderland, and uh, yeah, this is it. This is what he says. He goes." I didn't feel too sorry for Jim Magilton. I felt he'd let me down with a player when I was managing Sunderland. So for that reason, he had no fucking qualms about nicking his job. job. <laughs> because he was supposed to take Tommy Miller off me. We'd agreed a deal. The transfer deadline came. I can't remember which one it was. But Ipswich pulled out of the <laughs> they deal. They had to blur together after yeah. a while. <laughs> Ipswich pulled out of the deal. I rang Jim Magilton. I said, what's happening? I've turned down other deals for Tommy because you said you were going to. He was going to you. He was proper fucking aggressive. <laughs> He didn't give a fuck. It was all, fuck you. And then me back at him. Fuck you. You're a fucking joke. But it, but it started at his end. <laughs> fuck you. Imagine that. I mean, this can't be how it really happened unless Jim Magilton is fucking super crazy. He's rang up and goes, it's, it's right here, Jim. What happened about Tommy Miller? I thought you were taking him. I turned down other offers. Pause. Fuck you. <laughs> what? We had a chat about it the other day. You said you wanted him. It was fine. I had it all lined up. Yeah, fuck off, Keno. 
Yeah. You, me fuck off. <laughs> fuck you. Fuck off. You're a fucking joke. You're a joke, man. You're a j- you're not even a man. You're a comedy man, like a clown you or something. You look like a glo- one of them glove puppets. You know those wee. <laughs> You know those things that were like cones, but with a stick, and when you push the stick up, a wee clown comes out fucking with his eye, arms wide open. Yeah. That's what you remind me of. You're a fucking stick puppet. I'm going to go down to Toys R Us after this conversation. I'm going to buy one of those things, and I'm going to get my wife to sew a little, some little writing on its little dress that just says, I am Jim Magilton. Do you know what I might do? I might go as far as to go on that, what you call it, my kids like it, the internet thing, and we find a picture of you, and we'll print it out, and then I cut, cut it out with scissors, and then I print stick it to the face of the fucking puppet, yeah. and then I'll go around pretending it's Jimmy Jilton, and I'm going to go over to Tommy Miller's house, and I'm going to knock on the door, and I'm going to put him up from behind a bush, and I'll go, hey, I'm fucking Jimmy Jilton, are you still coming to Ipswich, are you? Well, you better fucking hurry up, because the transfer deadline's nearly passed. <laughs> I g- actually, get a load of this. I got to go to this thing in a couple of nights' times at the school. And I got to wear a tuxedo, and I'm going to put a little tuxedo on little pretend Jim Magilton and take it along. And whoever I sit next to on the night, I'm going to get it out of my bag and go, don't talk to me, just talk to Jim, little Jim, pretend Jim yeah. Magilton here. Have you heard of Jim Magilton? He's the so-called manager of Ipswich Town. Look, Look at this. him. Oh, he's come along tonight. Look at him, he's a fucking wee prick. <laughs> Oh, he's gone in his corn hiding. Look now he's I... back out. Now he's in. Oh, do you want a wee game of peekaboo? You fucking baby. Do you know how he got here tonight? He came in my bag. Do you know why? Because he's so tiny and weak. He can't even drive a car. He doesn't have to drive. I have to drive him everywhere. Just... If he has to go and watch scout players, even though I've got nothing to do with Ipswich Town, because he's an old mate and he's from Ireland, I'll go and drive him around the country. Oh, I don't mind doing it. <laughs> He's a cunt, but you know that's that's the rumor I'm spreading about you, business Jim. Business is business, and that that's because you have crossed me over this Tommy Miller business, and I am going to ruin your reputation and spread it to everyone that you're nothing but a wee corn puppet. <laughs> and Jim was all like, "Do what you want, Roy. I couldn't care less." Two months later, I had his job. <laughs> I didn't do the puppet thing. I let it go. I thought that taking his job was enough. <laughs> but he knows, and I know, that I still have that puppet. I made it, and it tucked away with my, with my medals and my belts and my other keepsakes in a safe at my, ho- at my mammy's home in Cork. And I can get it out any time I want and dispatch that fucking puppet if he ever, ever thinks about crossing me again. <laughs> Sometimes I like to take it to my spider hole when I'm, when I'm summering in my spider hole and I talk on the to west it. coast of Ireland. I spent days talking to that puppet just sharing feelings it's not always that confrontational to be honest sometimes you can have a real good chat with a puppet he's a bit of a cunt but he's a good listener <laughs> I've taught that puppet things that I never told anyone else and things I'll take to me grave with me to be honest things that happened to me in my childhood things sad things strange confusing thoughts I've had over the years and only that puppet will ever know them <laughs> stuff about skateboards <laughs> anyway in the end I left Ipswich <laughs> it wasn't for me. <laughs> this is it. Connor Wickham, who we then saw oh, someone yeah. later on. Yeah. Connor was still about 17, I think, then, and um, he got evicted from his digs oh, for leaving yes, his phone great. charger plugged yeah. in all night. Roy says, I like Connor Wickham. He didn't score loads of goals, but he was only 16 or 17. He got kicked out of his digs one night. We'd had a game. I think we were up at Scunthorpe, and I got a call. 
Connor had been evicted because he'd left his phone charger plugged in all night without the phone connected to it. <laughs> Hang on. First of all, <laughs> what the fuck? What, how is that grounds for throwing someone out? Well, that's the thing. These fucking rogue landlords are cunts, aren't they? Are this, is this one of Keane's rules or is this the landlord's no, rule? No, it's clearly the landlord's rule. So he said... Um, I had to meet the academy manager, Sammy Morgan, a couple of days later. We discussed phone charges for a few hours. <laughs> <laughs> what now? He left what? He's been evicted. Why? Because he, he left what plugged in? The phone charger. What's that now? <laughs> what the... Not phones again. You know, I've told you before. I'm not good around phones. They don't make any sense to me. I had one at Sunderland. I said one. I went to 50 at the cons in Sunderland. I kept having to get angry and throw them out the window because of the buttons and whatnot. And now you're telling me there's a thing you plug into the wall and then you plug that into the phone and it gives it, what? A, life. A, a, electric. It gives it life. That's an electric thing. I don't... And what? He's been meddling with this in the... Well, no wonder they're throwing him out. <laughs> you could have started some kind of inferno. He's doing the experiments with electrics. In someone else's fucking home. <laughs> it's some kind of wizard or something. What's going on here? Well, I, I've said from the beginning, these academy lads need to be put in spider holes. And that way you won't run into this fucking trouble. If they need to communicate, they can do it with a network of tunnels, just like the Viet Cong made in the war. It's perfectly simple. They can crawl to see each other if they need to have a conversation. They don't need no gas. They don't need no electricity. Just sit in a spider hole and contemplate. <laughs> and become better men. <laughs> you don't need to plug anything in ever. My God. Plugging things in. Do you think I plugged things in when I was winning army belts at Manchester United? I didn't have fucking time. I was too busy fucking training. Too busy winning. (laughs) Fuck's sake. So he plugged it in and presumably the landlord thought, well, that's just a waste of electricity. Mm. Sam, I'm going to say something to you which I didn't think I would have to say in this episode. Right. That's all we've got time for, and we still have another four points. Oh, no, come on. We still have another four points to get through, and I'm looking at them, and there's going to be another episode of this, Sam. I'm sorry to all our detractors who think we've done enough. We we basically got through one month of his time at Ipswich. Yeah, we did, and we've we've still got charity football matches with the JLS. We've still got... But when you say there's um, people... uh, when you say that there's people online saying we've done too much now of it, one fella. how does that balance with people who like it? There's many more that like Loads it. Loads of people have been saying they've been buying the book. Yeah. Lots of people saying they're now thinking in, like Roy Keane has taken over their inner monologue. Yes. <laughs> so for that so reason... So I think it must be popular. So we'll, we'll go to seven episodes then. Yeah, fuck and it. And then we'll probably end it. Or maybe we'll go back and look at stuff that we didn't we missed There's the loads time. of stuff we've missed. We'll both read it to again. To be honest, we've got this book, right? And it's... um. Including index, it's 296 pages long in hardback. You know what? We should do an episode where we just read out the index. I wonder who's got most <laughs> entries on the index. Roy Yaffle. Keen. Yaffle. <laughs> Yaff- yeah, yeah, it's Yaffle. Yaffle, comma, professor. Page three. Page 18. Page 42. Pages 100 through 168. <laughs> yeah, so... Then yeah. there's subsections. Yaffle and Sunderland. Yaffle and Marines. Yaffle hires wind talker. <laughs> Yaffle and Emily relationship. Yeah, so, um, like I say, we've still got a fight with John Walters. We've got um, a trip to Nigeria and some explosive residue in the handle of his bag. We've got charity <laughs> matches with JLS and we've got a run-in with Adrian Childs. There's no way we can fit all of that into this episode. No. So we're going to have to go to number yeah, seven, unfortunately. number seven's on its way. Sorry, gang. 
So uh, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed. One day we will go back to reviewing football seasons. I don't know where we, will, we got we'll, up to. Th- th- we'll run out of them eventually, so we'll just we'll keep doing books. We'll what just... season did we get up to? I do you don't reckon? Two thousand and five or something yeah. like that. Yeah, plenty, plenty left in the tank. Yeah, of course there is. The Keen Odyssey. We are here with part seven of the Keen Odyssey. We thought it was just going to be maybe two parts, but we're at part seven. We think this could be the end, Sam. I think if you put our podcasts back to back, it's probably longer than listening to the entire audio book of yeah. Keen's. I think we should do that as well, put it out as one massive behemoth of a podcast. Yeah. Just so that it, see if we could get it sold in shops on vinyl. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah. Like the a box set, four albums. Gate, gatefold yeah. vinyl. Yeah. Right, with the lyrics written on the inside. Because I reckon we've done about, what, four hours now in total of this? It could be our songs in the key of life. Yeah. Or sign of the times. Oh, do you know what I mean? A yeah. classic double album of our very best. We'll do, do you, that. Do you think it would be up there with the best work of Prince or Stevie Wonder? Um, In terms of groove. Yes. Yeah. Gro- yeah, da- yeah, and danceability. Yeah, because once we Those get in that Those are the two groove. things that you should rate any podcast on. Yeah, groove and danceability. Mm. Yeah, all right. Well, let's see if we can finish it in this episode, shall we? Yeah. Where were we? Um, he's still at Ipswich, and uh, there's, a, there's a bit in the book with John Walters, and uh, John Walters wanted to leave. It says we were four or five games into the season. He'd heard that Stoke were interested in him. Tony Pulis again, says Roy. <laughs> 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 I said, John, I haven't had a call from anybody. I couldn't blame John for wanting to leave. He'd been a good player for us, and he had a chance to the Premiership, but he did it the wrong way. He came back a few days later. They're definitely after me, said John. I said, I've heard nothing. If there's a bid, I'll tell you. I've nothing to hide from you. You can ring the owner. I don't do the business deals. Why are you talking to me? (laughs) (laughs) And Walter says, I'm not having this. And then Keane says, there was effing and blinding. A bit of shoving. (laughs) Again, it's it's like Like the Liam Lawrence interview. I don't really remember, but it might have got physical. Yeah, I I nearly physically attacked him, but I I didn't. (laughs) There was effort of blinding, a bit of shoving. Why don't you fucking believe me? (laughs) (laughs) He said as he pushed his face down into the carpet. I didn't begrudge him the move, although I was losing one of my better players, and maybe my job. I got carried away, and John got carried away. (laughs) So, like, it wasn't my fault. So, there was a bit of shoving. We got carried away, possibly. Someone may have got some scissors out at one point. Uh, He says... I dropped him for the next game against Burnley. We were 1-0 up, but they scored in injury time. At the press conference after the game, I said that John would never play for the club again. (laughs) (laughs) Just out of the blue. That was a big no-no. His value was down already. He was sold to Stoke a week later. It could have gone better, but I played my part. (laughs) (laughs) Let's leave it at that. There's no regrets, is there? And he ends that segment by saying, we've shook hands since... Yeah, but this, of course, was before what happened fairly recently yeah. this year when there was uh, a thing that we covered on, on one of the other podcasts in which he fell out with John Walters again and a couple of other members of the Republic of Ireland on squad. On the island duty. Harry Arter was one of them, Harry Arter, he? yeah. And there was an exchange, and I think we've read out the exact dialogue because one of the players leaked a WhatsApp message yeah. in which they all discussed what had happened. And Roy Keane and John Walters had a great exchange, <laughs> and in which John he shouted, "Do you want to try and fight me again, like you did at Ipswich, John?" Do you want my belts? 
and that was where the do you want my belts line came from. <laughs> oh, we've come full circle. Do you want my belts, do you? And then here we are, seven episodes in. You want my belts? So the John Walters, I mean, if you think of all the enemies he's had, Magilton. Yeah. Yaffle. Uh, uh, Yaffle. Queer, Queer Oz. Oz. Gary um, Neville and Alvin Harland, of, of course. Sort of Alvin Harland, Patrick Vieira. Yeah. Um, Venga. P- P- Pablo Canugo. Yeah. But possibly uh, outside of Yaffle, his most formidable opponent. Definitely. And now Walters, who he's sort of had a fight with twice. <laughs> yeah. The thing with Canugo is, Canugo doesn't give a fuck. That's and what you can't really riles with him. someone who, can't, who doesn't give a fuck. Yaffle is playing games with him, but he's got hiring the wind talker and all that shows that Yaffle actually relishes it. Yeah. And it's, other, it's others. It's inside his head, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and others have gone into it. Whereas Canugo's just there with his martini yeah. and his cigar, and he's just like, "Hey, this and dad. <laughs> this and dad. I was supposed to win anything with the manager like you. Yeah, you are. I don't hey, fucking right, I'm right. not even fit to play. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I go play for Choco. It's no problem. <laughs> I don't need to be here in Ipswich. Choco give me game any week. All I have to do is turn up with my boots. Sometimes even not with my boots. They lend me a pair. <laughs> It's no problem. That's what you don't understand. Roy, you need to relax. Come on, chill out a little bit. Have some fun. Give us a... Chill eh. out. Chill Roy, out. Roy, you've got a lovely smile, you know. When you smile, your whole face light up with your twinkly Irish eyes. I don't know why you so, look so sad all the time. St- what stop, the fuck are you talking stop, about? Stop it. Stop <laughs> it, Pablo. I don't know what you're saying. Stop it. Yeah, This is crazy talk now. You're scaring me. You're scaring me, Pablo. Stop it. Do, do you- do you really think I got a nice smile? <laughs> My mummy used to say I had a nice smile too. But, you know, you you can't be smiling all over the place because people see it as a sign of weakness. My, 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 my best friend when I was a young lad, he said I had a lovely smile. And then, then one day he went away with his skateboard and I never saw him again. And, and I haven't I, smiled I had some since. very complicated feelings about it all. So <laughs> I told him to stuff his skateboard. And it was that day that I decided to myself, no more smiling, Roy. Because if you let them see you smiling, that's when they go off with the skateboard. They let you down. Yeah. You they see them. you weak. They see you soft. They see you vulnerable. Never smile again. I think you should smile. <laughs> Pablo, stop it now. You're bringing back feelings that I've spent a long time trying to suppress. Are you, uh, are you ticklish, Roy? <laughs> Do you have a tickly spot? I warn you now, Let Pablo. Don't fucking be tickling me now. I'm fucking warning you. Don't fucking... Oh. Warning, warning, don't fucking tickle me. Come on. Oh. Come on. It's silly now. I knew it would be there just under the <laughs> armpit. I knew it. No, you're mucking about this, do I got a fucking team to manage here. The other lads are here. I got just loops to decorate. Get away from me. We should do a deep dive. Yeah. into Pablo Canugo's memoir this, and, this and that Yeah. Uh, at some point after yeah. we've done this and Keegan and the other ones we'll do a deep dive seven episodes into Pablo Canugo's this and that most, there's only one chapter on football Yeah. Uh, most of it's about a, his, lifestyle his idyllic childhood yeah where he was raised by two aunts lesbians yeah um, and he had a wonderful very artistic sort of up bringing in the very wild free. very free he learned player. in this sort of like very creative way he was always outdoors in the sunshine he learned how to use a knife at the age of four yeah he had a pet monkey who he would play with day and night and it was a lovely time and then after that 
he was a lot of the chapters are just about his Latin jazz bands. Yeah, but he was how, various how different Latin jazz bands. How incredibly well endowed he is as well. <laughs> yes, but he's not bothered. It was always an advantage in some ways to have such an enormous penis, but it didn't matter to me as long as I had my music and the sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> Someone on Twitter um, uttered Canugo in. The other really? day they were talking to oh, can to, goes out so there he's, the he's on the Twitter but he hasn't tweeted for about 120 days the last tweet so, he did was this and that I think it was yeah <laughs> so I think if we could get that's him, his biog as if well if we can lure him in somehow no his, his bio says Pablo Canugo and underneath all it says is how are we supposed to win anything with you as the manager <laughs> and then his last tweet is just this, this and that, and that. <laughs> And then the, the trail runs dry. We kind of just do whatever we want, Roy. <laughs> whatever feels good. <laughs> this, this is it. it. There's a little bit where he's trying to uh, bolster the Ipswich team just before he gets the sack, and he says, I was looking for players on loan. I tried to call in a few favours from old teammates, but I wasn't getting it back. Huh, that's quite cute. Yeah. <laughs> Some old teammates don't want to be Anyone would friends think that with you, you, you'd being... alienated oh. people over the years and burnt several bridges. <laughs> Maybe he should have smiled a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, and he says, I did get Andros Townsend and Jake Livermore from Tottenham, but in 2010 they were very young. And having Tottenham tendencies in a place like Ipswich is never good. <laughs> Does he qualify what that means? <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> just leaves it there. Leaves it hanging. Tottenham, Tottenham tend- tendencies in a place like Ipswich. Let me tell you, it doesn't go down very well. What the hell? Tottenham- Some of those country folk. They don't like it. You know, well, let's just leave it at this. Villages can be funny places. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? And the, Doug, the Doug Livermore and Andrews Townsend found that out soon enough. The lads from London come in with their fast cars and their fast chat. Yeah. And they're... Throwing their money around. Like their debit cards. Trying to get the best <laughs> table in Café Rouge at the weekend. Yeah. Thinking they can just pay off the maitre d' to get them the, the window table. Oh, sorry, we don't take debit cards here. We just do cash only. Sorry, lads, you'll have to go and eat somewhere else. <laughs> What's this? Oh, no, we haven't got metric yet. <laughs> What's this? This is London money. <laughs> Tottenham tendencies. Tottenham tendencies. Well, the really mind is. boggles as to what that means. What was going on in Roy's head when he came yeah. up with that particular <laughs> phrase? I wonder if Roddy Doyle ever said, what do you mean by that, uh, Roy? I mean what I say, Roddy. Tottenham tendencies. Tottenham tendencies, yes, but not everyone. Just write it down. <laughs> People will know what I mean. 5.30, Roddy. i got to go now. <laughs> I've got a salsa class to get to. I haven't got all day to sit here explaining fucking obvious things to you. I thought you are supposed to be an artist. I suppose, thought you are supposed to have a fucking brain on you. You and don't if, even know the basics of the English language. If you don't know what Tottenham tendencies mean, then what do you know? And if you're wondering, a salsa class is very much not a Tottenham tendency. <laughs> so don't go thinking that. Do you know what, Roddy? I, I started looking. I started doing some digging on you because I've had my suspicions throughout this process, and I looked. I've seen this film. The this film, The Commitments. It was the most stupid fucking film I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> did you write that bullshit? It's a bunch of fellas singing. Who who did you get to sit with you and say all the words for that one for you to write down? Who was that? Was it Steve Stanton? Was it? <laughs> no, <laughs> Ray Houghton. <laughs> it smacks of rehouting the commitments yeah. to me. Was it Terry Feeling, was it? Dog Boy. <laughs> it sounds like one of his stories. I think he was in a band, you know. No. Well, who was it? You made it up. I, what? 
What just in your brain? Why would you do a thing like that? There's real life going on all around you. Why would you sit down, think of something, make it up, and write it down? That's so like one long lie. You're just a liar, then, aren't you, Roddy? Liar, a professional liar. There was never a band called The Commitments. There was never a soul band in Dublin. Of course, there fucking wasn't. You made up a lie and you sold it. it fucking disgust me. You know better than fucking Carlos Queiros. I tell you who else I hate as well. Magicians, they're the same. They're just liars. Fucking liars. And I tell you what else. No such thing as magic. Fishermen. Fishermen. Do you know what they do? They lie to the fish because they hang down a wee maggot and they say, oh, come here, fishy, fishy, fishy. I got a wee snack for you. And then when they get near... They fucking catch them, don't they? And they put a hook through their wee mouths. Smack the head off the You off fucking the idiot. You fucking idiot. There's no snack. I'm just here to kill you, you cunt. It's not on. You can't <laughs> lie to fish. They've Stupid got feelings, fish you know. cunt. <laughs> you fucking imbecile. You can't lie to a fish. Do we? They're, they're, not the, they're not the cleverest. Of course they're not. But you can't lie to them. I'd rather lie to a fish than lie to John Walters. I say that much. <laughs> <laughs> Very similar people. Very similar mindset. Similar eyes too. Empty. Dead. This, this is it. it. That was pretty much his last act as Ipswich manager getting those two on loan with their Tottenham tendencies. And then That was it he, for he, me. He, 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 yeah, that was the final straw. That was my last roll of the dice. <laughs> um and then he talks about after Ipswich he, he spends a bit of time on the uh, the charity football scene going around the world playing in these benefit oh, games yeah. and all this sort of thing. Uh, and there's a trip to Nigeria with Marcel Desailly. Uh, <laughs> that's a film in itself. Isn't yeah. it? Desailly and King. Roy and Marcel, great <laughs> movie. Desailly's is about as laid back as they come. Yeah. And Roy, he's is got Canugo Roy. tendencies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Different I find that. myself drawn to Marcel Desailly as a man. I don't know <laughs> what it was. I find myself thinking of Canugo quite a bit as well. I found him relaxing to be around. If I'm honest, it's very soothing. Very soothing <laughs> man. He says, we were flying back to Lagos the next morning, down to hotel reception, back outside, and Marcel got in the helicopter. We were back in Lagos in half an hour. We, we landed in Heathrow. I was due to get a connecting flight to Manchester, but the screening machine and security started making noises as my bag went through. What the fuck's going on here? What's with the beep, beep, beep? Is Orbital here? <laughs> I'm fucking hearing things here. <laughs> but... Yaffle! <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is this machine? Show yourself. Here. You, officer, have you seen a fucking bird around here anywhere made out of wood? Are you sure now? He's a master of disguise, he you know. He might have been wearing some kind of, some kind of cape and maybe a tricorn hat or something. I'm just guessing. Like Dick Turpin. He dressed himself up as Dick Turpin. That's the way he operates. Thinks he fucking dress up as a highwayman, thinks he can get to any airport in the world like that. I'm inside his head, though. I know how he works. <laughs> If you see Dick Turpin in an airport, have a closer look. It'll be Professor Yaffle. It'll be fucking Yaffle at a backpost, so it will. And he'll be looking to do something to me with one of your bleeping machines. <laughs> Slow me down so I don't get to Manchester. <laughs> That's his raison d'etre. <laughs> Keep Roy out to Manchester. <laughs> he says, but the screening machine started making noises as my bag went through. There was some sort of explosive residue on the handle of my bag. <laughs> <laughs> That's what can happen, isn't it? You go to Nigeria, you, all over the you place. play a charity football match, probably arranged by Bobby Charlton. Yeah. Um, and some kind of residue ends up on the handle of your bag. The Bobby Charlton the blinding Bobby Charlton foundation. Blinding residue. I need to raise money, lads, to blind these African kiddies. <laughs> because they won't blind themselves, you know. You need the equipment. 
you need the industrial ammonia and you need all the rest of it. And I'm not going over there and staying in some three-star hotel when I do it, so... We've got you know, to stay somewhere nice, like, so you're going to have to come over and play in a game to raise the money, because if not, those wee kiddies aren't going to get blinded in time for Christmas. They're going to have perfect eyesight for years to come, and we can't be having that now, can we, Roy? <laughs> all right, I know, I know what you're saying, Bobby. I'm sorry I woke you up that time. I had a fight with Smeichel. Is this ever going to end, Bobby? <laughs> sorry, Sir Bobby. For fuck's sake, though, Bobby, you could have intervened. You didn't just have to grass us up and then tie us into this deal where we had to be blinding people for the rest of our fucking lives. Where's Peter? Peter's not here. I've got other uses for Peter, Roy. <laughs> with his big hands. He's do you know what special, I'm saying? He's on a special mission right now you in Cambodia. You don't need to know about that. You don't need to know what he's up to. <laughs> now listen, take this bag back to Manchester. And if the beep goes off on the machine when you go through the airport, don't answer any questions. And don't silence, Roy. Silence. <laughs> hey, don't claim you know now about it. Make it something up if you want to. Who's that bird you're always fucking carping on about? <laughs> yeah, what are you talking about? Are you about Bobby? Yeah, that's him. Make something up about that cunt. <laughs> I don't care what you say. Just leave old Sir Bobby here out of it. <laughs> All right then, Bobby, I think I get the picture. But to be clear, is Yaffle involved? No, he's not involved. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> right, I get the picture. Don't I worry. I should have got Peter involved. It's or even <laughs> Nicky Butt. <laughs> Don't worry, Bobby. I've got it all covered. Jalapeño. So the official line in the book is there was some sort of explosive residue in the handle of my bag. It must have been on the hands of one of the security lads who'd been carrying my bag in Nigeria. They were ex-SAS, he says, <laughs> as if that qualifies. Probably had explosives on them. Yeah, they've probably had explosive residue on their hands for decades and just haven't washed it off properly. Dating right, back to, dating right back to the embassy siege. 1981. Yeah. The Libyan mm. embassy siege. Yeah. When they were the snooker go off. I think some of them were involved in the uh, embassy siege in the early 80s, so it was probably still there from then. Listen. A lot of DSAS lads don't wash their hands very often. It's part of their training. They haven't got time. Why would you need to wash your hands? Why would you want to worry about hygiene when you're in the SAS, when there's people's next one snapping? <laughs> he says uh, they were ex-SAS. <clears throat> wherever we went they'd been with us they followed us everywhere and that that just kind of um, explains it ah there's a bit more he says I mentioned my connecting flight the Heathrow lads looked at me that is the least of your worries they said <laughs> <laughs> it's important that we trace it but I've been to Nigeria <laughs> <laughs> oh really <laughs> I've been to Nigeria what do you fucking expect? There's fucking explosive residue everywhere. You look. It's coming out the fucking taps. It's like arresting someone coming back from fucking Spain with a straw donkey. <laughs> Would you do that? No. Because you know it's impossible to come back from Spain without a straw donkey. So who's the real racist here? Is it me or is it you? I think it's you. <laughs> hmm. The Heathrow lads looked at me. That's the least of your worries. He said, but I've been to Nigeria. Oh, well, we'll put the bag through again. But if it comes up again, you're going nowhere. <laughs> and then he says, it was fine the second time, though, and off I went. Weird. <laughs> I wonder if they took a phone call at some point from somebody in between the first and Hello, second screen. Hello, and... It's Bobby Charlton here. <laughs> I hear you're having a bit of a hold-up with our Roy at the security gates. Don't yeah. worry, there's nothing to worry about. <laughs> Just let him through. 
Let him do. No I've, had, I've had a quick natter with your boss, and he said it would be best for everyone if oh. you just let Roy do. Alright? Walk. Okay, okay, sir Bobby. Thanks for that. <laughs> Anything you say. Fuck me. Hang on, I'll just take his call. <laughs> Hello? What? Fuck me. It's the Bobby Charlton on the line. <laughs> Manchester United legend, an African child blinder, Sir Bobby Charlton. <laughs> yes, Sir Bobby. Of course, Sir Bobby. I'm sorry, Sir Bobby. No problem, Sir Bobby. All the best. Let Roy Keane go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that's the kind of fucking weight Sir Bobby Charlton has. Definitely. This, this is it. Roy mentions these these celebrity charity games and, and all this. He says, I played a few charity celebrity games. I was surprised that there was an appearance fee for a charity gig. So he's, got, he's gone like full charity there. Yeah. He's, he's got no time for anybody that takes a fee for doing charity work. I sometimes go down a British Heart Foundation shop to buy some uh, buy some of the vinyl they sell there. I see the price of the vinyl in the British Heart <laughs> Foundation. Now, I was in there the other day and they're selling Big Country's first album, The Crossing, for twelve ninety nine on the vinyl. Come on, I could get it at Amazon for less than that. I said, I can't believe it. And I said, and one other thing, how much are they paying you to do this? I said to the little old woman behind the counter. And she says, I'm on, I'm on, I think it's £3.35 an hour. She's gone, oh, this and that, this and that. We get paid whatever we want. I said, you know what? You're a fucking disgrace. I took the record, I threw £2 on the desk, and I fucked off. Speak to my lawyers. <laughs> Never heard from them again. Speak to Michael Kennedy. They the, got a problem. I, I think I might have gone for her, but I can't quite remember. Can't remember. <laughs> There might have been some pushing and shoving as I attempted to leave the shop. With I my, can't remember. With my copy of The Crossing by Big Country. <laughs> which is a, a very, very underrated album, I must say. Maybe. It was overlooked by Simple Minds and U2 quite a lot at the time. It's a very strong album, some may, good melodies. Maybe I could have reacted better, but she was to blame just as much. It, <laughs> it started at her end, trust me. <laughs> You're a fucking joke, she said. There's it's no need for that. I responded as any man would. I <laughs> pushed said, her face into the carpet. You're, you're a fucking joke. It's 12 quid. You're a multi-millionaire. <laughs> I gave her some back. You're the fucking joke, I said. <laughs> Next thing I know, I've got my fucking knee in the small of her back and I'm pressing her face into the carpet. What's your name? I'm going to make a little puppet of you. One of those cone puppets that you push up. <laughs> Rita. Rita, is it? <laughs> He says, um, I played a few charity celebrity games. I was surprised there was an appearance fee. I passed my fees on to the British Art Foundation, maybe. Yeah. Part of an agreement, a settlement. We played one at Old Trafford for UNICEF, the rest of the world versus some pop bands. <laughs> <laughs> None of whom were big country, by the way. So I'd never heard of them. And there's another one. And I played one up at Celtic. X players versus somebody. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember who they were. I just remember they were all utter cunts. Can you imagine? He had disdain, yeah. right? Not just for his opponents in the top flight, like <laughs> Arsenal. He had disdain even for his own teammates, like Gary Neville, yeah, right? Yeah. Who won Champions League and, and league titles. I mean, he had disdain for them. Can you imagine how he regarded these people who weren't even pros or ex-pros who he had to play against? Yeah. He would have thought of them as subhuman. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Like, just matter. Interloping on his on his domain, yeah. football pitch. What the fuck are belong. you? What what are you doing even trying to talk to me? I can't even see you. I'm so, <laughs> yeah. I'm so furious I've gone blind. I can't see you. 
It just looks like a grey blob. Those games, I'd played a whole thing in a rage. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't see a thing. It was like a kaleidoscope in my brain. <laughs> but I'd often score and come away man of the match anyway. <laughs> Ex players versus somebody. Says, Ali Mers is it? <laughs> Fucking oh, hell! Claiming to be United fan, are you? Yeah, I thought you might be. <laughs> Where are you from? London, is it? I went straight to him. I gave him everything I got. He was crying on the floor. I laughed. <laughs> Mers, you're a joke. That's not reggae music. <laughs> That's not reggae music. In fact, it's an insult to Jamaican culture. <laughs> I told him right there and then. Back at the, in the Durham days, Sebastian and Julian had got me into a Trojan <laughs> and that kind of stuff. All the compilations you get of the Trojan, you get them in the supermarkets now. <laughs> just a fiver. Very good stuff. I knew me reggae, and I can tell you this, Ali Mers is not reggae. And I let him know in no uncertain terms that day at Celtic Park. I says, you know what you are? You're worse than Sid Owen. And fuck <laughs> me, he's bad. Do you know what you remind me of? Fucking Sting. But more of a cunt. <laughs> <laughs> so he says uh, X players versus somebody um, but I felt awful is this what it's come to I just didn't want to end up playing football with fucking JLS <laughs> <laughs> God, I think I'm, we've I'm kind surprised of, and impressed that he knows who JLS we've kind of crossed over there that he's, that's him actually saying something that we would probably put in his mouth yeah his exactly podcast. yeah yeah I think we've almost reached the end this, this is it. it the book ends um before he goes to Aston Villa and helps out Paul Lambert before he ends up working with Martin O'Neill at Ireland again so it finishes with his um, his burgeoning career as a pundit with ITV mm. so he talks he talks about that he says uh, I enjoyed the trips to London on the train I enjoyed walking around London my <laughs> looking out for it's car- a hell of a big place you know <laughs> looking out for Cardo driving around yeah it's a big place every car I went up I tapped on the window I said have you seen Cardo no one had or you know, so they said they, they say they say London's a big place but I walk from one side to the other in 45 minutes <laughs> so you know when you get on the tube and you're on the tube for two minutes between two stations you actually only go 30 feet did you know that <laughs> that's how it works which is a fucking waste of time there's a lot of lazy people in London but it's a beautiful city I didn't bump into Carnu once. I think people. I think either he was hiding from me, or people were trying to. There was some kind of conspiracy going on. I was doing a lot of asking about him, a lot of probing, but nobody seemed to know who he was. Oh, so they fucking said. They last so him. We never seen the fella. I fucking could see in their eyes. African, isn't he, Carnu? Yeah. It all added up. I said to him, Bobby Charlton's involved me. in this. You in there? You seen? You seen Carnu? You used to play for Arsenal, big lad. No, I haven't seen him. Do I have a little car? I said, how could you miss the cunt? He's about six foot four. Big black fella. You must know who I'm talking about. They said nothing. I think there might have been some pushing and shoving. I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) He says, uh, getting to and from the stadiums could be a problem because of the traffic. I started getting a motorbike to the games, which I really enjoyed. (laughs) Whee! I'd be couriered on the back of the bike from the station to the ho- other hotel to Wembley or Stamford Bridge. Now, Mr. Keane, um, just get on the back, and if you just want to ha- hold on to me, just <laughs> for security, just keep yourself safe. I'm not holding on to any What are you talking man. about? Hold on! I'm sitting with my hands in my pockets, <laughs> just so there can be no confusion. <laughs>
<laughs> you keep your hands to yourself, and I'll keep my hands to myself. You keep and your we'll hands all on be okay. You keep your hands on your handlebars. I'll keep my hands on the pockets. I got good balance. I used to be a footballer. I got great core strength, you know. I've been on one of those yoga courses with Ryan Giggs and his mates. Well, they're my mates too now, really. They're a good bunch of lads. Well, I haven't heard from them for a while, but they're still good lads. <laughs> I still got their numbers. Do you know how much iron I've got in my body? I can keep balance. Don't you worry about me. I'm more or less like a big fucking metal rod. That came out wrong. Don't take that the wrong way. What I'm saying is I'm a very stiff man. No, hang on. I'm strong. I'm strong person. Now just get riding mentally, and stop talking. Mentally strong. I've got mental resilience. Even if I fall off this bike, I will stand back up, brush myself down and get back on again. Come on, I'll show you. Get going. I'd be currying on the back of a bike to Wembley or Stamford Bridge. For example, um, I, I enjoyed the routine. Getting to the games, getting home. <laughs> this is kind of routine, yeah. isn't it? Simple. Go from Clean. A to B. Mm. Go from B to A. Sleep. <laughs> Recuperate. <laughs> I got them to make me my own spider hole somewhere under a bridge in London. It was great. Yeah. All the homeless people used to come and join me. It was lovely. Very warm people. It's a fella called Stinky Pete. <laughs> became a good friend of mine actually he used to come in the sp- spider hole at night <laughs> he says that I liked ITV the people I was working with I don't know what that means <laughs> I don't know what that means Roddy's gone could you elaborate a bit Roy no <laughs> we nearly finished now Roddy come on now stop wasting time you're being silly you're being childish again like when you made up that silly story about the commitments. <laughs> but we're ending on a bit of a, a bit of a low note because he says the problem for me was that the TV work felt like failure because I failed at management at Ipswich. I'm referring only to myself, not the lads who wanted to work in the media. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't want to do it. I just did it because it was there. They wanted to do it. They really wanted to do they it. They didn't mind being failures. And things. They didn't mind being failures, but I minded because my standards were higher than theirs. They used to come in with them iPads with the internet on and they used to look up all the stats and all that sort of thing. I just go in with my head, my brains, my opinions. I remember one time Glenn Hollard came in. He had a, he had an iPad. It was covered in notes and tactics. I looked at it. I didn't say anything, but I waited. When he went off to the toilet, I spilled my tea all over it. A few sparks and wee fizzes came out. When he came back, he saw it was broken. He asked what had happened. I didn't say anything. And I, I think I saw him crying. I walked off to, and I said to myself under my breath, tactics of a cunts. <laughs> Have some of that huddle with your fucking Tottenham tendencies. <laughs> That's not a Tottenham tendency. I don't know what is. Having an Coming iPad. Coming in here with a fucking notepad made of computers and wires. He says, uh, I was a reluctant pundit. The at- that attitude helped the quality of my commentary, I think. He doesn't know, he just assumes it did. <laughs> he says, I tried to talk as I played, very simply. I sometimes saw Adrian Childs looking at me, letting me know, we need more. And I was, you're not getting more. I've said my bit. <laughs> Fuck off, Childs. i seen you on that The One Show. <laughs> it's an absolute stupid fucking programme. What's a children's programme doing on at seven o'clock in the evening when there should be proper programmes on, like, like rough justice about uh, miscarriages of justice and murder cases that uh, need to be reopened? What about Dick Turpin? That's a good show. Put that on Why again. don't they bring that back? That's not a kid's show. You're taking money out of Richard O'Sullivan's pocket. He gets repeat fees, I wouldn't wonder. I, well, I don't do um, the one show anymore. That's why I came over here to write to me. Don't argue with me, Adrian. You're making it worse. <laughs> You're not I've seen you on the programme with her, Lampard's wife, with the big teeth. 
I've said my words. You've got the 75 words out of me and that's it. And that, Sam, is it. That's the end of that's it. That's the end of the book. That is the end of the Roy Keane. But don't worry if you are one of the people who've enjoyed this series of podcasts and feel that they might miss them. Remember, this is actually the second Roy Keane book. So just oh, like, there's a first one, Just like there? George uh, Lucas made episodes mm. four, five, and six of Star Wars and then went back to one, two, and yeah. three. That's what we're going to do. Because we will, at some point, we don't know when, it might not be immediately, go back to the first Roy Keane uh, thing, which will be fantastic because it will cover his childhood in Cork <laughs> coming over to England to play for Brian Clough at yeah. Nottingham Forest getting punched in the face by Brian Clough yeah. at Nottingham Forest transferring to Manchester United playing with people with big egos like for instance Paul Ince which is going to be sensational there'll be plenty about his thoughts on David Beckham which we haven't had in this book yeah. and, and you know the idea of him just talking about David Beckham yeah, and David Beckham and Posh Spice and all that is tantalising. So I we will wait. we will return to that, and I think there's going to be a lot of sensational material in yeah. there. We're going to do some more Premier League seasons before we get right into that, and we're also going to do Kevin Keegan's book. Yeah, in the near future, and then we'll probably do this and that by Pablo, Pablo Canugo, Canugo. But we're trying to find an English translation of that. It's quite hard. <laughs> so if you've enjoyed uh, the Keen Odyssey, tell your friends. Yeah, and buy um, the book. As well, the book because it's a cracking book. It's a, yeah. It is the best football memoir I've ever read. Yeah, definitely. Once you do a deep dive into it, yeah, it's fucking great book. And like we've had a laugh at Roy's expense, and I don't say this out of fear. I've got a, a respect for him writing a book as honest and as candid as this one. It's given us and so much I comic material, should, and I think you know you should listen again to all the podcasts, but also go and buy the book. I feel a bit sad now that it's finished. I do For the too. last seven weeks, this has been. I feel a like we're saying goodbye week. to Roy. Yeah, but he'll uh, be back. He'll be back when we read the first. But I can't wait. You can't get a Kindle version. I'm going to have to go and get a second-hand version. We go out the library. Of, there's plenty of them in the in the shops. Yeah. So that's that's. What it have we learned? What's your biggest takeout? Um, the Professor Yaffle is not to be fucked with. Basically, mm. Mm. yourself. Ne- uh, yeah. There's a lot of Yaffle lessons. I think it's probably that you should grasp opportunities when you have them and be true to yourself and be true to yourself so there we are that's the keen odyssey goodbye now goodbye goodbye well, I mean now. It. I'm definitely going now you can't, goodbye you can't go back are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns